The following podcast is work safe. We talk games. You know, it happens to everybody. Oh, it happens to somebody. When you're not on a show, our male listenership drops. And when our male listenership drops, we have no listeners. I, I can, I know we're on, but I'm going to put you on speaker. I am on speaker. You're on speaker. Look, TT, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Sometimes ladies and even uh, robot ladies, they, they think they're going to have a baby, and then it turns out to just be some type of metallic farting noises and stuff like that. Yeah, but you weren't at the veterinary clinic. Hey, I'm still having my baby. I'm just too embarrassed that you didn't get it out that little false alarm from the video. I'm hanging up now. Good day to you, sir. I said good day. TT, wait, TT. Well, that's that. You're a big help, Stink. You're a big help. Hi, everybody. Uh, sorry about that. Trying to just get one of our co-hosts uh, to be back on the show here with us. Welcome to a very special episode of We Talk Games. We Talk Games 20, as you know. Humans like to celebrate the fives and the zeros on the ends of any numbers, and this is some type of milestone. Here at We Talk Games, we simplify the complex steps to make the operation more humane. Humanity instructions will guide you to install. We Talk Games gets into people's visual field and extend quickly. I am your host, Wiggly. In the booth, as always, Keith Posh. Yo. At the Lehigh Valley Mall promenade shops, hanging up on me, T.T. Schmutkins. T.T. And over there, still sitting in his closet, on a pizza box yet. uh, Hopefully it's a new pizza box. Stinky the Game Master. Stinky? Yeah, yeah. When are you going to get to the part that you're in a video game now? I'm I'm getting to it, Stink. I'm getting to it. I mean, of course, it's one of the most amazing things in my life at this time. That's for darn sure. And as I mentioned, this is a 20th episode milestone event. Uh, we began We Talk Games way back on September 6, 2006. We took a reboot on February 20th, 2009 to bring you the We Talk Games Video Power Magazine. And since then, we've released 34 episodes of the We Talk Games in some type of iteration for a grand total of over 63 video gaming fun packs. So the reboot has crossed the road, we've crossed the position, exceeded the previous memories with new memories, and so too now, We Talk Games has once again crossed over the threshold from reporting on the games, loving the games, to actually being a part of a video game. After Team Meat appeared on The Summer Meat Twins, episode 18 of We Talk Games, we were contacted, and I actually got to be the announcer for Super Meat Boy, which I'm incredibly excited to say that it's a fantastic game it's getting great reviews it's number one in the xbox arcade right now and with each new creation we add another dimension to the we talk games video power magazine hey yeah well uh you know you're not the only one that's being seen by billions and billions of people in their own projects oh yeah what's going on stink haha didn't you see the album art for this episode of we talk games uh, actually, yeah, yeah, I, I did see that. Um, you're, you're truly horrific, Stink. A real mess. 
What, you don't like Rodney Dangerfield? Uh, I, I get it, Stink. I get it, but... Um, um, it, and that brings to mind... Welcome to We Talk Games! This show is stacked! And the reason Stinky's in his back-to-school garb is because we're going to go back to school. Two very special guests on today's show. Number one, the Associate Professor of Digital Media at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, room 14N-233, Nick Monfort. Nick's also a computer scientist. He's heavy into interactive fiction. He writes computational poetry. And he's, of course, a lover of video games. We're going to talk some games with him. And our second special guest, a game designer, a teacher, co-founder of Area Code, a developer of real-world games, and a game enthusiast himself from Gotham City, Frank Lantz, will be on the show. And if that's not edutainment enough for you... (coughs) Sorry, I thought I almost died there by saying edutainment. We're going to have Johnny Capcom up in a little while and the Mega Mini Council of Video Game Millionaires. 2PyR will be on with some PS3 musings. And I promise you something special. We will see the re-release, the resurrection of Release Candidate 2 of Rit Team's Holographiti guest generator, Giant Tesla Buzzing Ball of Doom, as our own Kyle Von Kubik gets caught up in the flow and he'll be joining us quasi-live right here in the studio via hologram type of plasmatic, smelly, sulfur pit thing. And that will all begin as soon as I press start. It's just that simple. In fact, let's not start. Let's go! Don't you think I sound like a robot? This must be the retro review part. Because if it's from the 80s, you must sing like robot. All right. Well, before I press a button, just a teeny tiny bit of downloadable arcade at home. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about one of the games that was just released this week. Over on the Wii Dop channel... Uh, shop channel. Of course, we saw Netflix. Netflix available now to the Wii via software and also the PlayStation 3. So now it's just like the Xbox was. I guess the Xbox had exclusive rights to not having to put a CD in your system. Now you can do it all via software from your Wii library or your PlayStation cross browser. On the virtual console for the NES, Euphoria the Saga. Six bucks gets you this Japanese only action adventure game. This is a great little game by Sunsoft. It, it sort of reminds me, I don't know, of a, a Mario with bubble bobble type of play mechanics, if Marioni did spelunking, and a little bit of Wonder Boy in there as well. For the Super Nintendo, we saw the release of Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. $8 will get you that if you like an introduction to turn-based role-playing games, which pretty much don't exist anymore. Final Fantasy Mystic Quest is a great place to learn how to do that. Arrow the Acrobat 2 also came out. Now you can have one and two, and that is $8 as well. For the Neo Geo, Fatal Fury 3. Love that fighting game. Can't help it. Samurai Showdown 3 also came out. Big release month for fighting games 3 for the Neo Geo. Both of those $9 a piece. And we were, of course, for all three of the current gen systems. Sonic 4 had its big release. Everyone very excited about this title until they played it, and now they're all depressed. But I gotta tell you, if you know anyone that purchased this game... Just try the second level. If Sega would have gave us the second level to demo instead of the first, I think opinions may not have been so one-sided. But another WiiWare title to watch, check out Monsteca Corral. Monsters vs. Robots. Although the logo design is horrible, seeing those little Yeti run around in herds, it reminds me how Stinky walks. Hey! Another reason why I didn't want to do the downloadable arcades at home while other people are on the line is so I don't get laughed at, Hudson created the Hudson Gate 
in PlayStation Home. <laughs> yeah, I accidentally clicked on Home instead of the PlayStation Store. Once again, two blue icons plus an incredible astigmatism makes for me going to Home when I don't really want to go home, and then you can't cross-browser out of there until it loads the entire way, so you figure, I might as well go. I made the investment. Hudson Soft, though, I was so happy to see this. Went to Hudson's Gate. Now, there's only two sections of Hudson Gates that is open right now. Bomber Dome is under construction, as is Hudson Theater. But Bleach, you can go in to Bleach Theater and watch an episode of Bleach, if you like that anime. And I also watched a video for some of their titles they have available for the PSP. Hudson Please bring creature defense to the iPad. Also new to home is the Star Wars Cantina. That's a great place to see a real big bar and, of course, the LucasArts store inside of there. We also got the first taste of Dreamcast on the PS3 and also the Xbox. Sonic Adventure was released for 10 bucks, and then another $5 gets you the DX Director's Cut version download, which you'll see no immediate change save for the updated splash screen. But I believe there's a promise of Robot Sonic or Silver Sonic or Eat It Sonics. But the Dreamcast games run perfectly. It runs in a little postage stamp, but it looks good. Now, of course, you can't save your little KOs into the VMU. And I also heard some complaints about why Sonic Adventure. Well, this is the fall of Sonic, let's face it. <laughs> that works on a couple levels. But this was a highly anticipated U.S. release title. And remember, we're talking about the Xbox 360 also, as well as the PS3. So I think that having Sonic Adventure come out first was pretty appropriate. I mean, if you would have brought out some of the other more interesting titles like Power Stone or Jet Grind Radio, Soul Calibur, Pen Pen Triicelon, of course. I mean, who would have really went back and purchased Sonic Adventure? And as far as the PlayStation Store, it's the sixth most popular monthly download. So I hope that we get more Dreamcast games. Please don't let it stop with Sonic Adventure. Also worth mentioning, PlayStation 1, Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. What a fun game was that for the original PlayStation. It's free to Plus members. And your Zen pinball tables on the PS3 are now a count of ten. The new Pop Seriano, um, uh, Paranormal table, rather. $2.50, get your Paranormal table. You have two Bermuda Triangle Vertexes, one with a boat in it, one with a plane going down in flames. It's a smoke. Uh, Jersey Devil. A dinosaur, perhaps, uh, from the lock of Ness. It spans the entire left rail. You can also try to whack the eyeballs back into a sacroptic mange-ridden dog. There's a haunted doorway that leads to a haunted house in the backboard of the table, where you also get UFO abducted. There's a Necronomicon cube. And for some reason, the Newtonian physics balls. I have no idea why that is a part of the paranormal. Fourth grade physics. But all in all, it's a very busy table. It may take you a couple tries to get used to it. There's a lot to do. And I'm sure that Kyle will want to talk about this next episode. One game that I stumbled upon is the third in a series of breakout-style games that I've been playing recently. And geez, we just did a breakout bonus level on Portable Gaming, and we need to do one all over again. There's so many good new titles. I know that uh, Jaden is stoked to do another one as well. Two such breakout-style games are available on the iPad, but this one is for your PlayStation 3. It's a PlayStation 3 exclusive. It's called Shatter. 
It's eight bucks. Now, when Jeff Mintner released Tempest 2000 for the Atari Jaguar, which is just a fantastic game, I recommend buying a Jaguar and Tempest 2000 just for that game. So just leave that game in there. That's the only game the Jaguar plays, and you'll be happy. But Atari tried to follow up the success with that, of course, with Breakout 2000. And there was even a polygonal third-person pullback type of flight Defender 2000 sort of game uh, for the PlayStation 2. But none of them captured the Tempest 2000 magic. Well, Shatter is a true descendant and mutation of the Breakout style game. It's, it's, it's everything that I hoped Breakout 2000 could have been. The play fields are vertical, they're horizontal, they're also more enclosed, rectangular, much closer, faster game. And the most difficult of which is a 120 degree open circular enclosed space. It's almost Tempest web-like. Now, your spacecraft paddle looks far more spacecrafty than in Breakout or Arkanoid. And there's also a blow-suck play mechanic added that allows you to collect crystal shards and power-ups from your shattered targets, as well as allowing you to control the trajectory of your ball. There's also a shield, power-ups, and a super laser charge meter. Another neat feature is that the amount of breakout balls you have are equivalent to how many lives you have left. So you can actually put multiple balls into play, but if you miss one of them, one of your lives gets taken away. The Tempest 2000 comparison comes in from the trippy music and the geometric moving backdrops. Now, I'm known for being critical of breakout-style games that don't have paddle controls, because that's really what these games were designed for, to go back and forth with a paddle. But i got to tell you, this game controls very well. The controller was never an issue in missing a shot. They nailed, they nailed the responsiveness with that thumbstick. Now, the two breakout-style games for the iPad, number one is from Taito, and it is Arkanoid. And let me tell you, that is fantastic. I can't wait to talk about that on a bobble. Much like having my highest score ever on Pac-Man on the iPad version with the swipe, so too the control on Arkanoid is perfect. I advance further on the iPad version than I have on any other console. And the main reason for bringing up the iPad in this section is because the BitTrip series has come to the iPad. Gaijin Games, in conjunction with Namco, of all people, have released BitTrip for the iPad. Now you know BitTrip is incredibly difficult even with the tilt controller emulating the analog knob. The control on the bit trip for the iPad allows you to touch anywhere and try to move your paddle up and down. There are some troubles with the control so far. But I am reminded of a time when we really only had the original Game Boy. And I can remember people saying, well, it's the only way I'm going to get to play this game portably. And that's how I feel about this game. It's the only way I'm going to be able to play this portably. And it sounds great. It looks so neat. The controls are a problem. Let's hope that they can get that worked out. And speaking of Taito, Space Invader Infinity Gene came out in the Xbox Arcade as well as the PlayStation Store. Sonic Adventure also for the Xbox. And we saw the beginning of the Fall Feast releases in the Xbox Arcade. Comic Jumper was released as the first in the series of the Fall Feast. And it's a run-and-gun game with a comic twist. You could demo all these titles, but let's face it. You need to go and buy Super Meat Boy if you don't own it right now. The number one download in the Xbox Arcade. Now, I wrote a review of this title up at WeTalkGames.com. Become part of our social media network at WeTalkGames.com. If you're already a member of Twitter, 
Facebook, Windows Live ID that you use for your Xbox Live, or many other social media networking logins. You can log in using those accounts. It's just that simple. You're already a member. Now, I was lucky enough to get a pre-release code for this because I did the announcer voice in Super Meat Boy. And the first day I played it, I had to immediately get on my typewriter and write a review. Now, the last time I did a written review of anything was comparing the Genesis to the TurboGrafx-16 back when they launched. And that comparison was printed in the pages of Electronics Gaming Monthly. So to say that this made an impression on me is a complete understatement. I think this is probably one of the greatest action platform, if not the greatest, action platforming game ever created. It really encapsulates the spirit of action platforming. There's absolutely no attack move. You're just dodging and you're jumping. And when that announcer says, Helotype controls, he, me, is not joking. He's 100% correct. Those controls are so tight. That even though you lose a hundred lives in one level, you never get to the point of frustration to throw your Xbox controller and smash it into a very expensive Ming Dynasty vase. It sounds like I'm making this up, but it's almost a pleasure to lose. So get it now for a limited time, ten bucks. You cannot go wrong. And speaking of going, let's not go, let's start! No, that doesn't really work. Well, I'm going to start getting out of here. Where are you going, Stink? My doctor said I'm not supposed to be around that gizmo when you start it up. All right. I'm going to go down to Kinko's and get some blow-ups made of this picture you drove me in this back-to-school outfit. All right, Stinko, thanks for demolishing the fourth wall there. Keith, until Stinky can waddle his three legs and four hiney cracks out the door, why don't you get Kyle on the line here, and then we'll turn on the machine and see what happens. Good luck. Satellite of Integrity, go! Kyle Von Kubik. Hey. Welcome to We Talk Games. This is your first thank, time here. Thank you for having me. Keep your hands and feet inside the car at all times. I am nervous. Wait till we come to a complete stop. Yeah, you should be, because yeah. we're actually going to be bringing you in here. Um, the Thunderball is back. and it, I, it, I see this it's on spark, my end. It's sparking. And yes, of course, the Magic Suck 8000 HD Holographiti Cramar's Delicious Virtual Guest Generator. Now in 3D. That's what it says on my sticky note. It's already in 4D and then later in 3D. So Now, on your end, does it look like just a light, bright duct tape to a typewriter? Because that's what I have. No, that's that's only on the sending end. Oh, all right. But uh, before we get into that, I have got to tell you about something that I have not known. Because, you know, who knows what can happen. By the way, did you sign the waiver? Because you know about the particles getting lost. Is that this piece of construction paper I got? <laughs> yeah, they're trying to cut down. So they, they take their kids' yeah, uh, daycares uh, papers home. This is home definitely written in crayon. That's yeah. Wet Gek Flipglees, as you know them, the We Talk Games Committee for. All right, I'll sign it. You, you lay it on me. What okay. do we got? Anyway, anyway, uh, I, there's something that, now you know that the PC Engine and the Turbo Graphics, you know, are synonymous. That is my favorite system of all time. Of all time? All time! I know. And space. Wow. So, number one, that is that. Number two, I just found out about a slew of games, a slew, I tell you, that were available, and a controller that I have never, ever seen before in my life. Now, when you say you just found out about them, you mean like 20 years ago you just found (laughs) out about them, right? These are almost 20 years old. They came out 19 years ago. Now, how the hell can something for the PC Engine exist... 
Some that, fan you are that I didn't know about for 19 years. And you know, I had wacky, wacky controllers. And, uh, sure. you know, some of my favorite controllers are like the... Um, the U-Force. Yeah, the, well, not even... The, the, actually, ones that work as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> like the controller for Denson to Go, the Go by Train. It's an actual mm-hmm. train uh, controller, which I don't own, but I love it. You know what I mean? Sure. I'd love to get my hands on one of those. But I have a lot of, you know, uh, neat ones like the Nejicon and things. I, I own two Nejicons so that you can both uh, race on the same playing field, so to speak, uh, back when Ridge Racer 2, I think. Ridge Racer 2 or 3 came out. They released, uh, Namco released an Nejicon. Uh, but that notwithstanding, let me tell you about this. First, what I'll do is I'll introduce it via a game, okay? Okay, do it. So the game starts out, these are Super CD games. Right. Make sure that your uh, internal memories format it before you try to uh, even start this game, because it will tell you, backup RAM, and some <laughs> characters that you don't know what they mean. That means right. going back in and you haven't turned on your system in a long time, so reformat your uh, internal memory. So here we go. We're starting off with the uh, big anime introduction. The spirits of the fire and water dragons meet in space above the earth, and they're battling out there, swirling around one another. And then, of course, the spinning black monolith from 2001 A Space Odyssey comes floating by, flipping by you. And as we pull Mm. down, the Earth and the Moon start to align like they do in that there, except I don't see Mars or anything else in there. But anyway, the Moon and 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 the Earth are lining up. And, of course, it's a pachinko game. Oh, of course. The pachinko in the launching space happens, and now the space shuttle invaders, they shoot their laser beams and destroy the cities of Pachinko Land, and all the Pachinkos go flying, and the Pachinko King and his daughter, the Pachinko King's daughter implores the Pachinko... Pachinko, of course. Princess Pachinko with the bow. Implores the King, the Pachinko King, to stop the alien invaders. Too late! They've caught the mighty, tiny Pachinko Ball blasted it out of the mountain, it's caught in their tractor beam, and now one of the alien crafts blasts the king and his daughter. Are they okay? Who knows? We hope so. I hope there's a happy ending. Well, meanwhile, Pachinko, the hero, is guiding his spaceship back to Pachinko World, but then he gets trapped in this giant phallic spaceship. It's (laughs) like a a ball on the end of a shaft. Oh, the the, uh, PlayStation Move. Yeah. Now, it turns exactly... (laughs) (laughs) And now it turns out that this whole scheme of stealing the tiny little silver pachinko ball out of the mountain is the big plot of the evil elf king. He was behind it all along. And now he has the ebony pachinko ball in one hand and the silver pachinko ball in the other. Now, when our hero opens his eyes and he exits his spaceship, he finds that he's actually on a friendly pachinko ship full of military-looking pachinkos a la some type of, I don't know. Military-looking yeah, you know, like they're out of Star Wars. Of course. And yeah. and then all around the show, it's actually like the new Battlestar Galactic. I think they lifted oh. from this because this is you know, 19 years old. Pachinkos? No, no, the, like the Battlestar itself, the Galactica. Okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, one of the cargo ships because scattered about are pachinko civilians. And they're all on the verge of starvation and varying uh-huh. degrees of sickness. Some of them are covered in spots of rust. Really? And now the role-playing element begins. You walk your little pachinko around, and then you you meander your way to the captain, and then Mm. you enter this other little ship inside of this big master giant uh, ball. Then you actually find out what this giant ship was. It was a ball. It was like a dumbbell. 
It's a okay. ball on each end of a long shaft, which I don't know how that relates to pachinko, but evidently it does. So you then you enter into this smaller pachinko ship, which is two tiny balls on like a boomerang. Yeah. You go into that control jet deck, which has a pachinko machine in it, and then you get into the pachinko machine, and you pachinko it up. Now... The best part about this game so far, you have yet to play pachinko. They have role-playing elements in this. This particular title is called Pachinko in the Launching Space. Of course. I, I think they didn't quite get that right. Yeah, no. Now, this is the part of the Pachiokun series, and this is the game called Waru Uchu, if you uh, want to try to look this up. There, there were about four, four of these type of games, I think three in the uh, Pachiokun series. Okay. And one of them is the twin sisters or the sisters. Another one is where you just do slots and it's, it's just straight up pachinko. Uh, no storyline. So after you enter the ship, it's time to play pachinko. And right. the way to play it is probably the most astounding piece of this entire new experience that I've experienced. Now, n- normally, there's options in main to actually hide Mahjong titles. It doesn't hide pachinko titles, but you're usually not interested in pachinko titles because, let's face it, only old Japanese ladies even know what's going on. You're they right. sit there for hours in a pachinko lobby. I think they call them lo- <laughs> lobbies. Yeah. No, they're like, the, you know, they're, they're like... Mules. I don't know. They, they look like laundromats. Pachinko with, holes. Yeah, exactly. Pachinko holes. And they just sit in there and they watch these balls fly around through these pegs. What's going on? Who knows? But the reason that you probably want to get into this whole pachinko on the Turbo Graphics is because they actually came out with a pachinko controller. What? Now... I know that this is probably not the first analog controller uh, because we had analog controllers like uh, Rollerball, you know, for for the uh, for the Atari and for the uh, ColecoVision things like this. Those are types of analog controllers, and even though they're digital and analog, you know, there's there's all different types of like even the first spinner knobs and things like that. Those were analog, but this was probably one of the first for the 16-bit generation. It looks as if you took a giant rectangle, and it's it's pretty large. It looks as if you took a giant rectangle, and then you you notched out um, like uh, half of a letter N, and then you made a ball. It's kind of hard to explain. Look it up on the internet. Just look up Pachinko PC Engine controller. And the most bizarre thing about it is, fortunately, I have the white PC Engine Duo. So this matches. It's a white controller that has a yellow directional pad and a yellow 1 and 2 button. And then the analog thing that you slide around the circular bit on the right is also yellow. So it's just a very odd color combination. Nice color scheme. Yeah, because, I mean, like the the Jet, the PC Engine Core, they were all white systems, but none of this yellow happening. There's gray and, and different colors like that. Anyway, it has its own Pachinko controller. Now, when you play Pachinko, Pagel... As I do often. Yeah. Pagel has Pachinko Envy because when you play real Pachinko, there are 2,000, 3,000, 3,500 balls before that game is over. Right. So you you use the analog controller here to set the strength, the trajectory of your pachinko balls as they come out one after another. And then, you know, they go around the knobs and you try to light up the robots and try to do all the different types of uh, 
skill shots that are needed in a pachinko game, which are you know, just like Pagel, mostly yeah. chance. Yeah, uh, it's mostly but, luck. But like I said, you have to go through two or 3,000 balls, and there's some targets in the pachinko machines that will actually give you extra balls. And right. that's not always advantageous because the longer you play, um, as time goes by, points tick off your final score. So you have to be scoring or else you're just shooting balls around and your your points are ticking away. Right. Which can still be fun. Uh, except that, <laughs> you know, you're not going to get out of the spaceship. So anyway, right. so you, you go through all your 2,000, about 2,000 balls, I think you start off with in the first Pachinko machine. And if you do well, then you get your Star Trek-like crew, including like a Scotty's really old. So this must have been around the time of Star Trek the movie. You get that whole crew, and now the Elf King summons a giant demon from the Obliesque. Now the Dumbbell spaceship is under attack, and it's blowing up everywhere. The Captain Pachinko Ball gives you the salute as he is buried under flaming debris. It's very <laughs> then, sad. Then you move every zig. What? <laughs> Sorry, keep going. And and our hero Pachinko, of course, salutes him back, and then he has a tear in his eyes, crying. And then he gets <laughs> he gets on the, the little ship, the smaller Star Trekky ship, and then they escape. Yeah. And then, of course, they hit warp speed immediately. Now Scotty can transport our hero Pachinko down to different parts of a planet, which happen to be Pachinko casinos. Okay. And then you go in there and, and you can play different pachinko machines depending on how many points you've scored in previous games. But here's a whole new area of video gaming to explore. Uh, right. And and with a pachinko controller. So I was... 20 I was, years later, no less. I was floored. I was flabbergasted, but so happy that I finally found it. And uh, pachinko has come to my PC Engine Duo. That's great. Yeah. All right, man. Well, now that I got that out of my system, let's uh, let's um, fire this thing up here. The old Musa Sef Igda Ha Simvig, okay. now in 3D. All right, here All right. we go. Uh, well, I got to hang up with you, or else there could be like some type of um, bad thing. You can't be on the line because there might oh, be some type don't of cross feedback. The streams. Got it. Well, something like that. It's something also to do with being sterile. I'm not sure. Okay. Wow. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, listen, I don't know if I'm read the small print. Crayon. Did you consult the pharmacist? Okay, okay, hang on to your belts. Bye. All right. Gavon Kubik. Hello. Yes. I'm kind of here. You're in the mansion. Yeah. What do you it's think? Just, um, it's nice. Oh, it's your second time here anyway. Yeah. But I've done a lot more landscaping, so maybe your hologram can go take a outside, look outside. Take a walk around. I don't really we'll know do that how that later. works. I, th- I guess I have to move the camera around, which is <laughs> okay. silly. It's like a webcam. All right, man. So uh, I'm here. A lot of gaming going on. Lots of gaming going on. You know, we uh, we had the video last month. So kind of oh freed up gosh. some time. We we could play some more games. Maybe even play some games together. 
Yeah, uh, got to experience some titles that I don't think we're going to get to this on this show. But we decided to delve into some of the launch PlayStation Store downloadable games and uh, look forward to that. But I've done so much gaming since then in setting up my the Trapdoor Mansion to be how I like it. I've, I've revisited a lot of my Saturn games, a lot of the uh, 3DO games, right. a lot of CDI stuff. Uh, just getting getting the CDI ready. I haven't hooked up the CDI yet, but the 3DO, Saturn, big heavy play, Xbox, original Xbox, very good. big heavy play, and PS2, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very nice. So what have you been... Uh, I know that we played a little bit of games on the way there and on the way back from Iowa. Sure. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, uh, of games that we buy more than once. Uh-huh. And I yeah. kind of fell into that trap because of the iPad. And uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but this is the first time it's happened to me where a device resold me on something that I wasn't really into the mm-hmm. first time, and that would be Crystal Defenders. Right. Uh, I talked about this way back, I believe it was my first appearance on the show. Yeah. And uh, I didn't like it. Crystal Defenders is just a tower defense game. To me, it was like, you know, there's plenty of tower defense games out there. There's nothing special about this game. Well, but the Final Fantasy characters. Well, I, and I guess that was the whole Big hook. Beak or right? whoever. Yeah. I mean, I, these are Final Fantasy characters I really... Yeah, Axe Don't recall. Yeah. Yes, I mean... A globe, is, or whatever. Uh, is like, is Marlboro? This? I've never and heard of that goes, character. Marlboro, Marlboro, Marlboro. <laughs> it's just like the Pokemon. Yes. Uh, but um, I played it on the iPad on the way to Otumwa. Yeah. And it was a totally different experience. And it was the whole experience of using the iPad to control the game opposed mm-hmm. to using a controller. But because I played it so much on the iPad and I was so determined <laughs> you were to get uh You're just the on highest the possible first level. Yeah and I would level one one. That's all you wanted I to do. I wouldn't let it go. I kept going back to that level because I wanted to get a higher and higher score that when I came home I had to get my fix. Uh-huh. So I went on the PlayStation store and I bought it again. Yeah. So that was the second time I, I uh, well, no, the first time I demoed it. Right. So right. I didn't really buy it, but yeah. I went out and I bought the full version and it sucks. It's yeah. like playing a PlayStation one game on your PlayStation three. I highly recommend it for the iPad. It's the perfect type of game for it. It's you, you drag and drop yeah. your characters touching the screen and it, it looks great on there. Yeah, the game, I guess, was created before that, but the game really lends itself to that hardware. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely. Yeah, I, I demoed it for the PS, PS3, and I can't even remember where we're at. I demoed it for that, and I enjoyed it because that was probably the first Tower of Defense game I played. Right. That well, said, if, well if that was called Tower Defense. I mean, there, there's been games similar to this all throughout history of gaming just about sure but nothing that was you know considered one of these which evidently these td games were quite over with the kids at the time yeah they're huge but uh i don't know anymore fading fed yeah yeah the hardware sold me on this game and go back to i'd love to go back to it on the ipad because it was a lot of fun on the ipad so i i don't know if that's an addendum to what i've previously said i i still believe you can find many many more tower defense games for free online but but for the ps3 i think the monster one pixel junk pixel junk i just started jumping into the pixel junk i bought the package the uh, pixel junk racer eden and then pixel junk monster i like that one because it's a tower defense but then you move your big guy around and like yeah i I would recommend getting that package i think it's yeah 20 bucks or 24.99 something like this pixel racers I, i didn't 
I didn't really enjoy that. Pixel hmm. Junk Racer. Yeah, I didn't. It was okay. It. Uh, second lap, I believe it's called. It was okay. It just, uh, you know, and then uh, Pixel Junk Eden. It's pretty. I'm just not having a lot of fun. But Pixel Junk that, Monsters that I, that's was a blast. I bought Eden. I explained it before. You're like a uh, Wingo sperm with Spider-Man capabilities. Uh, yeah, capabilities. Yeah. <laughs> Swinging around and trying to... Very uh, pretty game. Yeah. But not really uh, engrossing. I no. don't know. Well, we're way off topic. What, sure. what other titles? Yeah. I got to play Naughty Bear. Have you heard about this game? <laughs> so my birthday just passed, and somebody bought me Naughty Bear used. Yeah. And um, that's, a, it, that's a game. Uh, you know, it, it's the thought that counts, right? And I'm, you know, I'm not going to trash on the game. To, no, yes, I am. Uh, it, it's a very repetitive game. Now, I saw some positive talk on uh, the We Talk game social experience online, yeah. and that's cool. I'm glad that people uh, dig it. People are digging it. It's just for me, it was just too repetitive. It was too much of the same, and it seemed like we, you know, in the game, we're doing these things that really don't matter. Like I could just simply storm, do some button mashing, and have the same result. Like mm. I saw that you could lay traps and you can do a little bit, bit of stealth mm-hmm. and things like that, but there was no repercussion to just running up to guys. You know, running up to bears and stabbing them in the face. Oh, gotcha. Opposed to hiding in the bushes, setting a trap, and scaring. I know you get more points, but the game didn't punish you for just being a button masher either. I see. And all the missions seemed to be very repetitive to me. I got bored with it real quick. Right on. I'm glad it was a gift and I didn't spend money on it. Speaking of repetition, when I played the demo, I I thought the motion capture was just awful and very unbear-fitting. Mm. To me, it just seemed like a. a, a I, I could see the loops in the motion capture, and that's what it just bothered me aesthetically. The, the concept I thought was great. I remember when the game they were talking, uh, the previewing it. I really liked the concept of yeah. the game. I was I was kind of on board, and then I started seeing more and more of the game, and I'm like, I don't think I'm going to like this game. It's going to get so I was going to shy away from it. I wasn't yeah. even going to try it, but because I got it as a gift, I got to dig into it. And yes, uh, aesthetically, it's very thrown together. I yeah, guess or it seems a little unpopular. Maybe maybe the uh, the budget got cut. Maybe uh, timetable switched up a little bit. I don't know. High hopes for it when it was being previewed, though. But I, like you said, now we recently played a game where it really mattered on style as to how much you would enjoy it. Right. Uh, and it was button mashing at first, and then we learned the nuances of it, and it was actually a lot better. Although you could win just as easily with button mashing. So sure. very similar experience. So I understand what you're saying there. So I guess if you you know it depends on how you approach that title. I'm sure it's going to be hidden discounts. So I think it's already okay. down to twenty five dollars. So I mean for that type of unique game, I think maybe it's good for the library at some point. Sure. Sure. Cheap. You know, if you can get it what do you cheap. think the best price would be for that? Yeah, $25 new right now I don't think is, is a stretch for what it's worth. Mm. You know, I just, uh, it's got to be your bag, and it's just not mine. I, it, I got bored, and I kind of just put it off to the side, and it's just going to sit there now until I can find the case, because I lost the case. I don't, <laughs> it's so uncharacteristic of me. I have no idea what the case is for this game. It's eating me up inside. But, um, yeah, you know, if it drops down to 10 bucks, I... <laughs> Definitely recommend it. Anytime something drops to... Because what have we said? Today's garbage games are the expensive rarities of tomorrow. You know, all those Mary-Kate and Ashley (laughs) Olsen games? Definitely, definitely. Buy them up. Speaking of things that people are really jazzed about, Scott Pilgrim's uh, versus the world. Oh, yeah, they are. They're very jazzed about it. 
I didn't read the like comic. Uh, I saw the movie. I enjoyed the movie. You see this movie? No, I haven't done anything yet. But I heard a lot of... I played the demo. Big talks about the game. Mm-hmm. So I played the game. I actually bought the game, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's beautiful graphics. Beautiful graphics. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's a nod towards the 8-bit era. I don't think so. I think it's more like the 32-bit Neo Geo type of Yeah, it is more. It's more Neo Geo. Especially with some of the animations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Um, it's a, a beat 'em up brawler. You know, you just walk around. It's a lot like River City Ransom. It has a yeah. lot of nods towards River City Ransom. It's four player fun on the couch. No online mode. Again, I hear right. a lot of people crying about that. I could care yeah, less. You know what? When over. you play it online with a lot of them, like the uh, like Turtles, Turtles in Time. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The old the old one, not yeah, the right, reshelled right. or whatever. Yeah. See, you, that, that's you, that's what's good about Scott Pilgrim. It's not you know Polygon. Yeah, they didn't reshell Scott and, Pilgrim, and it's not even a Polygon used to create the. The, the sprites, you know, it's really... Oh, and the sprites really are beautiful. The backgrounds are beautiful. Drawn. And, I mean, you see a lot of repetitive enemies, but that's yeah. characteristic of the genre. Exactly. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, chiptune music happening yeah, in the background. It, it was a very well-thought-out game, but it has the same... Now, you were saying about Turtles. Oh, Turtles. You don't mind sitting So, there. okay, so when, you, when you're uh, doing the online mode with Turtles, uh, you'll have somebody jump in. And they'll play a couple stages and then drop back out, mm. and somebody else might come back. Or final fight, I've had that happen yeah. when I played it online. Yeah. So it's like it do, I know people expect online mode, but I don't know if it's a, it's necessary for every single game. You know, not every game needs a multiplayer aspect to it. You know, like uh, we were just talking about Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. Imagine <laughs> we'll that as a talk about that. Uh, yeah, a multiplayer mode in that that you didn't need a multiplayer right, mode right, in a right, game sure. like that. You don't always need to play online with other people. Yeah. Sometimes it's nice to uh, lay in bed with your lady and play a game, there or, you or go. sit on the couch and play a game, even if it's not a video game. You do. Yeah, you could. <laughs> but um, I, I really dig the game. I definitely recommend it. It has the slowdown factor when there's too many things mm-hmm. happening on screen. You, see, you saw nice. that, which again <laughs> lends itself to the genre. And um, I call it—I don't know what you would call—but back in the day when I played these type of games in the arcade, I would call it the sweet spot where a boss would get trapped, oh, okay. and then you could just wail on him, wail on him, just button mash and kill him because he was stuck in this one area. That actually happens a lot in the game. Oh, okay, so it's definitely a, a glitch. But it's in a good way. Again, it lends itself to the genre. So I've really been enjoying that game. And, uh, you know, I give it a big thumbs up. Well, let me tell you about a couple of games I've been playing. Hit me up. I revisited, as, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I love the pinballs. You love the pinballs. Sure. We have to look forward to that uh, pinball. Pinball FX2. Being part of the feast. The feast. Which is also going to be Super Meat Boy in Super there. Meat Boy. I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, so I revisited a couple of titles I talked about, especially for the Saturn. And that's all I want to just uh, briefly revisit a little bit. Necronomicon. I uh, revisited that again, went into Arcane Asi- Arkham Asylum. Arcane. Uh, Arcane. I've read reviews of Necronomicon online. Yeah. And people say it's one of our best pinballs for the sound. It's it's really pretty lousy. Yeah. Because it's single screen. There's no scrolling that goes on. The outer areas that aren't the pinball machine are just black, which might be okay if it was somehow themed in. The best part of Necronomicon is that it has multiple tables, but ooh, there's really no difference between them. Okay. Is the announcer that goes throughout the whole thing. In the fiery depths of there, the pity comes out, and then you do, and then it has nothing to do with the game. Right. Or the ball, or the table. Uh, he's just... Uh, 
you know, reading It's like crows. the guy from Soul Calibur. Yeah, exactly. He's just doing his own thing, Two man. Two fighters whose hearts are intertwined through fate. <laughs> it's good stuff. Don't go out of your way to search that down. A, a good title was Last Gladiators, and I'm not certain. I think this may have come out in the States. I really didn't get to research anything. It's been kind of crazy around here. Yeah. Open house and things like this. I'm not sure if I talked about it, but Last Gladiators, if you want to import this one, yeah. Don't. It's, okay. It stinks. You're, you're different types of gladiators, samurais, uh-huh. knights. Okay. Uh, oh, it's like that show, Deadliest Warrior. Yeah, except also like you're like a dragon slayer. Yeah. <laughs> you're like from... Uh, St. George. You're, he killed the dragon. What was, it, what was that guy where you fought the big devil, the giant, the, the devil with the giant horns? Oh, Donnie Darko. No. That's a rabbit. Um, oh, boy. Legend. Remember that, Tom Who Cruise? Who could forget Legend? What? With the big horn devil, I, th- I think you even look like Tom Cruise. I'm not sure though. All right, so don't don't pick up that <laughs> one and a half star for Legend. I'm by not the way. sure. Yes, I'm not sure if I. I loved it when that big horn Tim Curry. I think was in it, wasn't he? Yeah, Tim, Rocky Horror Picture Tim Curry. Show. Who could forget? And I think he was the devil, if I'm not mistaken, which I probably am. Uh, then I also revisited Fantastic Pinball. I got to tell you, is it fantastic? fantastic. Is it? it really is. It's really great. The mini games, good. the 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 anime, the cute devil. Speaking of devils, but a much cuter one than Tim Tim Curry, even when he wears his fishnets. Yeah, uh, it's a really neat game. There's demon turtles and everything else, and but like I had mentioned before, the, the the ball itself is just a little annoying because it just does this flip flop of the um, rendering of the ball itself. But everything's really neat that happens in it. There were a couple of things that I hadn't pointed out uh, in when I did the original review, and now of course I can't think of them at all. But lots of neat animation. There's many levels. You get to choose. What table you want to be on? Do you want to be the warrior? Do you want to be the the, the girl? Um, and what are we doing? We're doing pixel magic art here. Summer, we doing yeah, it's it, yeah. pixel art, and or you could be this this turtle guy that I mentioned. I, I like turtles, uh, and he has a horn and blonde hair. The turtle does. So it's it's a really neat thing, and they just have different powers of their balls. Mm, okay, and your your ball actually can do uh, different things. And I think there was like a three D. It's just really really neat, but it's all hand drawn it's all a really cool game and if you're a fan of pinball i recommend trying to find Who fantastic pinball for your yeah for your uh, saturn if your saturn can play japanese games and now there's two ways to do that get a japanese saturn okay or the old switch you had to cut a jumper on your uh, your saturn's board and then you you wired it to a, a rocker switch oh, right. which no one's going to do no also for the playstation 2 i had mentioned flipnik and flipnik I had mentioned how it's kind of bizarre and surreal, and one minute you're well. There, there's actually a couple tales where you, uh, a couple tables rather that you can start off with, and it's all quite confusing. Now, this was a pinball by Capcom, okay, and I'd actually love to see another iteration of this that has a little more flow. Remember we had Steve Ritchie master the flow? Yes. One thing Flipnik does not have is, is flow. flow because <laughs> you hit two bumpers and then all of a sudden cutscene and announcer okay. voice going over and your ball is flying through outer space. and Two hearts intertwined at a pinball table. It, I mean, it's completely all over the place. You're, you fight UFOs in the middle of a jungle. All right, that and sounds there's good. A, I, I, there's so much great things about this. Your ball's upside down. You can make your ball jump mm-hmm. when it goes over these rails in the now, one. 
fun part. Capcom, Flipnik, not based off any of the Capcom physical pinball tables. No, no, okay. no, not as far as I know, no, right. because this is completely Leave fancy. Bizarre and you're in a jungle with leaves, okay. and you know, hit all the bumper, and then uh, you can also control the bumpers. Like there's parts where it's just bumpers, and if you hit the left, uh, one series of bumpers will come up. If you hit the right, those series of bumpers will go down, oh, and the out. other. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, it's sort of you move. You try to move the ball around by moving up and down different bumpers. Cool. Okay. So their bumpers are either up, and then when the one bumper set is up, the other bumper set is down, and vice versa. So you try to move your bumpers up and down to knock the ball about. Uh, it gets confusing. But there's also some other tables that are just like vector graphics sort of tables, mm. very basic, almost. Yeah. In fact, the one table, the ball is flat, like. The original pinball for Atari, the standalone right. uh, Atari pinball, except the ball is a little bit bigger, or some, something like the pinball for the NES, which is what most people know. Yeah. And but even more, more Atari graphics, very base colors of the bumpers of everything, and you do things like that. So it's kind of neat, and then it turns that into 3D and things like this. So it's a, it's a cool game, Flipnik, but very broken up. You, mm. It's not it's not going to be a smooth play. You might not get a lot of satisfaction out of it. If you get in a, in a good good stretch, then you're good. But if you unlock anything or hit something that you're supposed to, it just goes to these cutscenes and, and really bogs it down. Mm-hmm. Speaking of legend and speaking of fantasy and speaking of Camelots and things like this, yeah. I was talking up my systems that were S-Video. Okay. So the PlayStation 2, I went out S-Video. PlayStation 2, I think you can also go out composite. Yeah, you just you just uh, need to have the the proper cables, which uh, some of the games took advantage of of the full like sixteen by nine. Well, almost sixteen by nine. It has a little bit of frame around it, and the Saturn, which can also do S video, and the Dreamcast. Yes. Of course, you needed the breakout box by a third party to hook it up to either your PC monitor, uh, which you could do many of the games, or there were about ten percent that that wouldn't work on there. But most of the games you could play on a on a regular. Um, VGA monitor or S video. So I hooked this up S video and on the Dreamcast I was looking through some of my pinball games and I have quite a collection of Dreamcast titles. And one game that I never knew was a pinball game was Neo Golden Logris. Right. Of course. Neo Golden Logris. I do not know. <laughs> because it features on the cover like a lady on a horse with a sword. Yeah. And, and she's looking over a valley. And speaking of bad video game uh, <laughs> cover art, I'm surprised that we didn't come out. And it's also a splash screen. So the cover is the splash screen of this pinball game. Classy. And this pinball uh, machine uh, emulation type of thing has three different tables to choose from. One of them is Camelot. The other two are forgettable. Yeah. Uh, just like uh, Camelot is as well. They all are pretty much the same. But you build up like your power meters and then people say things but it's a static screen and it's a whole table and it's a whole like vertical table so it's it's very small Mm. for some reason when i'm playing this game i feel like i'm playing it on one of these old timey tilt games where you try to get the marbles in the the, the, one you get a general store or something or or like out of a wishing well at a at a uh Perkins. Okay. Remember when Perkins used to have witching wells and you could just grab toys out oh, of them? Oh, no, I don't. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was that was some fun times. It's this, it's this horrible eatery that anyone over the age of 80 must go and eat at every single day and sit there for like six or seven hours. But they used to have a wishing well where they'd have all these plastic 
toys, you know, like spider rings and lobster right. claws and things like this. But you didn't have to <clears throat> spend any tickets. No, you didn't. for free. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, of course, all the teens picked things out that they wanted and, you know, rubber snakes. But Neil Golden Logris, I think, came out of one of those wishing wells, except <laughs> that you play it on your television. And right. it really feels like, you know, it's tiny. But a lot of multi-ball action happens, and it's not bad. And you might already own it because you probably picked it up thinking it was a role-playing game. Right. Uh, you know, you picked it up for 50 cents when uh, when the Dreamcast went under. But that's about it. It doesn't, definitely doesn't uh, harken to any of the, the newer type of pro pinball emulations or things like that. Well, you know, speaking of multi-ball, let's talk about the Mars table oh. for pinball FX slash Zen Pinball. For the right, place, which of course has multi-ball in every single game no. that you play uh, see, for the Zen Pinball. We had this discussion on the way back home from Otumwa. I believe, and I, I could be wrong. You are wrong. But I believe that this is the first table to feature three balls in its multi-ball, whereas every other game prior only featured two in its multi-ball. And I think that you're incredibly wrong. Well, I think so. I'm what? Right. So, what is the correct answer? Me. And moving wait, on from that, did you wait? I thought. Did that you play the Mars table? I thought that you brought this up so that you could so you could settle the argument. I did. I'm I'm correct. You're wrong. <laughs> did you play Mars? Did you play that? Did table? You, play, you played Tesla earlier. I did play I, Tesla. Wait, did you play Tesla recently? <laughs> yes, I played Tesla <laughs> okay. recently. All right, good. Yeah. And, and How'd you know? Is this, this hologram thing worth two, two yeah, ways? It, it does. Okay. So, uh, you know, I was spying on you. So, did you get multi-ball in there? I did. And how many balls? Two. All right. Well, maybe you're right, which is odd. I, I'm just saying, I do believe that this is the first Let's get pinball. stinky to settle this. All right, we'll find out. Where is he? I don't know. How's he been since the whole uh, incident? <laughs> That's why I was brought in holographically, correct? <laughs> to see the, his child. <laughs> the child is yet to arrive, but TT says that it is still coming. Okay. It's not yeah. very tinny and hollow. I don't know what's going on in there. A couple nuts and bolts fell out, but... <laughs> anyway, so anyway Mar- moving on. Mars table came out. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> It's cheap. We say this every time. If you got I talked pin- about it. Yeah, if you oh, yeah, I talked about it. If you have pinball effects, definitely pick these two tables up. Gotta buy them. And the cool effects with the gravity. They'll turn the gravity yeah, off yeah, and yeah, the ball neat. will hover around it. I don't yeah. think you touched on that last time. No, not really. That's really cool. Yeah. That was cool. So it's a fun table. You'll have fun with that. Yep, yep. And speaking of fun games. Yeah. Birthday just passed. Fun day. Some g- games came in as gifts. Yeah. And you gifted me a very fun game. I, I know that you're not a big fan oh. of your PSP. Right. Wanted to give you some action on air. One of the hottest titles on the right, PSP. Right, but I haven't had a chance to dive into it. So let's talk about the other game you gave me. Oh, you jerk. Ice Road Truckers. <laughs> the mini for uh, PlayStation 3. PlayStation 3 and PSP. PS3. Yeah, PSP, rather, yes. Yeah. But you can play the minis on your PS3, which I can only imagine would be amazing in sure. HD. I think we've talked about this, the Penn & Teller game for the, what was that, the uh, Sega, uh, Sega, Sega CD. Sega CD. And, and the, uh, the bus to nowhere, the desert yeah, bus to nowhere. Exactly. Well, well for, first let me say this, yeah. that I wanted to get you Everyday Shooter. Okay. Because it's such a great game for the PSP. And in order to get you these things without having to, you know, ship you an actual something, something, right. or just send you money and say, go get this from the PlayStation Store. PlayStation Store, you can't gift anything yet. 
Sell. You give people gifts, yeah. yeah. So what you have to do is go on Amazon, and Amazon will sell you downloadable codes. Yeah. And you buy it for yourself, and then after you buy it and it's in your library, you can say, email code to a friend. Okay. And that's how you do it. So you can get things for your PSP or your PS3 and mail them to friends as gifts, but you have to do it through Amazon. And you have to buy it for yourself first, then email the code. So I was going through there looking for Everyday Shooter. They only had it for the PS3. So I said, okay, what, what else do we get? And as I'm scrolling through all these, and to search for downloadable games is crazy, too. So I did a search for a PSP download code, and then I started getting some things. And I'm going through all these games, and I could not believe that Ice Road Truckers, a show that I Who yeah, watches I, I this hate. show <laughs> yeah. to begin I mean, with? Listen, I have all the respect for people that have to do this. This yeah. is amazing. It's dangerous. It's not entertaining. You're driving across ice. You don't even know if there's a road under it. It's very, very hazardous. No one's around. Right. But I don't want to watch a television show about it. You don't want to watch 22 minutes of it. Why don't I just watch ice? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of these shows. There's the Ice Road Truckers, the... Deadliest Catch. Deadliest Catch. Which is actually, you know, I mean, for as much as I don't want to watch anything about fishing or fishermen, that at least has some life interesting things. drama there. Yeah. People getting hit with crab things and they curse at each other. So, right. you know, that's kind of... in the face. But this is, you're alone on a, in, in a, you know, a truck. Yeah. Uh, driving across ice. No, wait. Are you describing the game or the show? Because I think you've hit both. I, re- I so when I saw this, I knew I have just got to, because you said that one Christmas. Yes. you really wanted Yars Revenge or some some big some, hot any title. Any other Atari game other than what I received? And you got Journey, The Escape. Yeah, so I wanted to make this as sensational a gift. I as, was definitely as having those nostalgic trucker. feelings. <laughs> Um, like I said, I don't know who the show is for. I don't know who this game is for. Uh, you you drive in a straight line on ice, and you try to get a good score from going to point A to point B. And are you serious? There's though? very minimal turning. Like what? Happening. Like is there a walrus that comes in your road? I mean, do you try no, to catch fish? No, there's really no obstacles. Um, but you have to keep the truck at a certain speed. It can't go too fast, and it can't go too slow. Is this a one button game? Uh, I guess you use the stick to steer a little bit. Like okay. I said, that desert bus. Yeah, you know, I was feel like at least. I mean, that game didn't even come out. No. That's what's funny. This game but, came out. Yeah, right, right, right. Who they make this game for? Number one, does anyone play minis? You have a PSP. Yes, it's the most powerful handheld right now, right. outside of the emulators. Okay, yes. And, you know, those are questionable. But, I mean, it blows away the, the iPad or the iPod and things like that. It blows away the, the graphic capabilities of the, the DS, yes, which is like in far. its 90th you know incarnation of the same right. power engine. So it's the most powerful thing. Why would you play a Mini when you have a library of games that graphically and, and every other way blow these things away? I uh, highly recommend missing any minis (laughs) and then the other thing about the minis is they're playable on your ps3 who has this hd thing (laughs) that could do 3d and you know maybe that's what hurt it so much maybe the experience on the 42 inch toshiba flat screen television really just destroyed the game (laughs) it's insane that you could do these types of rinky dink i don't know anyone that would want to Take the time to develop for it. That's the thing is that downloadable games now are so beyond this. Yeah. Like so beyond these minis. PSP games that are downloadable 
for your PSP Go. That's a exactly hot, hot piece of hardware. Yeah. Uh, far, far beyond that. I, I, I agree. I don't know. You know, what's the business model? <laughs> For they, these I know they want to compete with the iTunes store. They they think we can release these inexpensively. But you don't buy the most expensive handheld that you can, made by a gaming company. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the iPod is, but that's just a, a remake of the iPhone. Right. So, so those minis would work on a phone, you know what I mean? Sure. They would work on there. But they don't work on your handheld device that was built for hardcore gaming. Well, they do work on there, and that's the problem. <laughs> and on your PS3. Yes. Yeah. I just plunked down the most money that you could buy, spend for any console to play minis. <laughs> anyway, so it was a good joke gift. And yeah. since I have you here, yeah. holographically, let's talk about a, a game that we've both played holographically. This, I, and, I still feel tingly, by the way. Yeah, Is that normal? Or? I, I, didn't, I didn't go the other way. Getting some rads? It should be all right. Hit with some rads? No problems. Okay. Need some rad away? Keith is giving me the thumbs up. Oh, well, oh in that us. Case, yeah, I, can see I can see him. Uh, nice hair. <laughs> he, he is a fashionista. And very nice American Eagle shirt. I just want to say, very patriotic. <laughs> uh, the Spider-Man game. Spider-Man. Games. Now, if you don't know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Spider-Man. But I, I don't think anything could get me back into the Spider-Man gaming since probably Spider-Man 2 for the PS1. Okay. Yeah, that was probably the last Spider-Man game I I paid money for. Was that that NeverSoft one? <laughs> you know, who knows? You, you can okay. swing like Spider-Man on yeah. the first one, and then the second one was more the same. Mm-hmm. Tony Hawk Pro Spider-Man. Exactly, and that's how the series went. Nothing, nothing changing. But I heard good things about the last Spider-Man game. What was it called? Uh, Prototype. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we've reviewed Prototype yeah, that's plenty enough, of times on this that. show. Uh, and I, I saw that sort of hitting the discount bins now, Prototype. No, Spider-Man, you know, Suits of Shadows Past or something. Shadow of Web. Web of Shadows. Something like Spider-Man that. Web of Shadows. And I heard good things about this. People say this is a good game. You feel more like you're, f- you're swinging through the city than any other title and things like this. So I've been seeing ads for this Spider-Man Shattered Dimension. And you know me, I am not one to ever buy a new game full price. I need to get big discounts or whatever. Sure. Best Buy had a special that if you buy any $60 game, you get another game which actually had new titles like God of War 3, mm-hmm. like UFC 2010, which wow. might not be new to you, but they're, I mean, sure, beginning of summer. Newer, yeah. You know? And they had 60% off another game. Okay. 60% off God of War 3. $24 for God of War 3. No. I think it's a good deal. So they had this special. I said, ah, okay. Well, how did I get $50 to begin with? It's my it's my air conditioner. My air conditioner broke. Uh, okay. I had purchased the... Owning a home, you get the warranties on everything. Of course, we're out of air conditioner season. Yeah. So now I have... $200 in Best Buy money. We have $200 worth of air conditioners <laughs> yeah. that you've converted to Best Buy money. Exactly. And so I bought Chiz an alarm clock that she wanted. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just going to go out and buy this Spider-Man because I really wanted to get back in a Spider-Man game. But what would bring me back? Spider-Man 2099. Do you remember this, kids? Am I the only person that loved Spider-Man 29? 2099 was a series by Marvel, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And they had early Do- 90s. Early 90s. They had Doctor Doom 2099, Spider-Man. X-Men. X-Men. 
and I think that was it. There might have been one or two more. Well, there was just twenty ninety nine. Sure, was its own series. Then, so these things were you know Marvel reimagined in the future, and Spider Man could glide a bit. He had an electric. Batman Beyond was. Oh wait. But here you can see now, because wow, you're, hey, you're in real holographic. I actually have a Spider-Man 2099 doll. That's very nice. Which does not at all look like the Spider-Man doll <laughs> repainted with the 2099. Because Spider-Man 29, from what I remember, did not shoot webs out of underneath. Doing the his, I love you sign yeah, language. which this guy is doing. I thought he did it from the top of his hands. But anyway, uh, you know, he's... he's he had a, the Punisher skull. He had the skull on, on his, on on his okay. spider, which is just, you know, awesome. And futuristic, but he's blue and red. He is. You'd think he'd be like black and silver or something right. like that. Or exactly. He maintains some of the George spidey. Jetson. So when I thought, man, I'm going to be Spider-Man 2099, this is the closest I'm going to get to a 2099 game ever. Sure. Unless this comes back, this franchise. No. So you can actually <laughs> be, what happens is Madam Web is here and, and she takes you through four different Spider-Mans. And you can unlock other costumes if you want, crap like that. So you can be Spider-Man 2099. Who's regular, prominently featured, too. He's the first. Yeah. Regular Spider-Man. A dude called Spider-Man Noir. I think that's uh, what he's called. That's not based off a comic or anything, right? he might be. I don't know. Never heard I don't of know, him. though. Uh, if he is, it's pretty cool because yeah. it's sort of like the 1920s, 1930s Spider-Man. He just wears mostly leather with goggles. And yeah. He's, he's pretty cool, but he's a Spider-Man as well. So he does webs and does stuff like that. And also Ultimate Spider-Man, who wears the alien suit. The symbiote suit. Sim- symbiotic suit, yeah. The yeah. symbiote, the, uh, you know, Venom or whatever you want to, uh, later when, when Venom got, hey, you know, I'm, this is getting too geeky. But anyway, I picked this up thinking, you know, it's going to be as solid a title as they say that this Web of Shadows was, and it's kind of all over the place. Okay. I learn how to do things, and as soon as you're learning how to do things, as soon as you become Spider-Man Noir, and you played this against Hammerhead, you beat Hammerhead for me, they really tried to jam as much as it, not only did they try to jam all the Spider-Mans into one thing... A comic book mark is going to go absolutely nuts when they see Madam Web there taking you through the different dimensions because they show different Spider-Mans in this web. Right. And even the one person that blew my mind that was on there, uh, Peter Parker points out, he said, is that, is that, a, and I don't want to blow it for anyone in case you get to rent this or something. And so just for seeing that in a video game, not, not only seeing Spider-Man 2099, just a picture of this other thing, and if you can unlock that one Spider-Man, that would be amazing. But I don't, I don't want to go any further into it. Um, Spider-Mite? I don't know. No, if Spider-Mite, exactly. <laughs> be, on the same level as Bat-Mite being in an Arkham Asylum game. Yeah. Speaking of Arkham <laughs> Asylum, <laughs> when you are Spider-Man Noir, you yeah. are in a very noiristic type of setting, of course. It's all like almost sepia tone. And you have to hide in the shadows. And go on you, gargoyles. You... you Go on things that have a little yellow arrow. That means that you can web to them or grapple hook to them. And then you have to be stealthy and... And You're doing the shocker challenges. You are doing those. You are trying to find the Riddler spiders (laughs) that are throughout the land. And this is not a joke. These are all things that you actually do in here. Hammerhead is talking to you over a PA, taunting you. Find him! Why can't you find him? Uh, And he's a freak. You're a freak just like me, he says. Almost. 
he says yeah. something very similar to that. And he goes, it, why so it is, serious? It's Arkham Asylum with Spider-Man. Yes. Now, is that a bad thing? Well, the controls are a little Activision-y. I don't know who developed this for Some Activision. Bobby Kodak splatter all over this game. It's, it's kind of, the, this is an unfinished title. And it, it looks nice, though. I gotta say, it, it looks, looks like a nice. Fanta- game. It's gorgeous when you're swinging through the city. The, now, the original Spider-Man, when you're in that suit, it has sort of a. Uh, they, they started working on a cell shading with that, and, yeah. and a little bit of black outline. So that happens. But the city looks great. The graphics look great. The enemies are fantastic. When you're Spider-Man 2099, uh, as soon as you do the first opening, that you can choose where you want to go. Do you want to do a regular Spider-Man? Do you want to do a um, yeah. As soon as you play through the Craven level, that sort of teaches you as regular Spider-Man. Right, and it was cool to see Craven. You know, he didn't kill himself at the end, but it was it was pretty neat. You're going through the jungles once again. Hard to do some of the things. There's a very convoluted control system. You unlock different abilities, just like the Batman games. Right. When you're doing a Craven thing, you really realize that there are a lot of quick time events going on. You realize that. Uh, yeah, this is God of War happening here. I'm I'm also God of War. And then at the end of the Craven, a new play mechanic is introduced where you're punch out all of a sudden. Yeah, that was strange. Or was condemned. Very... You know, condemned Mirror's series. Edge thing happening. Exactly. You're you're doing a fist fight and you use the dual stick controller First to person. do fist fights. Sometimes it works and most of the time it doesn't. And then when you do 2099, the opening, the big splash for this is against Hobgoblin, which is quite different than the Hobgoblin you know from the regular universe world of Spider-Man. Much cooler. More like Iron Man Hobgoblin. And You know what I like? Yeah. That he talks and his mouth doesn't move, but he changes expressions. Very cool. <laughs> I do like that. It's, I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not being facetious. Well, he's actually. using some type of nanotech type of uh, right. armor it's technology. It's, it's really, yeah. It's so, like, his face will change, but when he's talking to you, if you think about, like, the movie, the way they did Green Goblin, yeah. he wears a helmet. Right. It's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it might have borrowed from that because what didn't that movie borrow from? Yeah. But <clears throat> that's getting off topic. That's We Talk Movies, which I think someone, one of our fans already took that. Ouch. Yeah. But getting back to 2099, this was a big moment I was waiting for. Sure. I really am Spider-Man 2099, so that's cool. But it starts out and really hammers home the God of War because instead of flying up mm-hmm. after whoever, Icarus or whatever, I can't remember what you're flying up through that volcano for. Or that big cave when you right. do the demo. But you're flying down through a futuristic city. But that's different. Spider-Man. <laughs> you're going down. And you're flying after him. You're and then, falling. And when you speed up and when you catch up with him and press the right button, you quick time event, smash on the square button to punch him, and then you keep flying through obstacles and things like this. And it's the same as the God of War when you're doing that, uh, even on a demo. Another thing on the minus column... Uh, you know, this is probably the most hyper-realistic type of Spider-Man I've ever seen. You know, uh-huh. you, you have it has pretty dark parts, like like the noir parts, even though it's you know uh, an obvious ripoff of some Knock other play off, mechanics. If you will. Yeah. yeah, but that notwithstanding, you know, it's pretty dark. It's pretty sinister. People are using adult words. Everything looks good. The villains want to kill Spider-Man, and some levels are very very moody. So. It's all this hyper-realistic type of direction, and then all of a sudden, Hiya, true believers! It's old, good old Stan Lee! Hey, look at Spidey now! Oh my gosh! He's going against his toughest villain! And it's like, ugh. Takes you right out of it. 
Yeah, you sound a little weird now. I don't know what's going I, on with this thing. I gotta be I feel a little weird. All right, well, anyway. If this was like your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man swinging around and waving his hand like the 1960 cartoons or something like that. And I love, you know, Stanley's fine. I, I, we, we can go on and debate about his relevance in comics uh, uh, till we turn blue in the face. Sure. Uh, and I don't mind him making cameos in all the dumb Marvel movies that they make. But here, I'm really getting into the story, and then him as a narrator just throws it all off. Now, in the plus column, yeah. the Jack voice... Kirby's there to completely... Uh, <laughs> I wish, I wish Jack Kirby was there. everything Stan Lee says. I wish Jack Kirby was there. That would be, that would be awesome, but they'd have to dig him up. Bad, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's one thing about Stan Lee. He's still alive. Yes. Um, as of this recording. But on the redeeming side, That's the winner. You still sound a little odd. Dude, uh, I, I'm telling you, I right. feel weird right now. Okay. On the redeeming side, they have redeemed Deadpool, uh, the real wise, cracking, unkillable psychopath. I believe one of his exact quotes when Spider Man punches him, he says, Ow, my uterus. So we have back that psychopath to try to redeem the. Uh, yeah, just the, like Rhino Reynolds played him in uh, that Wolverine movie. <laughs> Wolverine or. Hey, let's make the most comical loudmouth in the Marvel Universe have no mouth. That makes sense to me. Great idea. Hollywood. Again, this machine is sparking. Is that safe? You know know how this is all going to end, don't you? I don't. Anyway, speaking of how it ends, if you didn't think that this was stealing and grabbing and clawing from other franchises already here to with mentioned, wait till you get to the final level. The Joker's there. Close. I, I, won't blow, I won't blow it for anybody, but let's just say you will immediately recognize the level and even the mode of trying to get to the last boss before he lets the light shine in. So I've already said too much. Sure. So uh, draws on other games, that might be a good thing, might be a bad thing. The controls are kind of sketchy throughout the entire game. Yeah. They're, they're frustrating for their controls. Not as smooth as Batman. That works first Batman person and bit. First person is hard rough. to do. Looks great. It looks first good. Person looks it just amazing. Was rough. The controls were never really fleshed out and finished on this game. And I think they're on a time schedule for these Spider-Mans. They, they come out pretty regularly. So, discount title, yes. Huge comic book fan. Of course, you totally, probably already totally have it. it. But and you're writing neat. us an angry email because yes. you think it's, it's great. It's the greatest thing ever. No, it's not. It's yeah. it's not the greatest thing ever. It's not greatest me. thing since that last <laughs> Dragon Ball Z game I played. <laughs> uh, you know, I'd love to get back into that series. It's just so would I. I love that series when I was as soon kid, as it went 3D. <laughs> as soon as it went 3D, I, yes. I didn't I didn't care for. It. I I loved the 2D on the Super, Super Famicom. Famicom. That was yeah. great. It was really good fun. times. Yeah, good times. Good times. Got anything else for us? Hey, We're man, almost talking about hour. franchises we Hell love. Oh, macro. Let's talk about a franchise I love. You hear about this Metroid? Did you hear about this? This Metroid game? Um, Other M, of course. Uh, yeah, the sequel, Metroid 2. <laughs> Have you heard about this game? For the Game Boy. Return of Samus. Black and white. I've been waiting years or for this, the sequel to my... Green uh, Green. No, um, I've played this before, but I'm, I actually jumped back into it. <laughs> it was on my Amazon wish list. Somebody was nice enough to get that for me for my birthday. Okay. So I've been playing it, and uh, I love it. I, you know, it's, it's really amazing. Even going back then, I think the game holds up. I don't know if... You remember some of the old Game Boy games you put in the uh, Super Game Boy for your Super Nintendo? Sure, sure. And it would sure. change it to color? Yeah, yeah. Or... Close to being yeah, a full-color game? Well, it, it used the color palette that the developers wanted you to see. Right. Well, this game, I'm playing it on my uh, Game Boy Advance SP. The okay, so you phone. can choose. And poof! No, I didn't even choose a color. Oh. 
poof, Samus is uh, golden and red. And really? And the background so is new. blue. So it, that must have been in the, in the code that, you know, these are the colors to use. Well, it, probably in the code of the Game Boy Advance, I would think. Right. Well, I love the Metroid series, and I'm enjoying the game. It's definitely amazing what they could do with the limited hardware, because mm. it is a very convincing Metroid game. A lot of people, in hindsight, have said it's, it's very linear in the series, which I agree with. Pro player tip, when you start, go right, get all your stuff. Yeah. Then, after you get all your stuff, go left. And that's pretty much it. The whole premise of the game is you're going and killing Metroids. And there's a counter on the bottom of the screen when you go through it. Again, this is an old game. I believe it was $8 or $9 when I had it on the Amazon wish list. There's a lot of great Game Boy games out there for cheap. Some not cheap. But, yeah. you know, like something like Metroid or Donkey Kong 95. These yeah. are games that are definitely worth revisiting. And they, work. And they hold up. They yeah. hold up so well. This game really holds up. And people have said it's linear, but I'm looking at it through the eyes of, I haven't played this in a long time, and I'm not going to use an FAQ. There's plenty of exploration happening. It's just not as deep as the original was, mm-hmm. but it's still a lot of fun. I've talked about it a lot of times on the show. I love Metroid. It's a great franchise. And the ending of this game actually plays into the recent game. Yeah, Other M. Now, Wiggly Cito and I broke this game out the other day. We cracked the seal on it. And well, we only just started. And I got to tell you, you need some time. You need some popcorn. Right. Tons of backstory. Tons of stories. I heard it was pretty fans. heavy in the narrative. And that's fine. Right. It's just that you want to know. And so you sit through this. It's a mix of both the previously rendered CG... And then they try to tell some of the stories with polygons live off the the Wii. Okay. And the problem with this is, is that the rendered CG stuff, you think, this looks like the Xbox or the PS3 can do live. And then when it goes to the in-game type of graphics telling the story, you're like... This game really Looks should like not be on the Wii game. anymore. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really sad because it it sort of self shows. Because if you would just look at the the polygons going on this title before we get into gameplay, yeah. If you would just look at this, you would say, this looks pretty good. Until you would compare it to a PS3 game or an Xbox game. And then you would be like, oh, it it looks quite dated. Well, they do it for you. Nintendo does it for you. You don't have to look at another system. You're looking at these great, you know, CG rendered things. Which, I gotta tell you, I think they toned down some of the CG rendering stuff. So it wouldn't be such a a, a dynamic shift. But all, all in all, it looks pretty good. And I was very shocked that when you turn it on... It just shows one Wiimote. Mm. It's a Wiimote sideways. Okay. And I was like, wow, this is going to be cool. I love games where I'm not barked at to plug the nunchuck in right. and then I have to do it with the nunchuck. Because I like things that utilize the sideways Wii control. Now, how does the game. 3D work with the uh, D-pad there? Well, this is it. It's mostly a 2D game. You're mostly okay. running down 2D corridors in 3D space. It's right. a little angular. But then when you want to go into first-person view, you point the Wiimote at the screen and it knows right away. Okay. It knows right away that you're pointing the Wiimote at the screen now, and now you just point at where you want your gun to zap. Mm, okay. And that works perfectly. Okay, cool. Because, you know, you're you're standing still, and then you're just firing. Sometimes, when you're going back and forth between 2D and 3D, you're making the screen go whoop, 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 whoop. And it transitions kind of neat, too. It sort of bubbles out like with a fisheye type of effect. Right. But like I said, we just cracked the seal on this. We just cracked the first level, got to the first boss. Oh, you it like really it? really cool. It's really a neat game. I heard it's the voice acting deep. is terrible, though. 
the voice acting is you know what it was okay to me because yeah. maybe because I've played Kung Fu Rider oh. maybe because I played we'll get to that in a second other games that had far worse sure. you know mangled voice acting I didn't think it was that bad but it is very story heavy and the stories do break up the gameplay quite a bit but it's interesting you find out about Samus and that's about it but you can't hit home while you're in no the, home no home no home no home it says but that was kind of neat. I was happy to finally dust off the Wii. Sure. And that is, you know, any game that comes out on Nintendo, you sort of dust it off. Except, I got to tell you, Burned Out of Super Mario 2 didn't really, didn't really. Oh, I've Galaxy 2. Yeah, I've played that game before. Yeah, you weren't feeling that, huh? And yet that will stay before. at its price point till <laughs> the Wii. And same thing with Metroid. I mean, like I said, I love Metroid. But because I don't play the Wii so much, I'm like, is it worth it buying this game mm-hmm. and having it sit there? and collect dust right yeah. alongside the system that's right, correct, right. collecting dust. I wish it could be on the PlayStation 3. It's never going to happen. Like I said, that is the saddest part about this game. If this was on the 360 or the PS3, it would be a blockbuster hit alongside yeah. of the uh, things that are popular now, what it's called, Halo or something. Sure. It would be alongside the Halo. It would be, it would be <laughs> aside the, the God of Wars, you right. know? This would be right up there and... and Think of how gorgeous this game oh, could have definitely. been with that. But I was so happy to see it be a more 2D game. Because i, I got to tell you, I didn't really, I didn't spoil it for myself. I didn't know what this was about. I thought it was right. going to be another Prime type okay. of title. Which, you know, don't, get Prime a, don't get me wrong. No, Prime like is a Prime. good game. Yeah, all the Prime are I, very good games. I thought this is amazing for the GameCube. Yeah, you know? oh, definitely. Uh, I couldn't believe it. And even the Wii versions were very nice. They added a few more things. But I was so happy to, and relieved that this was just a Wiimote title. So. What's funny about Nintendo and Metroid, not to get too deep into this, was that the Metroid franchise, not it hasn't been shunned, but it's not the darling child that right. Zelda and Mario... Really, anything it's that... It's third. Yeah, it's... Well, I guess, but it's not one of the Miyamoto creations. Gotcha. So it doesn't get the same love. Right. I mean, that's why they gave it to a Western developer with the Prime series, is uh-huh. because they ju- it wasn't a huge hit in Japan ever. It was I see. more popular in the West. It just... <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a shame that it, it'll never come to a, a more powerful console. Who knows what the future will bring for this franchise. I am interested in it. I know a lot of people are like jazz and hype about Team Ninja working on this game. Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. me, Team Ninja might as well be Team Sonic, <laughs> in my opinion. Some but, well, they're hit or miss sometimes. Yeah, exactly. But what I've seen of the gameplay looked really interesting, looked good. But again, I don't know if I want to shell out the money for a game. I know I'm not going to play a lot because the system right. has the zero system burn is, right now in my yeah, life. Yeah, the system is... I think it's getting on people's nerves a little Long bit. in the tooth. Yeah, they're they're upset with their, their... Why are they upset with their Wii? I don't know. Carnival Games 3? Yeah. Maybe? A lot of shovel, that, shovelware. That what happened to the Nintendo seal of quality? Yeah! Where's JLN? I, oh! Fester's Quest Wii. There you go. That would actually work. You had a gun. Yeah! Staying on track with yeah. franchises I love. Yes. Sam and Max, have you had enough of this? I'm sure our listeners I can't have. wait for more Sam and Max news. I can't wait till next month to hear more about the next episode and the month after that and the month after well, that. Well, I hate to break it to you, but yes. this is the last episode of the no! season. Sam and Max, episode five, The City That Dare Not Sleep. Okay. Nice big wrap up. And the best part about this game, Wiggly? Yeah. Best part about it? Yeah. The introduction. Okay. Because it was a complete knockoff of Space 1999. 
I'm intimate with that series. Yes. I have the as puzzle. As am I. In I fact, have the puzzle. I've made a song. As so- well, yes. Tribute song to that. As soon as I saw the intro, I had texted you saying that you'll never believe it, but they spoofed Space 1999. How many people do you think will actually know? I will. <laughs> Me and you, pretty yeah. much. But I got to tell you, uh, and I want to say it publicly, your uh, variant yeah. of the Space 1999 theme yes. far superior to the one that was played for the year. It kicked uh, ass. It was very good. I, you should play it like somewhere it. Okay, on this maybe episode. I maybe I will. Uh, uh, well, so let, me yeah, tell you, big, let me tell you my favorite part of Space 1999. Yeah, the ways of the people looking. Was it all the dialogue that bored me to fall asleep? <laughs> No, it was the like, woman who turned into so a bird. I loved the woman that turned into the different animal things. Sure. And uh, I loved their zapper guns. Yes. Whatever you call those N, the N's that they held in their hand. the Ray guns. Uh, lowercase N's. I loved those more than phasers. I loved them more than any other types of guns I've ever seen in any sci-fi uh, television show or movie. They were cool. And not only that, I had a squirt gun. Of the Space 19... I branded Squirt Gun of the nice. Space 1999. Not a gun. lot of toys out of that series. I see. I still have the puzzle. I'll yeah. show it to you when we get down here. It's like cool. it's like the main dude... Holographically. The main dude who you would call, I guess, my weird, creepy uncle. <laughs> and um, he's there, and a doctor that was a little too old, but like a younger Dr. Joyce Brothers. Yeah. She's on the cover, and they're like fighting the Metaluna mutant. I was like, I never saw this episode. Normally, it's just people you know, going through marriage... Right. It was love boat in space. Through, through, through the moon. You know, the moon's flying through space. Definitely check out the uh, intro, though, on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Because it's very to, funny. To what? Sam and Max or to Space 1999? Well, definitely watch both for you can see the comparison. There's, watch, there's a long Space 1999 right. and a shorter one. Watch the long one. Yeah. And watch all the quick edits with mm-hmm. people doing nothing. Right. And there's a lot of they fast, yeah, fast breakaway cuts. To nothing. People just turning their head quick. Perfect and it, hair. And what's funny about it is Sam and Max paid homage to that. I don't know why, because the, the episode itself was actually about a giant city-crushing monster. Oh. Max gets turned into a giant city-crushing monster, and Sam and a team of people need to go inside of him and reverse this process. Okay. And... At first, I was like, ah, oh, again, with the, it's called Sam and Max. Why am I not playing alongside Max? But Why is this a Godzilla movie? As soon Godzilla as, game. As soon as we got in, I started going through. It was a lot of fun. And, okay, I, good. and then you could switch out to the city-crushing monster and oh. you know, rampage around New York City. Great way to wrap up the, uh, the series, this season, I guess. And um, very interesting ending. A little, a little shocker. It might have been spoiled already, but I was shocked. Make sure you stay to the end of the credits. Definitely another season coming its way. I feel that I got my money's worth. I bought everything in bulk up front for, uh, what was it, $20? Right, right. I got all the episodes at once, and I had a good time. I had plenty to talk about, obviously, as you know, the past couple months. But uh, love it. Good ride. Love the franchise. So much so that as a birthday gift to myself, I bought the animated series. Not loving that as much as I did (laughs) the games. Yeah. But uh, definitely, the, it, it goes uh, the comic, Sam and Max Hit the Road, this uh, last season of Telltale, and then the animated series and previous seasons of Sam and Max as far as my, gotcha. uh, what, what people who are interested in this franchise should go through first. Speaking of Hit the Road, I, yeah. I gifted you another little thing here. I shared something with you from uh, back in the day there. And I hope I to hope get that, into that yeah. uh, next month, because yeah. that is uh, a, one of my all-time favorite 
point and click adventures that doesn't have Sam and Max in the title. Right. So we'll talk about more of that next month. All right. Let's talk about something very, very new. I wish I could get Tupai on, on here to ask him what the hell he was playing. <laughs> what he was talking about. Uh, I love Tupai R. Great PS3 correspondent. But I took the plunge immediately. Very excited about this. Counting down the days. Or, pre-ordered a month in advance. We have to assume that Tupai R played it in the most ideal and he conditions. Did. And I'm sure he did. And I'm sure perhaps in little chunks... And in controlled environments. games and controlled environments and controlled structure, that it, it probably worked exactly like you said. But uh, saw on Amazon last month, I think it was uh, August 11th, I ordered it. I saw iPad on there. Sure. Now, we've we've had... Manchi Chi for your PlayStation. Exactly. Now Gizmo. We, yes. Don't water him. No. Gremlins. But you do water him. I know. But he does turn into a gremlin. Kind of sucks. He does not. We had Rachel Moore on the show, and yeah. she said iPad she does not all over she it. Said, does not work like they say. She it does not have Mario's mouth. It does not have Mario in it, so it does not work. <laughs> uh, she does love Mario. She does love Mario, and that's okay. It's a good thing. You know, he's, he's kind of cool. Ralph, sometimes. not so much. No, not, not anymore. I don't know. He's hopefully on today's show. No one knows. Uh, Holographically. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring him in. Oh, my goodness. I'll chop him in the throat, get rid of that throat bubble. Uh, so, iPad saw it $37. Sure. Bundle, it was called. $37 bundle. What do you get in your bundle? iPad bundle, the okay. iPad game, yeah. and a, a uh, Wiimote. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh, the PS3, what do they call it? The Move controller. The Hitachi Magic Wand. The $50 Google Move Red. controller. You get for so $37, you get, you get the game the f- and the... $50. You get a $60 game and a $50 controller for $37. Well, $40 game. $40. $40, $40. Game. I, uh, I don't see how anyone's making money in that situation with Evidently, neither did Amazon because they must have pulled that bundle like the day after I bought it. Okay, and I ordered one extra controller because I thought, okay, we'll do two player. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get the uh, I'll get the sports champions as well. I heard that's the best. But I already had the camera for my card game, right? Which I still never I have opened judgment. cellophane on the yeah. I have uh, beholder judgment. So I had that. So I didn't want to buy the sports champion bundle. So I bought the iPad bundle, even though she said it was poop. It was something I was very excited for. It yeah. had this little. Because my, I thought this was going to be a replacement for my eyeball. I can't afford to get another freaking two thousand dollar eyeball. Just get you know? a purebred dog. <laughs> no, no. I like to be able to turn my dogs off when I go to bed. I got gotcha. you. And for it not to work, you know, <laughs> and get droopy head syndrome and then make me cry. So I got the iPad, the Munchie Chi thing, and let me tell you, the iPad number one, the iPad is for babies. But when I got it, yeah, when totally. I got it, it did not come as a bundle. I called Amazon. I said, "Look, go on my list, look at it. My my invoice says iPad bundle. When you click on the iPad bundle link that links to Amazon site, it goes to the iPad game only. The old switcheroo. <laughs> so they're sending me a fifty dollar controller for free." Nice. That's Amazon for you. Go to the Wiggly's Mini Mall. Click the same, links. Same thing as, as Amazon, virtually. But you're supporting the show in the process. Same type of return policy, yeah. same type of support. And you're you're helping me review games like this so that you don't have to go buy. So yeah. the move. So we, I did the iPad number one. One to one. Let me tell you about the iPad very briefly. Yes. You sit through this annoying doctor that tells you how to 
play a video game. Plug in your video game console. Pet get your owner parents. intertwined through fate. Get your get your parents to hook it up to electricity. <laughs> get a thirty amp breaker. You know, I mean, this guy go to the store, buy a game, pay for it on a credit card. You know, it's it's so over explained and horrible, and you can't skip this moron. Is your PlayStation plugged in? I think you get an achievement for enduring this <laughs> moron. Uh, but the, the, the doctor tells you how to do it. And you know what? Do you need a four-point lighting rig? Yes. Totally. <laughs> for iPad, you do. For the other ones, it just has to sort of see your, your device. But... Then, unbeknownst to you, it's taking your picture all the time, so yeah. you're like in this... And you can you know, see how much fun you're anything. not having. Yeah, you, you can't see anything, because then you turn your lights off. But I, I bought a like um, book reading lamp fairly inexpensively, because you need to light up your floor right. that you're playing with this iPad on. And you do need to sit a considerable distance away from your television. In fact, the sports champion recommends eight feet. Wiggly, I just want to go on record and say, you and I are too old to be sent, sitting Indian style in front of the television. I don't care what you I say. I had so many I'm, cramps I'm in my play play with, with this I'm going to iPad. play with my iPad. It's not perfect. But I'll tell you what, with the magic wand yeah. thing that you're using, <laughs> even though the floor doesn't look good. He likes getting pet with it. The iPad doesn't look that great. Having your hand wand turn into a blow dryer, turn into a, a toy. Oh, that's matched into, perfectly. It's amazing. Yeah, it that matches is the most amazing it's thing. It's not like it floats over the, like the object floats over the picture of your hand with the wand. Right. It maps it perfectly like it's over your hand that worked very well it did now the problem is that everything's going to be over your hands if you walk in back of your ipad you're it's right. going to be in front of you no matter what the perspective when you go to turn off this game the <laughs> ipad is on your belly and he's in the background on your belly it's, which is the best way to play the game breaks my the illusion. <laughs> but it really breaks it. and if you just want to leave your your camera on top of the television then it's completely it's floating in terrible. space yeah because the thing about this is you have to put it they say put the camera knee height. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, you have to put a knee height, and then you point the camera all the way down, right at your crotch, <laughs> and that's how you're supposed to play it. So you have to move the camera around. You don't play any other game like that, except well, you do. You do move the camera to play that card game. If I ever do it, they even give you like a tower yeah. to set it on top of. Okay. So we got the the games that says gathering. is the best the sports champions. Yes. Okay. We got that, and we went through this. We the only thing we didn't play was bocce ball, but we tried everything else yep did you feel like you were pulling back a bow and arrow no you do have to get the bow <laughs> out of your quiver you do i mean you have to get the arrow out of your quiver my, i wasn't calibrated right the first time so i actually had to take the arrows out of my throat <laughs> with the hand motion everything was a little odd yeah but to me it was about the same feeling that i get out of playing the um sports island Okay. It's a Nintendo One Sports Resort. Island. Sports Resort. Wii Resort. I gotta Wii tell you, I really, had a, I really had a fun time with Wii Sports Resort. I really like that. You know, I don't know the differences between the the, the under the Wii the Wii goiter that you put underneath. Sure. I, you know, Plus. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. But I had a lot of fun with that game. How about more this? fun than Sports Champion? Yeah. Yeah. So Sports Champion. So what else do we have? We have that. We did we the had, Gladiator. Did the Gladiator? That was we, the first uh, thing we did. We were wheezing after that. You can play two-player split-screen, and you can use two uh, magic wands apiece if right. you have four Shield and magic sword. wands. And that was the game that I was referring to, that if you play with style, you can see that it's a much different game. Yeah, it was actually more fun when you tried to 
dodge, parry, and yeah, and then jump, jump, and do yes. all the other moves that you could do, the more complicated moves. But if you just jump in and you just whack, 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 you can win. You yeah. can do it, and but it's not as fun as as learning nuances to the game. But you don't have to learn those, and that's what's that's what makes it a little bit broken. And even that was not that fun because it was more luck that I got yeah. into super strikes. Like I'm trying to jump, all of a sudden I'm starting my super strike. So the archery a little bit better than that. Then we tried the ping pong, and that might as well have been called, might as well have been called. Floppy wrists, crazy, nothing, no control at all. Uh, very weird, difficult. Maybe in time you can learn it. We also didn't do the volleyball. No, but why? Probably like the the ping pong. That's what I. That's why I was we scared. We were not by. having a good time. We did the frisbee golf. Yes, I frisbee was golf looked great, and I can see you getting pretty good at this. And you do have the little wrist flick at the end, even. And I did very well. I, you know, clobbered you. Yes, but you did better in the that other was, titles. That was better of the games we've played, definitely. And, and actually, the archery was kind of fun too. Yes. When, when you did the, I when clobbered the, you in that. You did, and when you did the moving targets and yes. things, it was like links. Across the trading, yeah. Yeah, except with pulling back and getting things out of your quiver added a new element to it and right. a new speed element. And that that's pretty much how that game worked. It wasn't so much accuracy as it was how many times can you hit the target in the time limit. Right. So that's kinda neat, you know. And I think if it would have went by accuracy they might have failed because I didn't really get that accuracy feel. Like when you do it with the Wii Sports Resort, there's breathing involved, and you only get the zoom for a limited amount of time, and the arc calculation, I get a little bit more of a sports resort. This is more of a speed type of thing. So all in all, sports champions. I highly recommend it if you want to play with uh, one of many racial stereotypes. Because <laughs> that's all this game It is riddled featured. with that. Yes, yeah. it is riddled with that. Uh, there, you, know, you can't get away from going with someone else that doesn't fit something. She yeah. knows karate of because course. she's Chinese. Yes. Jackson, he's balling. Yeah, he is Terrible. balling, Terrible. and he's you know bouncing in yeah. his in his rest. Yeah, he was jive walking. Yeah, in his rest uh, thing. But there was one game that looked so kitschy, looked good, so right up my alley that other people pooped on and and said was not so good. But it looked so in line with the things I like, and that is Kung Fu Rider. Because who doesn't want to do some type of downhill slalom game? Sort of in the style of um, Jet Set Radio or Jet Grind Radio, uh, except that you're on an office chair. So or you're on a vacuum cleaner. Childhood fantasy, rolling you know, down a hill on a chair. It has a really neat premise, yeah. but this game is only ruined by the move control. Yeah, you know, you know what would make this game a really great game is if it wasn't on the moon. Uh, moon. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't played on the it moon. It was on the moon. Uh, the move. Yeah. Uh, if you played it with a, a big boy controller, yeah. I think you'd have a lot more fun. It's really neat, and it's also ruined by the voice acting. It's terribly it's slow, too, for a, a downhill race to yeah, the end. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, slow. you are on a, a vacuum cleaner or yes. or an officer. That's all of the furthest we got. Yeah, we didn't we get the girl on the it. shop vac. Yeah, and oh, we got, and let's talk about the two-player element on that game. <laughs> we scored these on it. Now, on the back, if you look, it says one to two players. They also tell you that the motion controller is one per player. Now, the sports competition says one to four player, and it says motion controller one per player. But you need two when you go in there, you can use two the on them. Yeah. You know, it should say one to two. Per, so, number one, the, the packaging is... Oh, my God. That would Do be, the math on that. That is $50, $50 a, a piece. piece. Yeah. Wow. Ouch. 
So uh, the motion controller, one per player. Yeah. We finally got the two player to work. Yeah, we were confused because you can't pick two, you can't pick two player. You have to pick the person you want to be, pick what you want to ride on, pick the level, yeah. and then you choose like in this other weird menu, one or two controllers. Right. And I guess that's supposed to be the second player. Or maybe you're supposed to hold to yourself. I don't know. Right. But the second player is a hand. It's the clax hand from the... Yeah. <laughs> it is the clax hand. And the clax hand can pick up debris yeah. and, and throw, throw it. it. Kind of. And yeah. block the other player. Yeah. Well, that was a game. You don't really two-player anything. It, uh, you're the helper. So, uh, you're PlayStation Link's, move. You're Link's uh, fairy, right? Yeah, you and Link have that fairy. Your tingle. Yeah, your tingle. No, <laughs> it'd be a lot tingle. better if you were tingle. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, but you know, I'm sad. I'm so sad by Kung Fu Writer because it's so interesting. Again, interesting idea, poor execution. Because you could do 90 different moves. You you bend backwards, which is hilarious. Right. And the, the people's funny faces. You can spin around and kick. You could jump. That's what but broke to push it. yourself there was too much. To push yourself, you you waggle the the uh, PlayStation Move controller up and down but real quick. But to jump. And to jump, you push up. So it's Now you're already you up. Yeah. Because you're moving up and down and to push yourself. And then to sprint forward, you stab, which worked. Yes. But it's hard to remember all these things. Right. And then to do the duck you squeeze the trigger to do the spin kick you hit the move button is you know what's going to be the downfall of this and it, everything that right. it sucks well, it's probably. terrible number one but number two is that it suffers from the same thing that the wii suffers from where developers force all the control elements mm-hmm. into the game instead of just using what works for the game yeah so like kung fu rider it really doesn't need to be a motion game no and because it is there's too many you things to it. remember, and you broke this very interesting type of game. This could have been along the line of uh, Tomia Sana. Tomia Sana. You know, Wii Wii yeah. action and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, definitely. it wasn't one but an action, but no. you know what I'm saying? It's the same goofiness, the same fun. Yeah. It's lost. Uh, sports champions, uh, it's supposed to be like the Wii sports of uh, this hardware Big device. Of, of, you know, real-looking people. We're going for reality, right, it's, but we're not going for control. Exactly. And, and then the iPad is for babies. It is for babies. It's your price, but should never have, you know, geared. I mean, you can make things family friendly without making them pablum. So I got to ask you, is the Connect going to be worse? The Connect can only be worse. Sure. I cannot see the Connect selling at all. Instead of buying the Connect, I'm going to buy Connects. Yeah, exactly. That's what you should do. And have a lot more fun. And let me tell you something. This PlayStation Move, I think, is flying off the shelves right now. Right. I think that, well, uh, first day probably. I think the second day that this was out, you could have bought every piece of it used. Sure, definitely. At the, at the, at the local game store because I can't see this doing well in the long stretch. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see people buying this. I know that more ga- all these regular games are coming out with it, like Cellcom and yes. you know, Punching. and uh, uh, Heavy Rain, they're going to have rain a patch it, to use know. these controls but big waste of the developer's time in it, my opinion it might you know it. it might be okay it might be okay but i really don't see the move taking off at all especially with families except for these people that are buying it without knowing what it's well, like, think like how me. much money is is sitting on the table right now as we're i don't want to think of move. it i don't want to think of it but for that amount of money you could buy the wii yeah and several good games yeah and there'll be the several good games you'll only have like the wii sports wii resort you know, what else are you going to get? Link's crossbow training? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, there were more games for me to choose from, like um, the boxing type of game. Yeah. And where you're like a street boxer. And I was like, you know what? 
I don't want to just box. No. No, definitely for not. Thirty, forty dollars. You, you get the same feel with the gladiator game, anyway. It's just mm-hmm. instead of boxing, now you're clobbering people with hammers and axes and stuff. Right, but that's supposed to be like Fight Club or something. I don't know. Who knows? And it's all dingy and gray. And you know what? No, I agree. But the one to one, I don't really see it. The only place I saw it was when you know a tech demo. A tech demo on this stuff, I think, is perfect. Sure, games. Full games? No. Not yet. Bring back the bathtub full of rubber duckies, is what you're saying. Exactly. All right. Yes. I got to ask you a question. Is it normal for my stomach to hurt during this process? I don't. We've only Are you sure there's no radiation involved in this? I do have to wear this vest, but you don't. Why am I not wearing a vest? Because you don't have to. You're the hologram. Are we doing this with John for the council? We can. Yeah. Yeah, This would be great. Uh I mean, the sound quality. What's happening? I think. Uh, Oh. Kyle Von Kubik, Kyle Von Kubik. Okay, Keith, hey, let's open it up. Nick Montfort. Get him on the line, Keith. MIT! Nick Montfort! Nick, you're in a room, there's a computer in front of you, and Wiggly from We Talk Games is on Skype. There might also be some sort of light switch, I'm not sure about that. Uh, let's see, I would probably just uh, compulsively check my email. Uh, <laughs> Very good. While you're on I, Skype, I, think I better with... close that window. <laughs> I see, Nick. You you are a video game fan. You're a video game programmer. You're a game observer, a deconstructionist of sort. You're a gaming potential visionary, a fan of the interactive fiction, and a professor of digital media at MIT. Most of that sounds, if highfalutin, uh, basically right. Yeah. Right on. So that's why I have you on here. Plus, I think that you might even know a little bit more about Atari than Nolan Bushnell did. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that. I think Nolan knows some very different things about Atari. But I, with my collaborator, Ian Bogus, I dove into the Atari VCS or Atari 2600 and tried to look at what made that platform function the way it did in our culture, how it supported different types of video games being produced on it, how the technology related to the fun that we've had with the uh, Atari VCS over the years. And it was a fascinating investigation that was for our book, uh, Racing the Beam. Did you talk to a lot of programmers or you, you totally did this from a platform study, as you call it, perspective? Yeah, we did contact some people, and um, uh, not just programmers, but also uh, like the manager that was in charge of doing um, Empire Strikes Back and other games there. But our method really was to look at the games themselves and the technology of the VCS. So, you know, people take different approaches when they study things like film, books, and video games as well. And some people will do interviews and find out about the stories of uh, how the games are produced, what was the corporate culture like, what was going on there. And so, you know, we referred to things that, like uh, Howard Scott Warshaw had done, a video that's called Once Upon a Time at Atari, in which we have more testimony than we could easily gather unless we were going to make a documentary of our own Mm -hmm. about what Atari was like at the time. But what, what we really wanted to focus on was how the particular hardware design facilitated certain things, sort of constrained people in other ways, and uh, led to a huge number of games, you know, about a thousand games really over the years, being produced for a very long span of time. From, uh, from 1977 up until 1989, there's still commercial production for the Atari VCS. Commercial games are being made 12 years. And then people are still making games. Well, I, I guess your your book, uh, Racing the Beam, inspired Ed Fry's from Microsoft to create the Halo 2600. Yes, that was that was delightful. You know, one of the one of the many uh, great things about this uh, is that 
was something that I was particularly interested in, I think uh, Ian became interested in as well, in, in looking at the Atari VCS, is how ports of existing games are uh, not just clever, obviously, in this case, mm-hmm. but they're actually some of the most fascinating games that you can look at, because when somebody does a port, they take what is really essential about their experience of the game, what they find the most valuable, mm-hmm. and they put that into the new version that they're doing. So you look at something like Asteroids, uh, Space Invaders, Pac-Man, mm-hmm. all of these uh, games from Donkey the Donkey Kong when, it really yeah. comes to mind with that, that crazy yeah. take on Kong himself there. Yeah, the thing about it is that you know people have to make choices in those circumstances, like mm-hmm. having the attract screen and showing the monsters in Pac-Man. You know, is, is that what makes it interesting as a game? And um, from my standpoint, uh, yeah, that is actually sort of what makes it interesting because you get an idea of this cast of characters. It gives life to the experience that you're looking at. But if you want to put that on the Atari VCS and you only have a few weeks before Christmas to do it, you know, you s- strip that down into something that just has what you see as the basic functions. So the interesting thing about the Halo game for the VCS is that it participates in that as well. It says, well, what's, what's the, ex- the essential experience of Halo? What's it about? Uh, picking up weapons, uh, shooting people, that's there uh, in the game. And so it, it is a statement about what is fundamental about the game and, and what you can bring over, even when you're going to a very different type of platform. There's just something about Halo 2600. It's Ed Fry's interpretation of a fully realized, fleshed out polygon shooter, almost looks like reality or some type of virtual reality. And then Ed Fry's reimagines it back to an Atari 2600 game. And then if I think about trying to make a movie of the Atari 2600 game, it sort of goes full circle, and somehow it still ends up being Tron. It would certainly be something <laughs> different than uh, things we've seen you know, on the screen. One of the lessons also in looking at the, at the VCS, obviously it's, it's very different than today's gaming systems. Mm. You know, 128 bytes of RAM, typical uh, 2K or 4K ROM cartridge, and uh, most significantly, which the book's title alludes to, the, the fact that you have a scan line at a time that is set up. You don't have a frame buffer mm-hmm. to, uh, to actually do video. Right? All of these are very, even at the time, that was a pretty unusual design decision and certainly very different than what we have today. But every system has its own constraints. It suggests that you do things a particular way, not this other way. The Wii is a system that has a controller that was very innovative when it came out and is now you know, imitated and not tremendous processing power of other systems of its generation. And so there's a suggestion that you could make things that um, are similarly 3D worlds, but try this out. See if the interface nuances that you're provided with in the system lets you do something different. So every system, however complex it is, there's still certain things that the platform will sort of invite programmers to do and, and designers to work on. When you have a diversity of platforms, when you have uh, many different platforms in the marketplace that are doing different things, that becomes interesting because they're, they're doing work in different directions and new things are being uncovered. That's another thing that you focus on, I guess, is how the systems evolved and how the games are shaped by the consoles that they're developed for. Yeah, that's something that which I guess would be pretty obvious to anybody who's, who's programmed video games. To most people who play them, I mean, it's sort of significant when you're starting to talk about games. You think about, well, what system is this game for? But it hasn't been considered so much in new media studies because these ideas like genre, which the modern concept of video game genre didn't even exist in 1977. It's a, it's a sort of amusing exercise to try to figure out what the launch titles for the VCS, you know, what <laughs> genre were they in? Right, right. Uh, well, that, you know, that's, that's a bit of a retcon. They weren't, weren't around at the time. And they developed, you know, thanks to further 
games being produced. But what was there was platform and different systems with uh, with different capabilities, also different business models, mm-hmm. uh, different outlooks, and the way that Sega uh, set up its studios for Dreamcast production, for instance, was a very different model than more monolithic licensing and first-party production models in the past. And, and the way that Atari <laughs> just accidentally ended up starting third-party gaming, mm-hmm. no one had the idea, I at least never heard any suggestion that anyone thought, you know, oh, other people might make games for our system, the Atari VCS. I mean... Uh, that was that was uh, a completely uh, unimagined at the time. The company Atari in its, its beginnings is just a series of controlled accidents. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and so, I mean some of which are remembered, and some of which are really interesting and aren't. The uh, the Atari Video Music, a system that uh, was a light synth, you know, just generated the way that you have in you know Winamp or you know iTunes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, psychedelic looking visuals, right? They mm. produced that in a wood grained cabinet you know that would go next to your stereo and of course the yeah the success in the arcade wasn't entirely accidental bushnell had uh, tried something with computer space um, managed to get it produced but uh, it's too complicated for that and possibly other reasons that didn't make it so it was also you know a a story of uh of a lot of persistence uh hard work i mean people think of the atari corporate culture as being you know really uh, outrageous and radical and everything but those people worked uh on their projects, you know, a lot, uh, mm-hmm. and um, and they put a lot of effort into them. So it was also certainly a feat of uh, endurance and dedication, and uh, being willing to put the time in on the projects. Right on. One of the interesting things I think is that you mentioned the Wii, and of course, games have to be developed specifically for the Wii. I think to take full advantage of the Wii, and the Wii can do things that other systems uh, can't yet. But uh, even like the iPad, the iPhone, those those systems, or the Android, if you will, those systems have their own unique interfaces, and some things just don't translate very well, but the games that are created to utilize these interfaces really work a lot better. Because of the success of the Wii, a lot of people are clinging to this gimmick, gimmick, gimmick type of mentality. But preceding the VCS, you had systems that were released, your Pong systems, that had uh, different types of paddles, but they also had like a gun peripheral. And then when the VCS came out and that series of uh, systems in the, in the early 80s there, you had button-only controllers, you had number pads, you had trackballs, you had steering wheels, you had spinners, you had joysticks, you had control pads or control discs, which were kind of wacky as well. You had voice modules that came out, modems, and this went all the way back to the arcade. The arcades didn't just have a control pad on them. They had all different types of interfaces, and the games were developed for that interface. But the unique thing, uh, I think, about the NES that I've never heard mentioned before, and I'm not even sure that it's relevant, but I think the NES uh, brought back that light gun that I had on my original Pongs to play skeet with. So I I think that's uh, made it more interactive for uh, for the home consumer. Well, yeah, that and the robot peripheral uh, came with the NES originally, right? Yep, I uh, had also that. Part of a part of a ruse to get retail stores to stock what had been a catastrophic failure for them. They they weren't about ready to go back into video games after mm-hmm. the crash of uh, approximately '83. Yep, but uh, that was sort of the, the the robot was the Trojan horse for the NES. Um, and uh, it managed to, to slip back onto uh, shelves because people thought, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's mainly a toy. Ah, uh, gotcha. Uh, 
so I guess that, you know, when you think about all this diversity of different controllers, you always wonder, is it a situation where you have like a, some amazing period and then a mass extinction, you know, and uh, you've conventionalized on a very small number of uh, game pads that all look alike. I think innovation continues in different ways. I mean, certainly, yeah, the arcade, you know, you can build. That's one of the advantages that the Japanese are still taking advantage of mm-hmm. is you can build any type of controller that you want <laughs> onto that system. You're not constrained to um, either the cost for uh, and, and, you know, uh, ability to package it up for the home or a system that's cartridge-based or modular, you know, disc-based that, uh, yeah, it can have different peripherals, but there are going to be some limits. So I think figuring out which sort of controllers work and um, which ones are interesting, what, what's, you know, what's the essential things we want to be able to communicate to the game as we, we interact with it. That's something you see happening with the Atari VCS and a, a bunch of different peripherals, including the Joyboard, which is uh, made by Amiga and is a sort of uh, early version of the Wii Fit, actually. Oh, right, right. Um, yeah, you stand on it. Uh, Mogul Madness is the uh, only game really for it, but you could use it as a joystick. Sometimes you know, people ask me, well, where, where, where do we look? Where's the next innovative idea? And I'm like, well, it's probably an idea that's been tried, you know, eight or ten times already. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's just, what Nintendo's it done. Yet, but, you know, at yeah. some point. Yeah, Nintendo's done, you know, dual screens before. They've done their 3D before. They've done all these ideas that are now just catching on. Yeah. They've tried before. Yeah, Atari had a lot of holography patents in the 1980s, and there were, you know, true 3D games back then. There's just a lot of factors besides having a particular technical innovation. It has to be something that connects to ideas and passions of developers to make some things that are interesting. It has to be economically feasible. And so, you know, I mean, this is, I think that all of these things are more arguments to look back through the past, not just with the ache of nostalgia, but really with interest in what's happened throughout history, because trying to figure out all of those dynamics, despite the advance of technology, I mean, the world is not that different today from the early 1980s in terms of how the economy works and what our cultural values are and things like this. And looking back through the history of video games gives some insight into what's going on and how things are developing. And what brought you to video games? Oh, well, I played video games in the arcade and home systems when I was young and always been fascinated having really uh, encountered computers and begun to learn about them that way and also, you know, in home computing. Just been fascinated at the ways people would take computational power and do beautiful, uh, interesting, you know, compelling, interactive things with it. Whether they be uh, sometimes rendered just in text, you know, my my interest in interactive fiction is very strong, or in arcade home games, or in other sorts of productions and, you know, creative programming. What was your first home console? The Atari VCS was the first. What titillates you now? What do you really get excited about that you've seen in recent few months? Well, there's a a lot of things in different areas. I mean, I you know, I'm... uh, Halo 2600 is one of these because it uh, demonstrates this contemporary engagement with the console, not only making something, but connecting it to contemporary video game making. My uh, collaborator, Ian Bogus, did a VCS game called A Slow Year, actually a series of four 1K games, Mm -hmm. um, which is very contemplative, very slow-paced, very much uh, intervention in the way we think about Twitch gaming. And it's an interesting project to talk about. It's interesting to experience. And th- that things like that are still being done on the VCS, I, I find very compelling. I've been really interested in um, a lot of uh, recent interactive fiction activity, both games that are coming out and the community connecting a little more to mm-hmm. the outside world, or at least to other geeks who, who aren't already interested in interactive fiction. Sure. Yeah, uh, I see that as well. One of the ways that, that the community is connected has been uh, that Jason Scott finished his documentary, Get Lamp, 
I'm one of many dozen interviewees in there. And I think it expresses, you know, at least for the golden age of, uh, of interactive fiction, but also for the context, you know, leading up to that and, and today's games, what it is that people find really interesting about these games and that it's something that goes beyond historical accident, but, you know, an interest in reading and imagining and uh, the simulation of places and description. In terms of what's been happening in gaming, you know, I've been pleased to see the sort of, you know, art games and uh, indie developers, John Blow, Jason Rohrer. Frank Lands, all of these guys, you know, Mark Essen, I think his stuff is very interesting. I think one of the problems that gaming has had is that we now have a you know, huge industry uh, doing some really interesting stuff. But if you were to compare it to uh, film, to the movies, it's as if we almost don't have uh, any independent film equivalent. Mm. Uh, a few people are doing it, but we don't have the scale of effort and um, things going on in, in different countries, but also just independently and individually in the U.S. And there's not much recognition. You know, you talk to people who are interested in new media art mm-hmm. and exhibiting galleries, and for the mo- they may have heard of Mark Essen, but uh, uh, they may not even be aware of uh, what art games means right, and right. what that movement is. Yeah, there's so, no, no, no Sundance for the video game world. Yeah. There's roots of it. Yeah, and they, they get a nod at the. That's another, uh, that's another story because it's, it's, okay. it's this you know slam dance gorilla game makers event, but uh, right, right, should, yeah. and and and, <laughs> and, there, and there is you know they they did get a nod at the the Spike TV uh, Game Awards. I guess Flower won that. And we've had both. We've had yeah. Jason Rohrer on the show. We've also had that game company that developed Flower as well. There are things I appreciate about the AAA titles, but that's not really where my heart is in terms of. Uh, Gaming, I like to see things being filled out and people going in different directions and doing sort of, you know, maybe controversial, um, mm. radical, different projects, even if the, the quality of the art, the amount of investment, you know, in 3D modeling and so on mm-hmm. isn't there, trying to take us some places that are, uh, that are new and different. Yeah, well, we, we say it over and over and over. It's a mantra of this show that when I, when I look at like a pixel game, when I look at pixels running around, moving around, uh, and I think there's an interesting story about the VCS actually not using pixels, uh, which I'd like to hear about. But when, when I see pixels, that to me says video game. You know, yeah. I, 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 the other things are like uh, Mind's Eye and all the other LaserDisc uh, 3D <laughs> type of things that came out in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. What did you think of Heavy Rain? You know, I actually I haven't played Heavy Rain. Okay. I played uh, Indigo Prophecy and. I liked it. I didn't completely fall in love with it. And, you know, what I, just what I'd read about um, Heavy Rain didn't, uh, didn't make me go and buy the PS3 at I that see. point. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I'm, I mean, the, the main draw of that system for me is, the, is really much more uh, abstract sorts of gaming. I oh, mean, yeah, I, that definitely it, has it. It has things that yeah, yeah, I can't I believe they release in, uh, in the States. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think that's, that's, it's, it's, that's pretty fascinating that that's what, to me, that's you know, sort of defining feature of what that platform has been able to do. I think one of the most shocking things to me has been the Wii uh, and Cho Inoki coming showing up on there, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with that, it's the Super Big Brother, and they have the, the Turbo CD version, the PC Engine CD version. It's muscle-bound, oily brothers that uh, have holes in their heads, and they shoot laser beams, and their bosses are guys on toilets that have huge erections that shoot at them. It's uh, it's some really uh, saucy stuff. So when I saw it in a Wii store, I was like, "Wow, that's really something." Yeah, um, it's interesting because you look at in the United States, you know, you can you just go into a game store and just see what's available for the different platforms, and that tells you a great deal. Like, 
oh gosh, uh, everything on the Wii looks like it's uh, marketed at a five to eight year old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's the way that that console is leaning. But there are always exceptions. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There that and the and the, and the virtual the virtual consoles full of it as as well as the uh, I think some of the WiiWare is uh, is quite innovative as well. Uh, yeah. So I mean, cool. I'm excited to see like you know, Children of Eden is something that you know that excites me as a major uh, uh, sort of title. But uh, but I you know I don't know whether um, the gestural aspect of the interface there to what extent that's really going to be an interesting part of the experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. I really wanted to talk more about the VCS since that's uh, yeah, let's, one of the latest books. Yeah, please tell us about how this thing barely was able to do what it did and yet it did it and how about the activision stuff do you know a lot about activision because they really did some refined uh pixel work in there yeah so well uh, let me mention about activision that you know the way that this company got started with a lot of expertise already you know knowing actually how to program the atari vcs which you know was not common knowledge there weren't dev kits that were out in the world or anything this is just a proprietary uh, atari system is uh that uh Four of the major best programmers for the VCS took off and uh, founded the company. So they brought their ability to program the VCS with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were other things, you know, that I think Activision cultivated the individual designers' concepts of where the game could go. And, you know, Steve Cartwright creating a series of fairly similar games but that are skinned differently so that you see barnstorming as... Uh, uh, this type of slaloming game, but you know, has this sort of sublime, beautiful sunset with it, and uh, you know, it's frostbite. There's also you know, oriented horizontally the same way, and then David Crane doing things that are very, very different. But they were at a very, very high technical level. They held themselves to a high standard. They, for instance, um, wanted to keep. Uh, you would often get some sort of uh, crummy-looking lines on the left-hand side mm, right, of the right. from strobing H move. And uh, they wouldn't stand for that at Activision, so they had to strobe H-move every line, uh, even though uh, it was more costly in terms of cycles and um, code, so that um, you would have uh, just a, a black stripe on the left, and it would look much nicer. So some of the, a lot of these, these niceties, I think, were related to the, this tradition of excellence and, this, and the corporate culture at Activision of being really very distinctive. Uh, they also you know, very consciously chose the best colors from the palette to use in their games since it would be most brightest and most distinctive it also create sort of identity across titles so there were there were things like that yeah, what was your other question now <laughs> no, uh, just how the system oh, yeah, it, it yeah. only had to... it's right you, you look at it it's basically a system that first level is put together to play pong mm. and tank tank being the other big hit arcade right. game of the early years so it has two player sprites two missile sprites that's what you need for a tank and a background, you know, to create a sort of maze-like area for the playing field. And then uh, what do you need for Pong? Well, use the same two-player sprites and then a ball sprite. So those are the basic graphics facilities that you have for the, for the VCS. And those sprites, or I say like missile sprite and ball sprite, those are one pixel, mm-hmm. um, which uh, you'll, be, you'll be familiar with if you play Adventure, you know, because that's your, your man and Adventure is the one pixel uh, ball sprite. So it was, it was a very minimal system. Uh, you did have to set up the scan lines individually. The reason the VCS sort of you know, doesn't have pixels is it, it does not have a grid of horizontal and vertical dots, but um, a scan line which you draw uh, each time across the screen after you set up the registers. Uh-huh. It was difficult to do. The uh, programmers learned how to do it. They learned how to um, how to work with that, uh, with that type of system. But I think the important thing for the versatility of the VCS is it was very minimal. So 
it didn't really encode a lot of ideas about what a video game should be. Uh, I mean, there was this two-player sprite thing going on. So it was supposed to be like Pong or Tank where you have these two opponents. Right. Uh, but it turned out, you know, as, as you're mentioning, uh, you can uh, strobe H move and you can, you can actually draw that sprite again down the screen. And then I think it was Brad Stewart doing Space Invaders figured out that, oh, you can also strobe it on the same line and you can reproduce it going across. So as long as you're having things marching in formation like Space Invaders, mm-hmm. you, know, you can actually draw large numbers of sprites on the screen. Another story if you want Pac-Man monsters to run around. That's actually quite a bit more challenging. Wow, yeah. So it turned out, well, even the, the, the basic assumptions that uh, you're going to have two sprites, you're going to have uh, two players, they're going to play each other, which is, was the case with all the, not all, but almost all the early VCS games. Oh, yeah. Combat was for two players only. Mm-hmm. Um, you, the racing. You not, I mean, you, you could start it up and <laughs> shoot the other tank by yourself, <laughs> but it wasn't a lot of fun. It was really, you know, there was no AI in these games. You, yeah. you had to bring the uh, intelligent opponent with you. It turned out, though, that that wasn't hammered in there to where it was impossible to make uh, other sorts of games. So as as people's assumptions about gaming changed, as you did have one-player games, as you had games which uh, had larger numbers of sprites, programmers figured out ways to deal with that, uh, ways to implement those sorts of things. And You know, if you had a system where that's sort of built, like you can only have a top-down view, there are this number of sprites, you have tiles that, that look like this and is very committed and very locked into a particular concept of what the video game is, it becomes very difficult to do something else. You, you might be able to hack around it, but you, you won't have dozens of games mm-hmm. doing different sorts of things. And the VCS, it was just really easy to uh, make it do whatever you wanted because it was so simple. You had to do so much work as a programmer to get everything set up, to draw the image on the screen, to do the game logic. I mean, there were lashes for collision control, so that wasn't the, the hardest aspect. But there were difficulties for the programmer, but that meant that you could uh, do something else as you were coding up a game, and um, you could change the direction that the system was going to go in. You could make it do something, uh, uh, something very different. So it, became, it was sort of you know, a little bit difficult to program. A lot of stuff was pushed off to hardware for figuring out how to do complex or tricky things. But that meant that when you had new things that came about, you could do those too, chances were. And you could keep creating innovative new games. So where can people find out more about you? I know you like to blog. I know that you also have a couple books in the, in the can. Yeah, my site is nickm.com, N-I-C-K-M.com. I do have a blog there, Post Position, which has game and electronic literature and uh, other sorts of you know creative, digital media sorts of musings, commentary. And uh, yeah, I have several books that I've done co-edited, collaborated on writing. One I did individually, Twisting Little Passages, is the first academic book to try to uh, look at interactive fiction in real depth. And then, of course, this uh, book with Ian Bogus, uh, Racing the Beam, is the most recent one from MIT Press. And hopefully there'll be, uh, there'll be more before too long. I'm, I'm working on a project uh, with uh, several other authors, sort of massively a collaborative project, to uh, study a one-line Commodore 64 basic program. Oh, all right, Nick Montfort. Uh, thank you. I'm going to go get your uh, Racing the Beam on Amazon. I was going to get the Kindle version, but now I see that for another two bucks, I can get the hardcover. Yeah, it's actually pretty reasonably priced. Uh, Definitely. Best to, to try to do that. So Fantastic. We're pleased about that. Hey, thanks for joining us when we talk games. All right, take care. Bye. Nick Montfort, Riding the Beam. Hey, I'm back. Does it council start yet? Holy cripes, how many of those things did you buy? Took care of my Xmas shopping. 
All right. No, we, we didn't start the council yet. We're just, we're just getting John E. on the line. Keith, open it up. Let's go across the sea to Ireland. Go away! Yo, man. John. Hello. Johnny Capcom. It is good to be back on the We Talk Games. Man, it's been a little while. It has been a long while. You, you weren't so on the video. that I actually had to start up my own podcast in the meantime so I could get my pod stuff out of my system. I, I heard about this, yeah. Yeah, you and seven other people probably heard about it. Very good. It, you know, if my numbers are anything to uh, go by, but, you know, it's fun. Great, great time <laughs> to get into podcasting. Yeah, when everyone else is. Well, everyone else is getting into it, but no one is listening. Not even podcasters are listening to other podcasters anymore. I mean, it used to, of course, it was like community supported initially, but now it's like, eh. Podcasters are playing their iApps just like everybody else. Sure, swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Well, we hope so. So, what do you got? Smoke alarm. Sorry. (laughs) What? Yeah, the smoke alarm in the kitchen here just went. Oh, okay. What is it, an ionic or a... It is a piece of crap. Do you, do you think something's on fire, or is this a false alarm? Uh, it's a false alarm. If okay. you, uh, if body heat, right. it, you know, down the road, we'll set this thing off. Okay. So it's all okay. Yeah, you need to get a photoelectric instead of, uh, instead of what you have there. That's what you need. Yeah, I need to get a lot of things. All right, pal. Well, what do you got for us? That's the segue uh, on this episode. Historic episode. 20 episodes. Oh. Doesn't mean anything. 20, uh, though. Uh, 20 is bigger than one. It's It ends in zero, so I can add and subtract from it. You're losing me because math is, okay. is not it's not Johnny Capcom's forte. I see, I see. Uh, referring to myself in the third person is. But um, <laughs> I'll I, I tell you what I don't have for you this month. Okay. I don't have any Xbox 360 games. And there are two reasons that I don't have any Xbox games and won't have any Xbox games for a while. And they are both flashing red lights that appear up on my system. Very good. Because uh, apparently something happened to it. Uh, I didn't play the thing for like two or three months. Mm. I come back, turn it on, and it starts wheezing, you know. Uh Oh, yeah. I think my Xbox is a broken heart. (sighs) It's annoying. A lot of stuff on that hard drive, you know. Yeah, How, what do you do in Ireland when your Xbox doesn't work? Ship it to uh, America? No, there's a place that does it here, but uh, um, my st- thing is out of uh, warranty, so... Oh, yeah. Well, I hear that if you wrap it in a blanket and stick it in the oven for two or three hours at 350 degrees, and it comes back to life. Hey, that's well, what I saw on the that. internet. I don't know. <laughs> well, although I couldn't do that here because of my smoke alarm, of course. Oh, right. What but have I- you been playing? What I have been playing is I've been playing Street Fighter Alpha 3 Max on the PSP. Oh, okay, good. Some PSP talk. Yeah, uh, th- this game is excellent. It was given to me as a Christmas present like two years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, if I'm honest with you, I was just like, oh, cool, Street Fighter. And then I put it in the corner for oh, two years. Gotcha. And uh, when my Xbox died, I just kind of picked the PSP up and had a go with it. And I will say... Uh, it's the same basic game as um, Alpha 3 on the PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, obviously it's in your hand now. And uh, it, it looks great. It sounds great. Uh, all the characters are there. Um, there's some new play modes and, like, create modes and stuff. But they're just kind of there to say there are new modes, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, still, it doesn't matter. The game itself 
is awesome. I mean, I, I, I got into a habit of beating it just every day. The animation looks great the sound is awesome i can't kind of put it over enough if you want to hold over on super street fighter 4 comes up for your 3ds then that's the handheld street fighter to go over <laughs> i see i see well yeah who knows what that's going to be like or the power or anything else behind that and that's a a good thing to bring up on the psp capcom has dropped the prices of their remix collections and their their um they're compilations. They have two compilations on. You can download them from the PlayStation Store. They're uh, $10 a piece in the States here. Well, that's good because, I mean, you got Final Fight and stuff like that on yep. there. And, you know, I will say this, though. When I saw the trailer for Super Street Fighter 4 today on the 3DS, uh-huh. and I got so excited, little P came out. But <laughs> that's just, not too much. But enough to make me uncomfortable in my own skin. Right on, man. But right. uh, uh, the one thing I will say is the PSP. It's you might think that weird little pad. You know, it almost feels like it's made out of hardened resin or something. Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly the most fluid pad in the world to use, and the analog knob isn't exactly free and easy either. But if you put the time in with Street Fighter on there, it will eventually work. You'll you'll get it. You know. Okay. So <laughs> it's more like Fighting Street on the TurboGrafx-16, but not quite as bad, I guess. Yeah, the, the, I don't think there's any real voice samples in there, you know. I mean, that's where <laughs> Fighting Street's got the, got the edge on it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Birdo and whatever, whoever, you know, Birdie and all those guys from Fighting Street are in there. Oh, good, good. It's, Ghetto and Bird, Birdie and Ghetto and those dudes. Yeah. How about you Eagle, know. though? Is Eagle in there? I... I'm not sure. I don't think so. Though. Oh, I don't know if we'll ever see Eagle. He was uh, he was a right type of uh, a Cockney lad, I guess. Uh, well, he's a he was like a, a Duke uh, Earl or something like this, and he, he had on like a fancy white shirt, and he had I think like two tonfa type of things in his hands, like uh, two sticks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've never seen him, but at least okay. I have an image now. <laughs> Hey, if you, if you want a good image, let me tell you what I've been playing. I, I told Kyle that I've been breaking out the older systems, the 3DO, the Saturn, and things like this. And for the 3DO, this is a game that you probably never played or even heard of. Coliseum Home Video Presents. Oh, Natsu- I'm interested. <laughs> well, it's a fake Coliseum Home Video, but <laughs> that's the exact type of intro it has. It's, it's the early computer graphic type of Coliseum with the two relief wrestlers on top and it pulls down to Natsumi's 1996 Royal Pro Wrestling. It was a Japan exclusive for the 3DO. You have 30 wrestlers and when you choose to start and it's multiplayer, I'm not sure if it's two or four player because there is single play or tag matches. And uh, there are 30 wrestlers to choose from. 10 from each federation. When you start out, you have uh, three choices. You could either be part of the WWA, <laughs> the the, uh, the old uh, California territory. Yes, uh, <laughs> and which of course contains such great heroes. And, and I I know all ten of the W. Well, I, I don't know the last. One. I can't recall the last one. But you have Golden Lips, Golden oh, Lips. Okay. Uh, you have Andy Savage. <laughs> <laughs> you have Mike Warrior and Johnny Warrior. No relations to the Road Warriors, except that they look exactly like them. And then, of course, you have Skunk. I, I'll give you a dollar if you could guess who that is. Skunk. Um, uh, One word name. 
Sting? That's right. I owe you a dollar. <laughs> there, and of course, from WCW as well, instead of Big Van Vader, you have Big Bang Bull Power. Oh. Now try to guess who this is and what this even means. <laughs> you have the Underdies Morgan. The un- <laughs> he is the Underdies. He's the Underdies. You know, Punisher Dice Morgan from WCW. Well, it it is actually the Undertaker, but Underdies. What the hell is that? You also have Rich Flair. Oh, do they know that Rich is the same as Rick? And then uh, as Yokozuna, you have Oyakata the Kakina, and I'm thinking that they they're trying to throw in Kokina because they're alluding to the fact that Yokozuna was actually Samoan. So that's probably why they're doing that. Now you have another federation called JAW, or J-A-W, which is some type of uh, Japanese federation, the amalgam of uh, the two big, uh, you know, uh, New Japan and and the others. All Japan. Yeah, exactly. So in this one, I don't have as many written down because the translations aren't as funny. But instead of the great Muda, you have the great Budo. <laughs> and I know you'll be able to get guess this one. It was an American relocated in Japan. Doctor Kill, <laughs> instead of Doctor Death, of course. And uh, and you have Jumbo the Toma instead of Jumbo Sirota. And uh, and instead of Abdullah the Butcher, you have Mister Arbu. Oh, I, I don't know why. Saladin. It is. And now, of course, the third federation that you could choose from is the MDLL, not the CMLL. Oh, and, okay. and there you could be La Dolphin instead of Delphin. <laughs> you could be, one of my favorite is instead of El Santo, you're Santo Carras. So it's oh. like Don Carras and El Santo. Uh, oh. You can also be, of course, the great Tiger feud that was going on. You could either be Tiggle Mask. Or, or you could be Negro Tiggle. Oh, excellent. I have no idea what a Tiggle is. Of course, Mil Mascaris is also in there as Alan and Mascarado. Oh. And as I mentioned, you could do single or tag. Just like the laser active titles are an amalgam of the worst of 16-bit and the best of silicon graphic generated images, so too this pro wrestling. It's sort of like they tried to go for realistic skin tones and things like this and make it look real inside of a 16-bit ring except that they didn't use a wide enough color palette and then he just drew like a black outline around everybody now you remember that sumi wrestling for uh, the super nintendo super famicon yeah, that was yeah, pretty cool well I uh, pretty much all those super nintendo wrestling games i think yeah and then that sumi was kind of neat and it sort of reminds me of that except that the crowd is a lot more animated although the crowd is just pixel straw men going around you also get an in-ring zoom effect so when you're going for the pin or something exciting the camera zooms in and then you become super pixelated actually so like that's art of fighting. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah except a lot worse because like i said these aren't rendered very well inside it's just a black outline around some straw man pixels by the way before the matches mean gene interviews a pre-match promo in front of the Royal Rumble banner, except it says Royal Pro Wrestling instead of Royal Rumble. But it's all in that font. And there's voice acting. There's no there's no text. There's no people that pop up. And the voice acting is all so good like this. And it doesn't matter who I'm being right now. <laughs> so you made it now. But too bad you won't be able to get any further. 
because now I will beat you. And pretty much that's it. And except uh, Yokozuna, of course, goes, Banzai! Uh, you do get this weird, wacky uh, photo montage of your character walking down to the ring and the person you're going against, where they took the real graphics and then they made them look aged or something and more realistic by blurring them and then putting on some types of uh, cross-hatching effects and whatnot. And then there's this other weird picture of a Silicon graphic Hitler giving the middle <laughs> finger, and I guess he's the ring announcer. So it's odd. It's oh, very okay. odd. Yes. The type of humanoid you could do in CG back then at the, in 1996 just <laughs> left too much to the imagination. But you also can have managers ringside, and they're sort of in a constant walking animation. But Mr. Fuji was right out there when I was Yokozuna, or should I say... Um, Kukina. Oh, yeah, Kata, the Kukina, yeah. And uh, he threw salt in my opponent's eyes. There is a lot of that little subtleties, reversals and things like this that you wouldn't see for another 10 years in wrestling games. If you used uh, Golden Lips and Kakina, you could recreate WrestleMania 9? Probably, because I'm pretty sure that the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart is uh, Golden Lips uh, manager. Not Mr. T, unfortunately. Um, oh. Was Mr. T in his corner at the time? I can't remember. No, um... Brutus and oh uh, right 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 and uh, you know the Colonel Jimmy Hart were in the oh good corner. well there you go you you that might happen there's also a chair outside the ring there's no on screen HUD there's no on screen text you have no idea what's going on but there is just a strange color bar at the top of the screen it's really big it has no outline it's just sort of there from the Atari age and it changes colors it shrinks it grows or sometimes it strobe lights but it doesn't seem to really apply to anything that's going on in the ring. And then after the match, you get a pep talk from Rich, Rich Flair, in the <laughs> locker room uh, after your matches. And that's uh, that's Royal Pro Wrestling for the 3DO. Get it if you can. Uh, oh, I would. It's really would. cool. It's really cool. It's really cool. Do you know if there's any uh, way of uh, tuning that game in? You might be able to, but i got to tell you, the 3DO emulators um, are not perfect. But uh, it might be playable. You might be able to do it. Mm, well, I might try. All right, I man. Mean, listen, my next game you're going to be interested in. Okay. Because if there's anything I know you like, it's Satanic Pinball, right? Definitely. I hope it's right. Slayer. It is indeed Slayer. Fantastic! Yeah, this is. I like this game. I like it. It works uh, on your iPad as well. Uh, yeah. Um, I just picked it. I'm playing it on the iPod. Okay. And like I didn't think it'd be like you know running at sixty frames or whatever on your iPod like mm. you know yeah right. it does yep it's amazing looking the table itself a lot of fun to play you know I think it is what Crewball was to the Genesis I think it is to the the handheld uh, pinball titles that are available it was pretty cheap as well I mm -hmm. seem to remember and uh, you know uh, if you're a fan of Slayer there's a lot in there for you. I think it's kind of promoting their new album, but my knowledge of Slayer kind of ends in 1990. But um, it just shows you what your iPod can really do. I'm sure it sure. looks great on the iPad, you know? Well, this but, is the uh, same company that gave us the Wild West Pinball, the uh, the Deep, and uh, the Jungle Style, the games that I've talked about before, Pinball HD and, and whatever that uh, other company's called. Are they on iPod as well? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's what I first got it for. And in fact, this is a game that if you have a Mac, you can get the free downloadable 
pinball machine for your Mac, and then you buy the tables on your iPod and you use the iPod to control your computer high-res pinball games. Excellent. Yeah, it's, it's really cool, and it works well. Sometimes those things don't work so well. This this works well. I was impressed with, I mean, immediately I was impressed with the frame rate on this thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's got longevity in there. You know, it's a lot of fun to play. If you're sitting in a doctor's office or waiting for a bus and you want some satanically flavored <laughs> speed metal inspired pinball on your iPod, you cannot go wrong. Yeah, I think this is the most ambitious table from GamePron. As far as all the other titles, the jungle style was also pretty ambitious as a giant uh, gorilla. But this this was a pretty neat uh, a pretty neat table, definitely. I'm laying out a challenge to those guys. Okay. Yeah. The next one I want to see, BG's pinball HD. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing, and Get never will happen. On the line. Yes. The last major game that I played this month. It's been out for ages. It's one of those games you get out of what you put into it, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a freeware game called Facade. I don't know if you've heard of it or played it. Uh, it sounds familiar. It's really interesting because it's like a, it's a shareware type of deal. And what you do is you're just invited to this uh, little get-together you know, as you. It's like a first-person game, and you're invited to this couple's apartment. And you go over there, and when you get there, you hear them arguing behind the door. And then you knock on the door and you go in and there's a story going on and you're part of it and you have to actually read their fa- you know, their body language and stuff hmm. to get the truth out of them. I see. I won't ruin the uh, the, the story, but if you can be polite and um, forgiving or whatever, I guess, or be a nice person to them, they'll open up and eventually this narrative will unfold. And the whole point of it's supposed to be interactive drama, you know? I see. But... Where some of the real fun is is by turning it into an RPG, and uh, you turn. Say you decide before you go in, you go right. I'm going to be Frank Boots from Blue Velvet, and uh, you know you go in and you you start typing in vicious and vile stuff into the thing, and it's the way they respond to everything. Hmm. So you know, I went in as Vince McMahon and I started talking to the woman about my grapefruits. (laughs) You know, uh, (laughs) I went in as a hooker. And tried to solicit from both of them. And now, and is this just, an online game, or uh, how do you play this? The website is out there, and you can. Uh, I, I think it's called indirectstory.net or .com. Okay. You just download it and play it on your uh, play it on your PC or Mac. Okay. Oh, great. Again, it's free if you want it. It's, it feels like a demo for something that could really be something else. I see. I see. Uh, I guess if more people play it or whatever, then maybe these guys will get their. Uh, get the uh, funding they need because what they really want to do is make like a party game where you go to like a house party and there's like 20 or 30 characters there and you can weave through all these different narratives just as yourself I see and uh, it's truly unlike anything else so I will say that I mean the controls kind of odd and the graphics aren't spectacular Mm -hmm. but they work I like recommending free games so if if you ain't got no money and you want something to do by all means, go pick up Facade and play it on your thing and start. I'm going to use a term that the kids will know now because I'm trying to be relevant to the youth of today. Very you can tr- you control these fictional characters. I see. Great. Hey, that sounds that sounds awesome. Hey, stick around for the council, man. Will do. Thanks, pal. Bye. See you later. And from Ireland, let's go back to New York. Escape to New York. 
Open it up, Keith. Frank Lance. New York, New York. Frank Lance. Welcome to We Talk Games. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, uh, Frank, on today's show, we also have Nick Montfort. And I have a hard time classifying your relationship to the gaming industry. Uh, you're a game creator yourself, but you're also a game observer, a commentator, a future and presentist, if that's even a word. And you've become a go-to person, I think, for titillating quotes taken out of context. Yeah, I think I'm mostly, I would say, uh, a developer. I'm primarily a game designer. That's my my main passion and uh, and my vocation. And then I'm also um, an academic. I teach game design at uh, NYU, and uh, I am, in fact, uh, helping them set up a new program in game design there. Uh, oh, so I'm the director of uh, something called the Game Center at NYU. So I would say I'm a quarter-time academic and a and a full-time game designer. Then also, yeah, I'm, I'm a loudmouth as well. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you do a search, if you Google your uh, name there, you'll come up with things such quotes as the end of video games. I said the end of video games. Yeah. You know, things like this, you know, video gaming is dead. What? Uh, <laughs> no, I've never said you're. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I've the, never said video gaming is dead. Well, you know, once again, completely out of context. You might have said the word "dead" in another sentence, and then they lumped it together with the word "video gaming." But what, I would love to get into uh, some of your new things, like area code. It's very, very fascinating, very interesting stuff. But I always like to find out what are some of your early gaming memories. What brought you to the video side of gaming? Early gaming memories for me are, I mean, I'm old enough that my early video game memories are about the arcade. Okay. Growing up, going down to the arcade, playing games like Asteroids and uh, Crystal Castles, uh, Rally X. Those are my primitive uh, uh, video game experiences. Less so the home consoles, but I had a little bit of that, you know. Then I trained as an artist, and then I got into computer graphics, and then that kind of brought me back to the the world of, of software, and I realized that I'm really more interested in what the computer can do to design experiences than in, in the visual side of it. So that kind of like reawoke my, my interest and, and passion in, in, the, in the creative possibilities of computation, and, and video games are the ultimate expression of the creative power of computation. Now, you mentioned that you weren't really into the consoles, but what was your first console that you had in your home? Um, Pong? Yeah, I'm thinking it may have been that uh, Sears uh, oh, right. game, right? Sure, that, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. They even had a um, four-player color Pong Sears did. Yeah, I think that was probably it. And I had a, a, a Timex Sinclair um, oh. which was, it's not, a con- it's not a game console, obviously, mm-hmm. but I don't know if you remember those those little computers sure. uh, with the rubbery keys. Yep. Um, and then when it was time for me to buy a computer, I guess in my 20s, at the time, you could choose between Coke and Pepsi, which was the Mac and uh, the IBM compatible. Sure. Uh, and I chose uh, Dr. Pepper. I, I went with an Amiga. Ah, so very I was good. an early Amiga user, and that was... Um, I just loved the Amiga. Just a beautiful machine. Like, looking back on it now, playing uh, playing some Amiga games. Still, some of my fondest memories. Uh, games like uh, Virus, which mm-hmm. just like blew my mind. But also uh, you know, Dungeon Master and uh, some other kind of early Amiga games. Just ah, so much, so beautiful. 
Yeah, right now, Amigas are are demanding a high price even today on on eBay and things like this. Even as far back as just the straight-up Commodores, if you go into the the higher-bit Commodores and then into the Amigas, they're still demanding a high price. Yeah, you know what I would pay a lot of money for? (laughs) Somewhere I have a disc full of masterpieces that I I created using Deluxe Paint 2. Um, (laughs) I would love to be able to just because I'm an art nerd I have slides of them <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I, would, wow. yeah, I made a bunch of, <laughs> of things and I actually have slides of them but I, I want to see the actual pixels right right um, and uh, I think that that's actually kind of hard to do it's non-trivial to, to have an Amiga disc and get files off of it so at some point I'll have to figure I'm sure that there are services that will do that for a tidy sum sure sure what was your first venture into the video game, uh, the corporate environment of video games? Um, okay, so, well, I was a creative director at a place called RGA, uh, our Greenberg Associates, which did computer graphics and special effects um, for, for movies and TV, and um, I helped them set up an interactive division, and one of the things that, so we were going to make games in addition to other kinds of designing other kinds of software and made a couple of PC games. One's called uh, Gearheads. So the fir- I would say my first, you know, commercial game uh, that I designed was this old PC CD-ROM game called Gearheads. So I'm still very proud of it, very fond of it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a real-time strategy game, kind of before Warcraft or right, right around when Blizzard was doing that, I guess Dune 2 might have might have been out, but we weren't really aware of that. But it's a game about uh, a war between wind-up toys. It's a two-player game. Oh. It's kind of a hot seat game, which is one of the reasons it was not uh, super successful. It really is a, you can play against a computer, but it's really a two-person game that you play um, using uh, the same PC sitting on either side of a keyboard. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's about wind-up toys. Well, I'm always into wind-up toy-style games. I, yeah, they well, just it, was about, it was about these autonomous, you know, really the idea of the game was, what if you had chess, but the pieces were alive? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, little autonomous pieces that you set them down, and then they, they had behaviors, and that determined where they went, so they would, you know, and that, that was the main idea, which is kind of, you know, what, what StarCraft is. Right on. So how did Area Code come about? Eventually, I split from RGA, went off and just did freelance game design in New York City, um, did a bunch of different things, worked at a place called Game Lab, a much beloved indie developer here in in New York City, did some other stuff, and then I met a guy named uh, Kevin Slavin, who's just a brilliant guy coming out of the advertising industry, and he was looking for a game designer to work with him on a big project that he was pitching, which was kind of based on some things that I had been doing on my own as just like side projects. So I was really uh, interested in, um, in addition to just designing software and computer games, I was interested in kind of this whole world of real world games, like designing games for people to play like large-scale multiplayer games, but face-to-face, you know, mm-hmm. in, in public settings. So designing games for for conferences and designing games for people to play, like, out on the street to transform a kind of urban setting into a game environment. And then I've been teaching a, in game design at NYU, and I taught a class specifically about this uh, class uh, called Big Games. The first year that the class was taught, the students all got together, and uh, as their final project, they created this game called Pac-Manhattan, the life-size version of, of the arcade game that you play on the streets of New York City. And um, I'd also done some other 
work along this line, a game with uh, Nick Fortuno and Katie Salen called the Big Urban Game, which was for Minneapolis and St. Paul, which involved these giant 25-foot-high game pieces moving through the city. And so this was, you know, just kind of things I had been doing on the side and, and projects just as for fun and, and as experiments in a, in a teaching context. And Kevin Slavin had seen those and wanted to do something like that on a large scale for a client to promote, like, technology or to, to promote a media company or something like that. And so I worked with him on a game called Conquest, which was similar and was for the phone company Quest. Um, it involved, like, high school kids running around in urban settings collecting these QR codes and it went really well and, and we were like hey let's start a company that's all about you know doing these kinds of large scale real world games that was five years ago and that was sort of the origins of Area Code where we started from a strong focus on what happens when games spill out into the real world. So you're taking, you know, taking game experiences and the aesthetics of, of video games and computer games, um, but bringing them out into real physical spaces using location, using ubiquitous computing and all those new kinds of emerging technology to, to create games that overlap with the real world. That's where we started out. And then as the company evolved, we just had a kind of a broader set of interests. It's not, it's not so much focused on, on location-aware stuff and physical stuff and urban games, but it's still there's a strong kind of experimental vibe about mm-hmm. uh, we're just interested in, in games that are bigger than the rectangle of whatever screen you happen to be sitting in front of. Right on, right on. Definitely have pretty big ideas, global ideas even, and tech integration that goes beyond geo-tracking, but yet it builds upon that, I think. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Pac-Manhattan. That, of course, drew a lot of uh, press. I saw yeah. it on the television, I believe. At the time, it was like the most famous thing I've ever done. Nowadays, fewer people remember it. It was like one of those internet things where it's, at the time it just seems like this enormous thing that everyone's heard of. But yeah, it was global press and just somehow pushed a button that people had uh, for that just tickled their, their fancy, this, this idea. I think it's just... People like to imagine themselves playing a game that involves physical action, running around. They just like the kind of weird, surreal spectacle of the video game that's out in the world. And then it also just has, you know, people people just love Pac-Man because of its symbolic status. Sure, sure. Yeah. We've had uh, Kelly Santiago on from that game company, and and I knew immediately that she came from an art type of background. And you can see that when you come from sort of... uh, you know, a classical art training style or even just an interest in art and art history and surrealists and um, as a little form that I created a long time ago called sort of realism. Uh, I think that you, you bring, you, you can see a more of a floodlight than a spotlight on gaming and, and where it can go. And, yeah, that's uh, a great way to put it, yeah. This We Talk Games is our monthly big flagship show. It's normally a couple hours long, but then we have these breakout bonus levels that can be anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour, and we can go off track. And we just did an episode about board games and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like role-playing games and things like that. Did you uh, have any favorite board games that you could think of? Um, well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the game Go, the, okay, the sure. board games mm-hmm. that's like kind of like chess. Right, right. When I grew up, I I, I grew up. I played D and D, like a lot of other um, kids, <laughs> sure. and uh, I still 
yeah, I, I, I have a, a lot of fond memories of, of that, of, of uh, you know, role-playing, tabletop uh, uh, role-playing. And I play a lot of poker, so that's another... Mm-hmm. There's a handful of games that I've really devoted myself to, like really sunk a lot of time in and tried to become uh, really proficient at. Um, Go is one of them, and, and poker is another one. Galcon on the iPhone... There's like a handful of games that uh, sort of occupied that that space in my life. Did you bring uh, any of that into area code yet? Yeah. One of the things that I'm interested in is the way that video games and, and computer games are part of this larger spectrum of games. That instead mm-hmm. of thinking of them as this brand new thing that has no precedence and just kind of was invented uh, 30 or 40 years ago, I like to think of them as part of this very ancient tradition of play and games. Sure. Um, and that there's no question that they're a quantum leap, but in some ways they are the ultimate expression of this human culture and this, this, this part of uh, the history of mankind. You know, it's always been a part of our lives. And, and so I'm really interested in blurring the line a little bit and, and imagining what computer and video games are all about if you forget for a moment that they're a kind of software and mm-hmm. you think about them more as just like they're a part of people's lives and they're a form of culture. And so everything we do at Area Code is a little bit inflected by that point of view. I and mean, We are interested in, first and foremost, in games and gameplay and the experience of games. Um, and then, um, you know, some, most of what we do is, is software, but not all of it. I mean, we sometimes make games that are just games that people play in a room or like a, like a sport. Uh, so a game like Budget Ball, which we created for the National Association of Public Administration, basically to explore the, the issue of debt and, and <laughs> fiscal responsibility for college students. It's really just a, it's a sport. So it's a sport that has an economic layer in which you, you deal with, with these issues and, and you're doing like financial management as part of this physical sport that you're playing. Yeah, we're super interested in approaching game design from that perspective, thinking of it not first and foremost as just a kind of, uh, oh, I'm making a piece of software for a particular platform, uh, and that really defines you know what it is I'm interested in. Instead, thinking, no, I'm making an experience for a particular audience, and it may or may not involve software, but it's really about the design problem of creating a compelling system that has meaningful choices and experience that it produces an experience that is that is powerful and, and deep and, and interesting or on all kinds of different possible levels. Or superficial. Or superficial. I'm a big <laughs> fan of superficial. Yeah, why not? Superficial sometimes gets a gets short gets short shrift. Sure. <laughs> but I'm 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 not uh, I'm not an aesthetic. I like pleasure, and I like of all, all different kinds, and superficial pleasures are some of the best pleasures. Definitely. Some of my favorite pleasures are superficial <laughs> pleasures. <laughs> well, we had Ralph Bear on the show, and you know he mentioned that when, when he came up with this, it was just an extension of board gaming and things that we've, we've been doing since 
the dawn of man. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was just a natural extension of that. But I, I think you touched on a good point as well that video gaming has really become more integrated, I think, than just about any other type of gaming. Uh, you know, of course, that's debatable. But I, I think that nowadays with our technical enhanced lives with our the, mm-hmm. the rapidity of uh, or rapidness of of how our lives go by i think more and more people are playing some sort of game and uh, that leads yeah. of course you mentioned the iphone and the ipod and the ipad and just came out with drop seven yeah um, and what a fun game that is oh thank you yeah, very good and yeah, it's getting I'm very yeah we're we're very proud of of drop seven i um it's a good game <laughs> It's very good, very addicting. Yeah. You know, I we we talked about on a show a couple a couple episodes ago that h- how many more drop in puzzle games can you have that you're just like oh I'm bored with, and then I had this uh, pack party one thing, but it was more because it had a gimmick going on with it. You slid some things around, and Pac Man's mm-hmm. going around the outside and made it more interesting. But Drop Seven is, I think, a, a purely well, it's it's number based and it's a, it's a dropping game, but it's very addicting, and I I really uh, you can't get enough of it. It is good. I, I've I've heard it oh, compared okay. to the next Tetris, which is I don't know if that's a nail in the coffin or the highest compliment. <laughs> oh, I I would consider that a huge compliment, obviously, and we we feel like then sometimes I mean I don't know game design is it, 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 it's a tricky thing, right? I mean, sure. It's a, dark, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a dark art, and you have best practices and you have methodologies and you have a whole vocabulary for talking about game design and 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 a way of doing it but it is an art form right i mean it is something that you can't really explain and quantify and drop seven is just an example of something where sometimes you just feel like you've discovered something you didn't feel like you know we don't feel like we made drop seven as much as we discovered it and it's a thing it's a thing in the universe that we had a intuition about and and then we we set out to find it and then we uncovered it and and i hope we did a good job of bringing it back and displaying it and explaining it but it it almost is if it already existed right as as a as a thing in the universe and then we just kind of like helped bring it to life that may sound a little um, ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Not at all. That's yeah. kind of the way I feel about it, you know. Yeah, and you know, like you like you mentioned, you never know until it's done, really. Yeah. Uh, on some yeah, of the, really some true. of these and things, even after it's done, you don't know. Like we, <laughs> yeah, we we sort of understood as soon as we had the first few prototypes of, of Drop7 up and running back when it was called Chain Factor, and um, we sort of knew, but. It's hard to say, and then and then over time, it's like something that has become more clear over time that this is maybe something that is in fact going to be around for a while, and uh, I'm extraordinarily uh, proud of, uh, of of that. You sort of answered the question that I had was, of course, how does even something like this come about? What was the original goal going into Drop Seven? Did someone just well, have an idea, it, or you know, we wanted to create something that was simple and original. Those are the two strong things. We wanted something that had not been seen before so that there would be something genuinely novel about it. But we also wanted to tap into the kind of deep simplicity of a game like Planet Puzzle League, Hmm. one of these puzzle games that can truly feel kind of like hypnotic and, and transcendent, that when you're playing it, it can just be like this immensely compelling uh, experience. Exactly. You know, it's like super simple and, and abstract. We knew we wanted it to have 
uh, numbers in it. Mm -hmm. And we wanted it to be a little spiky, like a little weird, a little actually kind of counterintuitive to, you know, as, as the, as, so, so it was actually part of the original impulse, you know, that, that, that we were, we were going for something that would take you a second to actually wrap your head around. And I think that's one of the things that really makes Drop 7 what it is, is that for a lot of people, it's quite challenging to, to have it click. And then once it does click, it clicks in hard. Yeah. Uh, partly because it's, it's a little bit challenging for that, first, um, for that first few minutes. And I think partly it works because you can play it without fully grokking it, and you can still play it. Like, you can sit down and, oh, I'm actually, this, this, there's, some, there's some light entertainment value to just dropping stones in and seeing the, the results and not really understanding what's happening. Um, and so hopefully, for a lot of people, then what happens is that experience teaches them what is happening. And then once they understand the, the core logic, then, then, we've, uh, then we've got them. You know, you explain my entire experience. Okay. <laughs> and and then like you said, you get in that groove and then that groove really is it's really it's really happening. It's really hip. It's really going. Oh, thank you. Tex Avery. Uh, I don't know if you're a fan of Tex Avery or not. Sure. But, uh, He's a genius, of course. <laughs> the cartoons that he directed, he always uh, was known to mention and comment that he wasn't really concerned with the characters uh, as much as the story. Some of his best cartoons are the ones where you know it's just about a wolf and his situation uh going after the girl and things like this and i think your commentary that i've i've read in articles and your development seems to be more about the story than the franchise characters uh, do you have any comment on the institutions like mario bonk uh, bubsy or the dig dug guy i know that you did pac-man so you know about that institution but Oh, you mean like metaphorically? So when you say stories versus characters, is that like a metaphor or well, specific, specifically? Because I'm not all that interested in either stories or characters. Oh, really? Okay, very good. Well, that's that's what I want to get. I mean, at. I'm interested in in gameplay and game systems, and I enjoy stories, and I like story based games, and and I've done games that are about interactive narrative and and that's something that i'm interested in to a certain degree but overall i i'm kind of less interested in stories and uh and storytelling and narrative than i am in this other thing which is basically nonlinear dynamic systems like interact you know rule-based systems that you interact with and um and you know that that's where the beauty and the meaning is, and I think that that has a really complicated and interesting relationship to to stories. But I don't think that um, for me that's the stuff that that I'm most interested in and, and passionate about. Um, is I guess what you would describe as gameplay. An unchoreographed structured dance. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's unchoreographed or if it has a kind of a different kind of choreography that's that's hard to recognize and and hard to talk about because it's it's not a series of moves that are written down beforehand but it is a process uh, a set of constraints and goals that then produces moves within a within this big possibility space um, I was just watching uh, tennis uh, last night, Nadal and Djokovic, and um, it was extraordinarily beautiful. And I remember thinking at the time that it was like a weird form of dance, weird form of super physical, um, 
it had a beauty to it that is related to, but, but definitely not identical to, the beauty of dancing. They're so obviously related, but it, it's very exciting to me, that, that relationship. Uh, and one of the things that is fun about it is that it's, it's weird and it's hard, to, it's hard to describe and it's hard to, to understand, but um, I do feel like a big part of what we're going to do in the next century is to keep exploring that, that hard-to-understand thing and just making it hopefully more and more interesting and, and beautiful. Right on. And how can people find out more about Area Code? Well, we have a website, which is areacodeinc.com, or you could just, uh, I don't know, just buy Drop 7. There you go. Or go on your iPhone and, and buy Drop 7 well, you, and find you, out about it that way. You have a very good price point there, and it, it definitely is very inviting, so uh, I, I recommend it as well. Awesome. Thank you. Frank Lance, thank you so very much for being part of We Talk Games. Please come back when you have uh, something new and exciting to uh, drop on us. I will. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. Bye now. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Good stuff. Good stuff. i got to tell you, Drop 7, amazing, amazing game. And, and if you play this on your iPad, it sort of has a shortcut from the iPod version to the iPad version that all it needs is a beta capsule, and you'd think it was, you know, Hayata becoming Ultraman. So that's kind of a little neat novelty I picked up on. All right. Well, you hear that music, so it must be time to unite the Mega Mini Council! Mega Council activated! Uh, yeah, we didn't work out any type of gimmick for the opening of the Mini Mega Council, but actually this is a Maxi Mega Council, I think. Call the roll, call the roll, call the roll. Oh, Mega Mini Council! Eric Alexander. Me. Ralph. Howdy. Johnny Capcom. Hello. Aquaman. Not here. Wonder Woman. <laughs> Not here. Kyle Von Kubik. Holograms are delicious. And Dinky the Game Master. Here. All right, we're all here. Wow. Yeah. I know Stephen will be joining us. Well, no one ever does. Yeah. What do you mean? I try to come on every time, and nobody wants me. <laughs> Thinky, I almost died at the hands of your tinkering. Why? When? The stupid hologram machine that blew up in my face. <laughs> I wasn't even in the room. I know how these things go. Yeah, as well. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, let's get going. The um, topic before the Mega Council today is something that we, we touch on from time to time, but I always find it interesting because I think it brings up a lot of fun games and it helps us chew the fat about games, which is what, like, what we like to do. We like to open a mic and talk games. We talk games. So today we're going to visit the games, franchises, genres that we might like to see a sequel to, a continuation of, or just see re-emulated on one of the many emulation platforms available on the consoles of today, like the Virtual Console, or the Xbox Arcade, or whatever PlayStation calls their thing. <laughs> so, let us begin. We'll we each start with, like, one title apiece, and then we'll go around the round, round, round table. Uh, let's start with uh, Eric Alex. Well, I talked about it a long time ago uh, here. Uh, Jet Set Radio. Where's the sequel to that? Mm, yeah, what was the last game that was on Xbox, the first Xbox, I guess, huh? Yeah, original Xbox. It's been an entire console generation. Sega uh, hates me. 
<laughs> no, Eric. Sega hates everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they hate money. But they love Sonic. That's good. You know, uh, the, the new Sonic actually looks uh, quite interesting. They always do and then, until you play them. Yeah. But this, but this is a two. This is a two D ish Sonic. Yeah, mm. but it's also all messed up because it's got that weird little lock on system and stuff. Hey, speaking of Sonic, when when are they going to bring out a game with Ray or Mighty in it? <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody ever know the point of Sonic? The point. Yeah, like, get the chaos emeralds. Turn yellow. Collect rings. Turn, turn into Sonichu. <laughs> really? Because like Mario has, like you got to save the princess, and Halo, you got to kill the. Yeah, alien. you got to save his animal friends. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. yeah like oh. Cat and the rest of them. They get it done on Doctor Robotnik or uh, Eggman. Eggman, whatever they're calling him now. <laughs> That's terrible. Well, let's face it. Ralph only ever got to see Eggman drive his little car back <laughs> level 1-1 one, one of Did Sonic. you only get through Green Zone 1? Oh. <laughs> Is that, no, that true? Know there was anything after yeah. that. <laughs> I, w- uh, I, I didn't have Sonic. You got, <laughs> I, you got I, blasted I, in the face by that monkey who threw coconuts at you. <laughs> no. When I got a, when I got a Genesis uh, Altered Beast is the game they were giving out. This is like before Sonic. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I were playing Altered Beast, and then the next game I got, I think, was Michael Jackson Moonwalker. Wow. Then, <laughs> what, what a collection of games you had. Yeah, the, that was my childhood. Yeah. I liked Moonwalker. That was a good game. I think it was good on the Genesis. I think the Genesis version, although not as graphically appealing, was uh, better than the arcade version. Yeah, the arcade uh, version was that bizarre... Uh, like three quarters view thing. Yeah, and that's what Sonic the Hedgehog arcade game was like. And you could and you could choose between one of three characters: Sonic, Ray, or Mighty. <laughs> and they were all like different color hedgehogs. But I really don't want to see a sequel to that game. It was a rollerball game, but it had that isometric view. And then it was like, I don't know what direction I'm supposed to go. Am I just supposed to go down and go? Down diagonal is like Zaxxon in reverse with a rollerball. <laughs> you see, that reminds me. That's a franchise I'd like to see. Rollerball made into a game. You mean, and of mm, course, I'm lying. Rollerball. Speedball. That <laughs> oh, was mean, rollerball. Yeah, I mean the movie. What the seventies movie? Yes. No, no, speedball. That was um. That was pretty much like that was rollerball. They made a a, a rollerball. Did they make a rollerball game? Yeah, it was called Roller Games. It was an arcade game, and it was sort of like um, roller derby, but then you had extra things like jumps in the middle of a figure eight roller derby and things like this, which it was a very cool game. I will say I'd rather play Super Mario level 1v1 over and over again for eternity than watch the remake of the Rollerball movie. <laughs> oh yeah, what happened there? Well, Ralph, you would have no choice but to play level one one because you can never beat it. <laughs> yeah. All right, now we're getting way off topic because now we're talking about. I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I just came to my mind. Yeah, anytime LL Cool J comes into a video game podcast, forget it. <laughs> I, th- I think the rollerball thing is bringing us back full circle to Jet Set Radio. That's true. Sure. Yeah. Wow! Hi, <laughs> Now we've arrived. <laughs> Which was a great game, by the way. Now, speaking of Ralph, uh, now, Ralph, you're up next, and I realize that uh, Ralph said that he wanted a sequel 
to level one one of Mario. He just wanted more levels than level one one of Mario Brothers. He's wondering when that's going to happen. Can we reset on that and explain to the listeners why we keep talking no. about the no. one one? Yeah, you know, it's like a singer who's only famous for one song, and that's all they get to play. I'm, I'm DJ Easy Rock and Rob. Is, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like when it comes to like video games and Mario. But to get back to what I wanted to, uh, what game I want to see uh, a sequel to is uh, Mutant League Football. Ooh, oh yeah, they never made a sequel. I think they tried to make it with something like something that they came out with. A little while ago, I think it was, it was, it was some, yeah, wasn't that like a mutant league almost? But it was just like I don't know. I thought it was like an RPG and a football game messed up. I I don't understand. I don't comprehend when they're explaining games unless I'm playing. Was it? It's actually an adaption of a board game. Was it? It was like an old board game too. So I think uh, I think Blood Bowl might predate Mutant League football. Yeah, you have to listen to the last bobble. I think Eric, Alex, and I talk about that. Yeah, okay. Uh, but uh, Mutant League football was a game that I played a lot of as a kid. And uh, I just thought, think that they should make a sequel. I don't know, with with Madden and everything. So, you know. Yeah, um, you know, speaking as, like, not a sports game fan, like, Madden is, like, too complicated for a casual player, I think. Yeah, you have definitely. To, you, have to, uh, you have to understand too much about football. You can just sit down and play Mutant League football. It's like as long as you need know the ball has to get to the other end of the other end of the field and you can kill anyone in your way. They're perfect. Mm-hmm. That's what made the you know, Neo Geo sports games a lot of fun too. The they were best. very simple. Yeah, I mean they were just very simple, a lot of fun, sit down and play. All the more reason uh, to bring back Mutant League football because there's too much of the sports simulator and they're all the same. I mean every Madden every year it's a roster update, you know. Yeah, but, uh, something like that. I think that'd be a great downloadable game. But they try to trick you, right? They're always like, "Oh, we got all these new features, yeah. and we got Fifty Cent in our songs." Abuse you know? animals, just like Michael Vick. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I dream that. I don't know. I buy it. I buy it if it comes with that feature. <laughs> you pre-order from GameStop and you get a taser for the dogs. Stop. Yep. Pre-order it from GameStop gets you the sadistic version. <laughs> but yeah, Mutant League Football, uh, very good game. Hey, they should bring a sequel. I don't know who made who made Mutant League Football. Does anybody know? It was it EA? Was it EA? I think it was EA, right? It, it was um, basically, if I remember, it was just the Madden engine of the time reskinned with zombies and crap. Man, mm. we taught it was yeah. soccer over here, and we were so disappointed when we ran to the <laughs> because we were like, "What is this?" You know, we were just like, "We didn't know, we didn't know anything about American football," so we were we were screwed. That was our that was our collective money down the toilet. Well, if you don't know a lot about football, a good one that could be released in the Xbox Arcade is pulling out of the Data East Library, and that's Heavy Smash. 1993. This was supposed to be the future of sports video games. And it's sort of like a combination of soccer and Australian rules football and football in big power suits. And you can even do like a Pele kick. But it's sort of like Mutant League football and it was a, an arcade release only. And they, I don't know why they never brought this to any of the consoles because this is awesome. What was the name but of it? It's, sort, it's called Heavy Smash. Oh, okay. Never heard of it. There's just so many great Data East games to pull from uh, that are just so bizarre. Like, 
games where it's an action platformers, but you're using yo-yos. What? <laughs> yeah. That was a Neo Geo game. Top 100. Uh, exactly. So, but Heavy Smash was just a great game. And like I said, you, you sort of dribbled the ball like Australian runs, rules football. But I, I got to tell you, I watched Australian rules football for two years. I still don't know what you do. It's like <laughs> rugby, then your basketball, and then, then you kick. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, check out Heavy Smash if you get a chance. Because it sort of does all those types of things that you love for Mutant League. It's a little bit more recent, but, uh, yeah, they still need to bring that franchise back, I think. Well, did anyone ever play Madden in the arcade, like the stand-up unit? I'm talking about recently, no. like I think it was yeah, 09 yeah. or 010. I think that's the one that they they brought out uh, downloadable. I think that one actually. Now I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't download that like oh, for a console, but I've actually played the stand-up, and it is a blast because they simplify everything and they make it arcadey. You know, it's like it's just sit down play instead of going through uh, pages and pages of mm-hmm. plays. It gives you four. Pick from these four plays. And yeah, it's simplified or whatever. It might not be for everybody, but for me, I couldn't get enough of it. If they could have just bought the Blitz franchise and just continued that, I think... I mean, for the N64, wasn't Blitz like one of the greatest games on there? And you could take your memory card and go to certain coin-op machines (laughs) and plug it in there. You remember that? Really? Yeah. That was awesome. That Blitz was an incredible franchise. I love Blitz. I learned that from We Talk Games, I think. Did you? Uh, it might have been offline, an offline version of it. Did you ever, did you ever listen to that one, the offline version? Uh, you know what? It's it's spotty. <laughs> yeah, it is. You, you have, have to, to be, be there with me <laughs> in order to uh, have heard it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, we riffed on Ralph's for uh, like a half hour here. And with Stinky the freaking knowledge found over here. Yeah, man, he's great. Jesus, you know like everything. Who Christ. farted? <laughs> he who smelt it dealt it. Oh, see, he is quick, that guy. Yeah, he's sharp. More wisdom he is from Stinky. Yeah. Let's uh, let's take it over to John E. Cardberry Capcoms. There you go again with the old shoot name. But listen, uh, one game I'd like to see come back, and I didn't really like it that m- well. I did like it, but I wasn't very good at it. Uh, I'd like to see it kind of come back and just with the fun and all the the kind of stupidness of it and the ridiculous, and that'd be Road Rash. I'd like to see another Road Rash game. <laughs> oh, yeah. You just stole something from me. Oh, sorry. Not quite everything. I still got... Uh, it's not It's not even Road Rash. I'll, I'll talk about it, though, but uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, we used to... I mean, me and my friends used to play it all the time, and we were amazed. I actually thought it was realistic, because I was a kid. <laughs> I remember seeing it. I thought, like, is that what bikers do? Do they hit each other with chains and stuff? <laughs> yeah. And, uh... But... Uh, yeah, the animations in between when you'd like crash out and then like uh, the police car would come and pick you up and stuff. I remember me and my friends just falling around the place laughing, looking at that stuff. And it might be dumb to see today, but like uh, I don't know if they could bring that similar sensibilities and you know just bring the fun back. I'd definitely be playing it. Well, what what system did you play for Genesis? Uh, yeah, Mega Drive. Okay, I was more amazed that somebody in my uh, little bitty hit town could afford a 3DO. <laughs> yeah, was, that's when it really started taking off uh, in with the 3DO. Was there yeah, a character uh, 3DO? Uh, I don't know. All I know is this kid on my block had a 3DO, and we would all crowd around in NASCAR. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 I was thinking, there's your explanation. Know. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> we would just crowd around his uh, his uh, you know 3DO and just be amazed, and he'd be like, "Hey, you want to play this Road Rash game?" And we would play, it and and I had a similar experience like John, just like we would just be laughing, and that picture of the cop that said "busted," you know, <laughs> that was like. <laughs> really like weird or whatever but you know that uh that's just they should bring back the 3do that should be something that comes back they should bring back wow. this large like console yeah i've been playing a lot of 3do and a lot of saturn recently and i just i, I love those two systems there were there was so much going on with the uh with the 3do and i'll talk about that a little bit later as well but yeah uh the when they when it came to the 3do they they did all these crazy like uh kai's power soap uh augmentations of of real people and they filmed like a guy doing donuts with his motorcycle and stuff and it had live actors and stuff in it and i think the last system that came out for her was the playstation 2 if i'm not mistaken really oh really really okay. yeah i think I it, the one for the saturn or something yeah, there was Saturn and, and PS2. They got you know they pretty much got the same version. It looks so bad now when you look at it. Like like John was saying, if you look at it now, he's like, "What? We were having fun looking at this." You know, it's like Parappa the Rapper. It's just crying out though for um, to be a downloadable title. I think you know, just like oh, uh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, you know these EA games. I don't know why they've never come out with a compilation unless they don't own the rights or something. I have no idea, but shouldn't there be a compilation of of sixteen bit EA games? I'll tell you why. Because they okay. can't fit a yellow tag on an Xbox disc or something like that. <laughs> get a cold trip. You get trip on the line. Yeah, fine. Maybe he. Maybe I don't know why. I th- I would think you bought the whole library of things. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, uh, Kyle, you're up. All right, did anyone ever play Shadowrun? Of course! I want no. to come back. In the words, well, Ralph, the, the yeah, Genesis conversation. Version, right? <laughs> yeah, they, well, here's the thing, right? I played the Genesis version, and there was another version on the Super Nintendo, right? Yep. And I don't remember liking that one so much, but I remember the one on the, on the uh, Genesis being a lot of fun. And I do know that they came out with a, uh, I think on the Xbox uh, something <laughs> with the Shadowrun <laughs> name on there, and it was abysmal from what I've heard. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm, my, it was a Team Fortress memory. ripoff. Oh, really? Is that what it was? Yeah. I heard they stripped a lot of the cool stuff out too. Like there was, um, it was just pretty much a first-person shooter. It didn't have any magic or anything like that. In there. Yeah. So most of my memories uh, from this franchise revolve around the Genesis game, and just pulling off of what I remember, there was a lot of like exploration. And what I loved about the game was it really reminded me of Blade Runner. And I guess that's where it was based off of. I don't know the history of the game. Eric, maybe you know a little bit more about that? Uh, Shadowrun was one of the big two cyberpunk-themed RPGs back in the late 80s, early 90s. Okay, so is is it fair to say it probably was inspired by Blade Runner? Or? Yeah, Blade Runner and Neuromancer, all those kind of books and stuff. Yeah, what's cool is if you're not familiar with the game, it's like a Blade Runner-esque backdrop with the futuristic cyberpunk, you know, hacking into people's brains type of deal. But there's also like orcs and elves and some mysticism and magic mixed in there. There's just like a r- lot of cool things happening. And uh, I really loved the Genesis game. It, it felt very open world Like It felt like the early Fallout games... Maybe even more than more recent games to come out of Bethesda, but looking back because hindsight is twenty twenty, I see that the game was very linear. 
But what was great about that was you never felt trapped. You felt like you could explore this world, and I really dug it. And now I play a game like Fallout 3 or Dragon Age or, you know, these Western RPGs, and I'm just like, man, I wish that is what they did with this franchise instead of making it the uh, abysmal first-person shooter on the Xbox that I heard it was. (laughs) I want somebody like Bethesda to take that franchise and just run with it because I think... They would do a good job. Eric, would you agree on that? Or? That would be hard to do and make it good in today's day and age, I think. Although, you know, there's a game coming uh, to uh, a prequel to Deus Ex that okay. might scratch that itch. and It's a uh, Deus Ex Cyborg Revolution or something like that. Why do you think it would be so hard to uh, jump back into that franchise? Oh, uh, well, you know, the, the pen and paper game itself has changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. They're they're onto a fourth edition now, and they've kind of when the game started, it was science fiction for the '80s, and now it's more science fiction for the 2010s. Uh. So, I mean, the the old tech in Shadowrun, you know, the technology besides being able to graft cybernetic implants on was actually less advanced than we are now. Okay, so you had stuff you had stuff like cell phones that were the size of a brick and. <laughs> You know, you know, it, well, I think that, you know, even if they went back, to, like if they dialed it back to that retro future, I think that'd yeah. be cool. Yeah, you know? That sounds awesome. It would be cool. <laughs> it sounds what? It sounds cool. Yeah, no, I, th- cool, I think, like, I, I think it'd be a good franchise for a Western RPG developer to grab and run with. And, you know, maybe take a lot of liberties with but not as many that were taken with that Xbox game. <laughs> so I've been told. Oh, man, that Xbox game... Being a person that didn't know anything about Shadowrun, that Xbox game make me not want to play anything that has to do with Shadowrun or mm-hmm. come into contact with people who had anything to do with that Shadowrun game <laughs> or the mythos of the universe. And just like, no, nah, the mythos of that universe is really, uh, uh, for me at least. Again, I didn't play the pen and paper game, but uh-huh. the, the whole atmosphere of that game, that Sega game, Tune that in on your special antenna. Definitely play that. Because I I just... It was cool. It was really cool, and it was something different. It was the um, isometric view, if I remember correctly. And um, you just... You felt very free to explore Mm. and do anything. I mean, you could just take pop shots of people in the street, and there were severe repercussions for doing that. (laughs) Pro player tip, don't do that. um, (laughs) It was... uh, I, I don't know. There's something about it where... As years went on, I'm like, you know, what happened to that, those games? What? And then I heard about the Xbox game. I heard it was bad, so I just ignored it. But I'm just like, man, it, that was a cool franchise. That was a cool mythos, a cool setting. What mm-hmm. happened to that? And, you know, Fallout 3, kind of, because that was the first Fallout game I played. Yeah, that's that what I was going to mention. That itch for me, but yeah. it wasn't because it's post. it wasn't a post-apocalyptic game. It was very no. much a Blade Runner game, which the Blade Runner game was bad enough for me not to want a Blade Runner game. <laughs> Fallout 3 uh it also had that like that feel like this is how the future is going to be like back in the 50s like this is the world of tomorrow yes. like, you know that that kind of like but now you look back and like nothing's like that there're no bubble cards or anything like that you know <laughs> that's why I think the 80s 80s view of the future would actually be a cool setting yeah. It's all all thin ties, neon. Yeah, Nor a lot of coke and vote for Ronald Reagan. Well, we had that with, with Space Channel. Space Channel Five, I think, did that though. Oh yeah, but that was of course In a, a rhythm game. Way. Yeah, of course a rhythm game. Not very Blade Runner esque. No, no. <laughs> very much flock of seagulls esque. <laughs> but it did have Michael Jackson in it, so that's always good. 
and we're going back into the uh, moonwalk. Yeah, there we go, moonwalk. All right, man. Well, I, I, I'm going to take some things out of order because we we mentioned uh, a road rash and uh, something that. Oh, I always said that I wanted road rash to come back, and more importantly, Skitchin. I wanted Skitchin. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, come on, Skitchin. <laughs> I was Skitchen waiting for somebody was awesome. to say it. I'm so glad that Wiggly was, was the awesome. one who did it. It was great. Well, there is a, a game that, that could hit the Xbox Arcade. Do they still have that arcade room? What was that called? Game room? Yeah. Game room. I think it's called Server Will Be Shut Off in 30 Days. Gotcha. Yeah. Taito actually had a game in 1992 in the arcade that was called Riding Fight. Riding Fight. Now, you'd think you're riding on something, but you're not. It's a, it's sort of like a skateboarding game. It's a hoverboard, I should say. It's talking about the future, talking about jet grind radio and things like this. This was a uh, a, a pixel-based 3D-ish hoverboard punching each other types of uh, games. You also... Oh, Back to the Future for you, Nintendo. Exactly. You punch and kick, <laughs> then you jumped, and uh, there were tons of enemies and things like this. And, you know, but it, it was all on rails. It was all like a racing game. But it was a neat fighting racing game uh, that sort of fits in with there. But that's not my that's not my pick to bring back, although I would like to see that come back. I think that my biggest thing that I talk about time after time after time, we need to get some Saturn emulation going. I know that's impossible because of the bizarre uh, chipset that the Saturn used. But a Saturn Bomberman or Bomberman S or Bomberman Saturn is still my favorite it. Bomberman game of all time. And in all its pixel glory, 10 players... I played that yesterday for the first time. Did you? Yes. Because yeah, you went to that game uh, thing, right? I did indeed. And, and you uh, played your first uh, your first time playing the, the Turbo Graphics as well, the PC yeah, Engine. Yeah, the PC Engine. So you, to Fighting Street. Oh, did you? Yeah. Did, were you able to pull off anything like a tiger uppercut or a fireball or anything? <laughs> I did a, a fireball once. It's like a mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but it takes your enemy. It takes like half your enemy's life. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. And honestly, I remember because I've spoken about this before. But I remember calling the Turbo Graphics hotline and saying, you know, because they they used to have these things, and you used to call when you were stuck on levels and stuff. You call the Nintendo hotline or the Turbo Graphics hotline. I said, I that. you know, it says in my book here that I could do this fireball and this uppercut and this tornado kick. How do you do it? And they're like. Well, yeah, it's really hard, and you put on your turbo buttons. Like, you had to use the stick and the turbo buttons, where pressing a button isn't what makes the motion happen, you know? Like, the button press comes in at the end, but yet you had to have the turbo buttons on and move the joystick around like a crazy nut, and then sometimes it would happen. So, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. But uh, So you played the uh, Saturn Bomberman. Did, how many players were playing at the same time? Three. Three the same Okay, that's cool. It can host up to ten players, but it's best with eight or less because then you're you're still can see what's going on. When you do it to ten player, you need a really big television and it switches to like a widescreen mode when you go on ten. It's kinda hard to see on a television, but up to eight is just amazing. And you have all those characters from the Hudson franchises like Master Higgins from Adventure Island, Bonk. Fraulein Yuna, and other uh, Hudson licensed characters. And it also had a fantastic single player mode with great enemy designs, great level designs, great bosses, very fun. And you had your kangaroo.
kangaroo dinosaurs that you uh, were able to get onto in single or multiplayer with all their own special abilities like jumping over blocks or kicking bombs. And in Japan, you had the additional releases of the specialty S-Bomb multiplayer adapter that is shaped like a laughing Bomberman face with his lowercase n eyes. You needed two multi-taps if you wanted to do 10-player because uh, six players is in each multi-tap. Uh, so that, and you had the S-Bomb multi-tap, you had the S-Bomb controller that had a little Bomberman in the middle of it, which is, was amazing. That had turbo buttons on it as well. But, uh, you know, that doesn't really correlate to anything. But all those little types of thing made the game even more special and, and felt like you were really doing something special. Do kids still, do they still have those, like, multi-taps anymore for, like, games? Oh. No way, man, because everything has, like, a wireless controller. Yeah, ever since oh, wireless okay. controllers came out, you don't need that. But I think the PS3 is one of the few that can do eight players. I don't think... I don't know how many... How many people can play on the 360? Any idea? I think four. Yeah, I've only seen up to four. Okay, so... Yeah, I think four. I know that we have eight on the on the PS3, and uh, I think you could do, like, the five-player TurboGrafx Oh, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, the Wii, I think, can do the Fireplayer TurboGrafx game, so maybe that can host up to six. I, I'm really not sure either. Yeah, but then at that point, you're just going to smack your friend in the face for really <laughs> break your mom's favorite face. You know, which true, which was they your warned int- you about. That was your intentions anyway. Like, man, I really want to hit Johnny. Come on, let's play some canoeing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my pick. Uh, Stinky, what do you got? All right, well, first of all, is Ouch on? No, Ouch is not on. Oh, okay, well, I'm used to doing a show with him. Yeah, I know. We all know that. Well, I have an addendum for the last time that we we did our show. Yeah, addendum. You know about that, Kyle, don't you? I know all about them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the last time I talked about Super Free Kick by H.J. Corp., but... Before the show, I usually like to do some fact-checking, but I couldn't because my Commodore 64's Westbridge Communications <laughs> Direct Connect modem wasn't working because Wiggly had the phone line disconnected. Well, we don't need a phone line. We all have cell phones. Why are you still using your Commodore 64 to look things up? I don't have anything that does anything else except the phone. <laughs> I'm still what about playing. about the Newton? You can't use the Newton you got there? Or? My phone goes faster than the Commodore 64. <laughs> My e-mate has a phone line adapter. What do you mean? <laughs> My cell phone goes faster. <laughs> I'm using X-Band to play against my friends. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, anyway, get to what you're talking about. Well, yeah, uh, Super Free Kick isn't a crappy arcade game where you kick a... F- Soccer football, uh, football for you, John. It's not where you kick a oh, soccer yeah. ball in a, into a net. It's not that. Super free kick is like a hot-blooded high school soccer, except it's a breakout game. Hot-blooded. Don't you know hot-blooded high school? <laughs> yeah, hot-blooded high school. Well, yeah, hot-blooded. That's what, uh, what, what was the NES game that was with the hot-blooded high school characters? I don't know. Hot-blooded high school, just real creepy. Yeah, River City Ransom, that's right. Yes. So this is like that, except it's by H.J. Corp., whoever they are. Why don't they come back? That's who I want to say I need to come back. But uh, this was a breakout game, except that instead of shooting at bricks, 
there's a soccer team in front of you, and they're trying to block the goal. So you have to try to knock them over, and they're kicking the ball back, and all types of weird, funky things happen. But uh, that's a great combination. I'd love to see that released, but I think I don't think anyone bought the right Citus, so I don't think that'll ever come out. <laughs> all right. That's good enough for you. Okay. Let's go around the horn, then. Eric Alex. Oh, uh, man. You know, my other choice for something I want to see a sequel to is Too Human for the uh, Xbox 360. <laughs> I think I'm the only person on the planet that actually liked this game. I never no, heard of it. No, right here. I love like Too it? Human. I love Too Human. How do you That's spell a, that? Fun the game. number two? T-O-O. Oh, so it's yeah, too, too much. much human. Too much human. Yeah. Okay. If anything. I'm a big fan of Dennis Dyack for some reason. I just like the guy up until the game. Like, I follow Too Human a lot. Like, I just followed it because I thought it was going to be such a great game. And it ended up being a good game to me. But um, it was just him and, like, all the Silicon Knights suing Epic and the hoopla. I was following that, and, and Too Human was coming out. And I also broke my wrist, so I had nothing but time. I was going to say, why are you following this story so closely? <laughs> <I> <laughs> there's, broke my... there's people dying in other lands, and you're following the trials and tribulations of Too Human. <laughs> I don't know why. Everything that's wrong with America. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it was a really good game. That's a great choice, Eric. That came out of nowhere. And it it ended on a cliffhanger. I don't think I beat it. I think I just kept like trying to level up and level up and level up. And then by the time my wrist healed and I had to go back to my regular job, I was just like, "Hey, let's go back to Gears of War." No, but yeah, that's a great game. I love Two Human. What? They what promised that it was the first part of a uh, of a trilogy, and they and there were a bunch of legal troubles, and it doesn't look like it's ever going to come out. But they said your character was going to carry over, and mm-hmm. I was really looking forward to that. And it uh, it's not going to happen, and I'm depressed about it. Yeah, and I, I like the whole like North mythology thing they had going on with Ragnarok and supposed to be in like a cyber retelling of the whole thing. It was really good. I'm, I'm kind of sad as it's not coming back either. I don't understand what this even is. It was a beat-em-up RPG. Yeah. By, and that storyline basically was the story of Ragnarok. Yeah. It, it only gets about a third of the way through Ragnarok, so the bad stuff that is sort of promised and would be awesome doesn't happen. I see. Yeah. And Thor yeah. is in there, which is awesome. Anything with Thor, I play. <laughs> Very good. I just think it's awesome that, you know, Ralph let go of politics and human, human relations and, you know, just everything. And he's just, like, sitting there probably on painkillers going, oh, no, is it going to come out? No, it hasn't. I was. I was on painkillers and Red Bull. It was awesome. <laughs> It's got a dichotomy because you're falling away from humanity as you get into your painkillers, and all you want to know about is two humans, but you're becoming too little of a human. It's like Lord of the Flies in my bedroom. Oh my goodness! Here we go again. Wow. Oh, yeah, that, that went in a whole weird direction. Yeah, there, John. It's too much. Good Lord. We talk games. All right, Ralph, what do you got for us? You were talking about Data East. When I was younger, we used to always go into 7-Eleven 
the Seven Eleven used to have like video games in them, and I remember being a young kid walking in, and there'd be like a Data East cabinet there, and when you went around. It was RoboCop, the video game. Oh, yeah. I sure. want that to come back. That game or the franchise to have another game? I want that game to come back because oh. it was... I don't know why. As a young kid, I mean, RoboCop is like one of my favorite movies. And so I just love the way he would like drive through and, you know, be like, freeze, punk. You know, that still like resonates with me. And I wish that they would come back with that game. I don't think I ever actually played it. I would just look at the demo play over and over again. So I think that uh, I they could just do that. They could just uh, sit there and have a demo, remake a demo and just have it play. I'll buy it. <laughs> Robo- oh Robocop DLC for like GTA 4 would be awesome. Oh, oh yeah. That's the yeah. only thing I'd actually want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then that would you're be like, awesome. be a nice change oh, up to be a robotic cop. Okay. The law. Yeah, that would be awesome. for the 80s one, though. And while we're on the topic of 80s movies, I'd like to see as video games Roadhouse, the video game. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. I thought you were going to say Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the movie, the video wow. game. Wow. Street Fighter, the movie, the video game. There was one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want that to come back to oh, <laughs> Street Fighter, the movie, the video game. Oh too. boy, you're the devil, John. aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it could be based on uh, the Chun Li movie. Oh no, no, not should be based on that. Apart from. <laughs> <laughs> they should do it. I, I'm surprised they didn't come out with a. They come out with a game tie-in for every movie that comes out. Yeah, Why not like that? a year later. <laughs> yeah, they should, they should do it right now. Just kind of like here's the the ballot. Was it the ballad of Chung Lee? The legend of Chung yeah. Lee? Yeah, the legend. Did, did anybody know that there was a legend? Is there a legend about Chung Lee? There's a legend, but uh, this doesn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> It was like Punisher with I think it was like the Punisher movies. It, it really didn't have anything to do with Chun Li. I, I think like Blanca, you know, it's just a dude, you know. He was just, yeah, he was. He was just, just like a heavy, regular guy. Yeah, he's I a was, yeah, Bison was Irish, and that's what was yeah, exactly. Movie, you know? It's amazing. I, you know, he has a sword. You know, it's like, he didn't have a sword in the game. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> and he I remember the original movie, the original. St- Street Fighter movie, and the biggest deal breaker for me was that Sagat was five foot nothing and a hundred ten pounds. In that movie, <laughs> he looked with like a visible a, bald cap. He looked, <laughs> he looked like an Elvis impersonator playing Sagat. <laughs> he looked like my mailman playing Sagat. Wow. <laughs> oh man, that was the. But it's a classic movie, though. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Whatever, whatever, whatever Street Fighter movie comes on, I have to watch it. Wow. Because it's so great. And that's why you'll never beat level one one of Mario. <laughs> they got a Samoan to play a Japanese guy. Well, that you hasn't happened before. We've seen that you happen. Can't, you can't get any better than that, you know? The great Kikina. You can't get better than that. Right, John? Yeah. The French guy was the American. I mean, the whole <laughs> casting was wrong. <laughs> they got all the nationalities wrong, except for <laughs> except for uh, Balrog, which they couldn't have messed that up, right? Oh, and Bison. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. 
Yeah. Uh, wait, let's not go into that trap again. Please, All the name no. changes. Jesus, sorry, that took a half sorry, hour. Sorry, sorry. All right. So who, who was that? Who went? Ralph? Was I, I think I did. I'm sorry. I went on the tangent. Okay. My bad. I want more of a sequel to a genre that's gone and dead. And Very good. Whatever else. Uh, I want Nam 1976. I want uh, <laughs> Cabal 2. And I want Wild Guns 2. And I oh, want Wild Guns so good. Other stuff where you've got a little reticle on the screen and you're moving your guy. I want mm-hmm. all that stuff back. That's a know? genre. And, and it's dying to be on the Wii. But you want it to natively play with a controller instead of the light gun zapper games that were... I mean, we're getting those from the Wii. We're getting those light gun zapper ones. But you want to actually yeah. play it with a joystick. Yeah, certainly. I want to do... I want, I want it all. I want to be able to do both, really. Like, you know, because I think uh, if you could move your guy with your stick... And then move the reticle around with the Wiimote. Now, is that what they call rectangles? Reticles. Wow. Yeah. If you could do that or just play it classic style, I I just want those back and nobody seems to be interested. And I want to go back to that. I'm very interested. That's all all that the Wii is doing with with all the the heavy 3D games that come out for other systems. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't do a Gears of War on rail shooter. I I no 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 not on rail shooter, but you know like yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. Blasphemy. But I mean, but I mean, it would work. They would be able to do something like you're saying on the Wii. It can really Don't handle it. Knock it, because Dead Space on the Wii Amazing. is actually yeah. very well thought out. If it could just move faster, it would have been a really great game. Dead Space. Sure. They did it with the Resident Evil Four. You know, they mm-hmm. brought it as an on rail shooter like that. And it really worked. But yeah, how how about something with the like the the new Metroid Other M types of controls that might work. For something like this, yeah, yeah. House of the Plus, Dead too, right? Yeah, House of they the Dead. That, House, of the, House of the Dead. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun on the way. Yep. Yeah, I, I wasted a lot of quarters dying very quickly in House of the Dead. Mm. I'd love to see a remake of the uh, Nom Seventy Five. No doubt about it. Not only oh, yeah. did you notice now. Uh, remember, we brought it up on the council quite a while ago. I think it might have been the last Mega Council. Or why are there no Nom War games? Like we see well, with Brother Arms and stuff, and now they're all coming yep. out. Yep. Oh yeah, uh, Battlefield Bad Company yep. is coming out with like a Vietnam pack, which yep. I will be buying the first day. So, uh, so uh, thanks for listening, guys. That's all I got to say to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Send but me my five dollars. The heroin mini game, a little, <laughs> little not classy. I gotta say, it's a little blue. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> there have been insulin mini games in in other I games, know. so why Captain not? Novelin? Yeah, exactly. So why not have uh, some type of um, spread your toes uh, oh, and take geez. the H or something? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, where are we at here? Heroin use for the Wii. That's <laughs> <laughs> all it's called. It's got the Wii mote. Your, your Wii mote is your syringe. Yes. <laughs> Gotta get it between the toes. <laughs> Trauma Center, except with a, a, a you're all top heads. Thousand chance soundtrack. <laughs> we tweak Henry Hophead. Nice. What do you got there, Kyle? Prop cycle. Oh yeah. Now, now, do you have to buy? I, I, I don't know how. For I don't house. know. How. I'm not giving. <laughs> I'm telling you what I want. I don't yeah. know the uh, the solution to this. Gotcha. But uh, I'm right there with Joel West. Yeah. Prop Cycle is awesome. It is awesome. And yeah. if you ever got to play this game, it, just cherish that moment. Because chances are you will never play that game again. Yeah. Mm. So awesome. 
Yeah, that was a great game. Should we explain what that is in case anyone's uh, glib? I'll explain it. It it is an exercise bicycle with a a fan attached to it. Yeah, blows in your face. And you can push and pull, I think. Uh, That was the other play mechanic. And uh, you speed up, and that makes your prop cycle yaw, pitch, and things. Yeah, you're on this little, uh, what, a dirigible or a, a, a gyro? It's like a helicopter, I guess, Yeah, that you power with your bicycle and you move through rings and you pop balloons and stuff. I was a big mark, as it's no secret, for uh, Pilot Wings and Pilot Wings mm, 64. Definitely. So I just ate this game up when I saw it in the arcade, and I sat there for hours trying to get a higher and higher score. I really enjoyed that game, and uh, it's definitely one of those games that you're not emulating on your laptop. So as well. Yeah, you know, and exactly. <laughs> it was just a different game altogether and it was a lot of fun and i enjoyed it yeah well i'll go and uh we brought up the 3do a little bit earlier and i am so shocked that the 3do did not succeed and that is because of a genre of game that i I think may have started with plumbers don't wear ties but um once you bring sex into a video game system and then it still fails i don't know what you could be possibly be doing wrong i was best boy grip on that game were you (laughs) no blonde justice love bites Bodylicious Digital Rave Part 1, Mind Teasers, Virtual Vivid. I mean, Vivid Entertainment even got in on this. Maybe the problem was that it was R-rated and it was, you know, MPEG-1 video quality back in the day. So, actually, no matter what you watched, you were looking at a muddy block, uh, (laughs) uh, you know. But the names of adult titles for the 3DO, I think, is the most extensive of any gaming platform of all time. And yet... Still didn't do anything. Yeah. So I think uh, it was the controller. The controller? Didn't the 3D? Didn't it have a weird controller? No, the 3D controller. I think you're thinking of the CDI. Yeah, the I CDI. Think of the CDI. Yeah, yeah. CDI yeah. was the first Wiimote, except that it you had. You throw it against the wall except. if you try to use it. The 3DO had a good controller, except when they brought out Street Fighter on it. Number one, it was only a five-button controller. And number two, in order to do any of the fireballs or special moves, you had to loosen the screws in the back of the 3DO controller because the diagonals just never worked unless you turned each screw like four twists to the left. Uh, that was, that was wow. Yeah, that was really neat. How do you find that out? You know, it just went around in the game magazines and things like this and the, and the uh, news groups. That's how you fixed it. And then they came out with six-button controllers. Capcom even came out with their own six-button controllers to try to make some loot off of there, which was a pretty bizarre-looking um, 3DO pad as well. And most of the third-party 3DO pads didn't have the daisy chain capabilities, so it was kind of like, eh. Some of them had two wires hanging out of them instead of being able to plug one controller into another. But oh, uh, I don't think I really want to see a return of, uh, of adult titles, but I do want to see two other titles come out for the 3DO uh, that were popular on the 3DO, I mean. They both tie in with asking for Mutant League football and what um, Heavy Smash, I think. Is that what you added, Stink? Yeah. That is the return of... Battle sport, I think, yes, but I, I don't even... I, return fire. Why don't... We need a return fire or Herzog's why that type of genre of war game where you're controlling one vehicle at a time 
with a time captured a flag sort of thing going on between two players and we can have this on a couch or through the uh, the networking what do you call that online play yeah new thing <laughs> online play uh, but did anyone else love return fire or Herzog's why uh, played either me either I didn't wow. have a, that didn't have a 3do okay well so. no you, you could play you could play Herzog's why on, a, on the Genesis but what, oh. what it was was like a, a real-time war game, except that you were only one vehicle at a time. Like Return Fire, you could take out your helicopter, you try to blow up their whatever to hell, and then you needed to drive your Jeep to capture the flag. And then when you're trying to drive your Jeep back, your opponent's coming with their helicopter or their tank to try to blow you up. And it's just very mm. fast-paced, and you're only controlling one troop at a time. So mm. I'd love to see that return. Yeah. All right, Stink, you're up. All right. I know you'd like to see those adult titles come back, Wiggly. What I'd like to see is Milk and Nuts. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I knew. Get out of here. I knew you were going to bring up something. No, your that, poop that, jokes game, that is a game for the Nintendo. It is? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Stinky, tell them about it. Lay, lay, lay down some facts. That's right. What are you getting on me for? You're the one talking about Blonde Justice and Dracula Blumbers. vampire uh, boobies. Uh, yeah, 1984 Hudson Soft. It was, in fact, it was uh, Hudson Soft's first Famicom game, the NES game in Japan. It's like a Donkey Kong Jr., Bubble Bobble, and Mappy. We're talking, oh, you and I were talking about Hopping Mappy. It's not like that. But maybe even a little bit of City Connection in there. That's a game I like to see, too. City Connection. I like that game. Um, that but was a good game. the reason that I think it's a little like City Connection is because your character, Milk, he looks a little bit like a car. Because he's just yes. uh, like this milk drop with feet. He's strawberry milk. Nuts is your the enemies, and they're like blueberry milk drops or something. I don't know. Right. The little, uh, little boy in his blobs or something. Something was lost in translation with this game. Well, milk and Nuts was called Caligula's Cookie Hunt over here in Europe. Wow. <laughs> cookie. I don't think that's real. Well, anyway. Anyway. Uh, your milk and your enemies are the blueberry drops nuts. And you collect all the fruit from around the level. And then your fiance, Milkette, I just made that up. She appears in her little house. And then you have to go up to her house and you rescue her. And then you make a heart happen, and then the level's clear. Much well, in the way of uh, what was it, Adventures of Lolo, and and even Popeye. It's kind of yeah, like, it's it's like a, those. Games. Sounds like Popeye. It sounds a little bit like yeah. even uh, Donkey Kong for the Game Boy, because you go up to the top and then you make uh, happens things like that. Mm. Yeah, mm. and my favorite part is when I blow my <laughs> all over her. F- <laughs> oh my God! Get out of here! I, I totally forgive Stinky for his prior tinkering. Jeez. <laughs> He's done. Transmission machine. My goodness. I do for that part. Uh, no, that. no. <laughs> Good lord. Oh, man. Stinky I the love, Game Master, everybody. I love Stinky. That's why he's not allowed on here. <laughs> <laughs> for the right. kids. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Stinky's final console appearance. Wow. I just look at the little characters as well. That would be so tragic. (laughs) (laughs) Good lord. I don't think we can top that. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I want to see the return of the Mortal Kombat mythology games. They did one for like the 64, and it was pretty stupid and not really good. But I remember playing it and being into it and you liking, mean, you know, and learning a little bit more about the backstory of Mortal Kombat. You got to play as like Sub Zero, yeah, yeah, like the yeah. first one, and, and it was like a, a side scrolling beat 'em up. And uh, you got powers and stuff. It was really bad, but you know it's a bad, good game. But it was put. And, in, uh, it was put in 3D. It wasn't really side. You were side scrolling, but it was. It was all polygons and stuff. I remember this on the PS2. Yeah, that was really good. And also, you were talking about the game hotlines. I want that to come back. <laughs> they, they don't have any more gaming hotlines. You know, I want to be able to call people and be like, "Oh, sir, please." Uh, I can't get through the last episode of Halo and some disgruntled guy like, uh, kid, did you use your gun? <laughs> no, he goes, kid, did you use your internet? Did you use your game facts? Because, yeah. uh, I remember the first time I, I actually heard about the, the game hot, or saw it was in the, uh, uh The Wizard. Remember <laughs> yes. they called up? Yes. Or I think it was Double Dragon or some game they called up for. And, you know, it was like a room full of people in cubicles with their headsets and there's books for people to open up. And exactly. I was like, wow, what, what a job. I would apply <laughs> for that job. I would quit school and apply for that job. <laughs> Good thing you didn't. Good thing I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> hey, was, uh, was Mortal Kombat Shaolin Monks, was that in that same mythology series? I think that, like, what was that Sub-Zero one called? Like, Sub-Zero's Quest, and then and then Shaolin Monks came out where you could be, who could you be in that? You could be, like, Sub-Zero and yeah. Kung Lao. You could be like Liu Kang and Kung Lao. And oh, okay. like if you beat it, you could be uh, you could be the two ninja guys. Okay. okay. Oh wow, that game was a blast to play through. I yeah, was I it? forgot all about it until Ralph said something. A friend of mine and I played through um, Shaolin monks together, and it was uh, a classic. You know, side scrolling beat 'em up. It was in 3D, but yeah, that was great fun. Again, another reason why Midway has failed epically. <laughs> Well, we saw Namco try this as well with the Tekken series. Remember Death, mm. Death by Degrees for the PS2? Mm. <laughs> no one else yeah. does. It was horrible. <laughs> it was yeah, horrible. I, you were Nina, and uh-huh. uh, you did. Uh, it, it was. Uh, it was just lousy. It was terrible. But the crazy thing is that in every Tekken game, they already had that. Like, I don't know why they would come out with a standalone game because every Tekken game, well, everyone, uh, I think at, the newer at part ones, yeah. two, yeah. yeah, at part two, you could be anybody and you would go through, and it was almost like a final fight almost, mm-hmm. and you would just go and fight, you know, loads and loads of enemies. So why they would come out with, a, you know, a whole game by, like, anybody really cares. Guess nobody does. No, no one does because yeah. no one even remembers <laughs> Death by Degrees. I don't even like Tekken. Oh, sacrilege! <laughs> well, how about you never played Tekken on the Wonder Swan, did you? No. There you go. Tekken card ca- uh, card captures or Tekken card game. It was re- it was a really neat. It was black and white, but it doesn't matter. It was a lot of fun. Little you know, card trading sort of game on the Wonder Swan. One of the games to pick up for that system. There should be like a UN councils for like games that can and cannot be made. You know? <laughs> You put it to the council it first. 
Yeah, they come out with some of the. I think like all the developers should have to go and be like, you know, like we're thinking about making this game, and every other developer has to vote on it. Like, no, you should not make a PlayStation Eye card game. No, <laughs> nobody's going to play it. I'm sorry, you but know, I need uh, a new game for my hyperscan. I only have X Men. <laughs> when am I, I when mean, am gonna get a new game for that? Oh man, I feel sorry for anybody who got suckered into buying a PlayStation I or anybody that's gonna get you know, I'm gonna buy Connects, but I know I'm a sucker already, so uh, John? Yes, sir. Anything else? Uh, oh indeed. Uh it's not really well I guess it's a video game genre and this is the video game review T V show. Like uh, I'm not sure if you guys had many in America, like back in the day, but in the early nineties, we had TV shows like Bad Influence and uh, Games Master mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I'm sure listeners from the UK and Ireland will know what I'm talking about. And these jo- these shows made games look better than they ever would when you were playing them. <laughs> yes, yeah. I don't know. They, they really knew, really knew how to make games look awesome. Like to see that kind of stuff come back. There's a few kind of game review shows that I've seen recently, but they're all kind of terrible, and they're nothing compared to what people actually just put together in their bedrooms and, and throw up on YouTube. Like you know, mm. because the enthusiasm doesn't seem to be there anymore. And I'd like to see people who make great content, a little bit of money thrown behind them, and we can get that kind of good, kind of um, awesome culture that built up around the release of stuff. I mean, like I was watching. Uh, thing there the other day and they were talking about look at the graphics that are going to be on Rise of the Robots that's a piece of crap but I was still getting excited yeah that's, that's because those shows were a bunch of corporate shills though they were like peddling you JLN games and stuff like that Mm, They're like, play as Uncle Fester and blast your way through eight <laughs> exciting levels. <laughs> I don't care. I want it back. Are you trying to tell me that you don't get your entertainment dollar value from that bald-headed, hunchback, cross-eyed goofball on the X-Play and things like this? Uh, who? <laughs> don't you, G4 don't you know that little troll that has a cross eye and a hunchback <laughs> look I have no idea who you're talking about well, he, he obviously he'll knows never come on the show he knows yeah. everything about video games in the whole world really is that a loss if he never comes on the show <laughs> okay. welcome to X-Play <laughs> I give We Talk Games a no out of zero <laughs> <laughs> eat it, Sessler. Yes, eat it. Hey, you, did you ever know that? Uh, I, I've talked about this before, but we had a, a show called uh, Video Power, which had this guy that hosted Johnny Arcade, and he'd jump over the back of like a sofa. That's how excited he was about video games, you know. And then he'd he'd land there like the Fonz or something, and he wore sunglasses, and then he he'd shoot like his <laughs> like his NES controller would shoot like laser beams out of it in the in the opening. <laughs> but they showed a cartoon on here, and I've talked about this before and the cartoon was the power team and the power team was composed of this guy that hosted this johnny arcade and it was all these people from acclaim games it was like the one dude from narc you know the cop like the cop with from narc with his machine gun okay the iron sword guy uh fabio you know from wizards yeah, and warriors too you had a basketball player in from arch rivals Bigfoot, of course, would team them. Bigfoot, the truck. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Quirk the tomato from the Game Boy game, Quirk the chilled tomato. And this was a team that would go against like the big fat drug lord from Narc. That was like their enemy, you know. Show sounds like was the wow. guy who uh, used to open his coat and all the cocaine would fall over that guy from there? <laughs> I, I think he was, was like one of the henchmen. So it was so bizarre. You know, it was so weird. See, I remember Mr. Captain Big. and the Game Master. Okay, the show Captain and the Game Master. With, right, right. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The transsexual mother brain, which was awesome. <laughs> and Mega Man, who sounded like he had a trach. <laughs> Yeah, why didn't anyone mention that they wanted to see the return of Mega Man Soccer? Oh, I don't want to see the return of that <laughs> game. If you ever wanted to play wow. football in slow motion, Mega Man Soccer for the Super Nintendo. Uh, they could have just thrown it into that Mario Soccer game. Now that Strikers? That was yeah, great. The Strikers don't game. hate on that game. Yeah, that was a good game. I'm not hating. That's Soul Sam was in a good game. Oh, just throw Mega Man in there a la, like, Melee. Player brawl or whatever. Yeah, the that same way they throw everybody else in, they could just throw Mega Man in there. Snake in that game as well. <laughs> yeah. Snake. And, he hides yeah. under the box. Yeah, they put everybody else, Samus and all their other little, you know, baby friends. I cannot wait for Snake to come out in that fighting game. When's that going to come out? What fighting know. game? I don't know. It's like Smash Brothers or something, and then Snake is in it. It's already out. Oh, it is? That's how much I cared about Snake being in oh. that game. <laughs> that was a long setup, Wiggly. Was that? <laughs> I, even, I Honestly, I, I could not wait for that to come out because Snake just looked amazing. And then I, I, it was, I guess, so unimpressive. I played that to death for like, you know, two weeks, but... I guess Snake wasn't enough to hold me on there. No, I gotta tell you, as far as the Wii's concerned, there was a couple of key franchises where I thought the GameCube version was better. Mainly Mario Kart and, uh, uh, what was it, Melee. Over or Brawl Double Dash. And- Double Dash was great. Double Dash was fantastic, and then it mm. felt like they took five steps back with uh, the Wii version of Mario Kart. It felt like we already played it because... We did. We, did. <laughs> we were playing Game Boy Advance tracks on the way. Exactly. Nice. Thank yeah. you. I think they had to dumb it down so they could get all the little you know, all the right, kids to you. play. You're done. That's that's what they had to do. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Hey, while we're on Nintendo, can I talk about uh, one other franchise I'd like to see return? Definitely. Everybody knows I'm a big classic Game Boy mark and a big mark for Gunboy Yokoi. I loved the Wario Land series, mm. and I'm shocked that it kind of went to the wayside uh, after the Game Boy unit was, I guess, retired. Mm-hmm. I was really expecting a Wario Land game on the DS, and I, I really enjoyed these games. It started off like a platformer, like a regular Mario game, but then it evolved into something a little more interesting, where Wario couldn't die, but you could get severely aggravated playing this game because um, it would bring you back to the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very much a puzzle game in the sense of, of Donkey Kong 95 for the Game Boy, which we've talked at length about. Mm-hmm. Particularly in the, the last installment, Wario Land 4, 
for the Game Boy Advance, the music in that game, and I don't know if I touched on this when we talked about music and games, but the music in that game is some of the best video game mu- music I have ever heard. Hmm. It really is. It really it took advantage of whatever it took advantage of and really produced some beautiful music in that game. And that game is just a blast. And I'd really like to see the return of the Wario Land franchise. Wasn't there a was there a Wario Land for the GameCube or yeah, something? It was Shake It, uh, Shake It for the yeah, Wii. Shake It. No, what that, did you think I don't about know that? If that falls in the same canon or in the same series. I know that there was also the Wario. I think yeah, maybe it was just called Wario Land for the uh, the GameCube. But again, that yeah. was more of a platforming game where you were collecting treasure. It was made by Treasure, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, those two games, the Shake It and GameCube game. I don't think fall into the same series. I was, I'm talking about portably. I'd like right, to see right. a return. Maybe even with the uh, 3DS, uh, we might see a return, especially because I'm seeing some of the things come out for uh, Professor Layden and how that 3D element is going to you know, add something new to those puzzles and, and riddles. I'd like to see that used in the Wario Land game. I mean, there was a Wario Land game for the uh, Virtual Boy. Yeah, so maybe we that's what I was going to mention. Some sort of port of that happening. That one had some puzzles in it. The the, the Game Boy, uh, the Virtual Boy had puzzles in it, in that it was on two planes, a forward plane right. and a back plane, and you had to figure out when you needed to jump between the two planes to uh, to get through the end of the level. But it wasn't as puzzle-based as, uh, as the ones for the Game Boy. No, Wario Land 4 was probably the most puzzle based of all of the games but they got progressively more toward that direction as the series went on i mean he made his first appearance in that mario land 2 six golden coins game as the villain and then it spun off of that because the first wario land game was super mario land 3 hey remember wario blast that was Bomberman. it was for the original game boy it was Bomberman, but wario was the Bomberman. I don't remember that. I remember the one where Wario would put a bucket on your head, and you'd have to use the uh, mouse to navigate the screen with Mario. Aha! Uh-huh. You don't know that game? No. It, it was that- the Super Famicom, and then you would... Uh, it, it was a puzzle game, and you would turn switches and activate elevators and le- um, and bridges to navigate Mario from one end to a, of the screen to the other. And at the beginning of every level, Wario would come out and throw a bucket on your on Mario's head. So I you'd see. use the Super Nintendo mouse to click around. It was kind of lame, but yeah. <laughs> this is called Mario and Wario, wasn't it? It was called Mario. Oh yeah, and yeah, Wario. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yep, that's what it was called. And before we wrap up, I've got one more. All that's right. Great. How about? And here's another series I love and hold dear to my heart, and I'd love to see a return. Shining Force. Mm. Oh, that game was great. Right, and now, well, which Eric, one? what was the last Shining Force you played? I never played Shining Force 2 on the original Genesis until the uh, the Sonic Collection came out for the 360. Right. So I played it a little on that. Now, 2 was the last one I played. I didn't yeah. play the Sega CD ones. Uh, the, I believe there was I another one for the Saturn. I did play the one on the Game Gear. And I uh, I probably should have taken out stock in Energizer batteries <laughs> trying to complete that game on the Game Gear. I believe my parents threatened me <laughs> how many times I was asking for more batteries. I loved that game, and there's a lot of games like it. They're like the Breath of Fire series. But thats I don't think that's what I really enjoyed about the game. It was the art style. Uh, going back to the cyberpunk, maybe a little bit of steampunk thrown in there. It just yeah. it's very interesting world. A lot of fun. This is an uh, turn-based strategy RPG. You move your units on a, on a board, much like a tabletop game. 
and they, they all have different attributes and things. And there was everything from your elven knight riding a horse to a robot. Uh, I believe his name was Adam. And then there yeah. was also a uh, steampunk. Yeah, a steampunk knight. It was, a, it was like a steam-powered knight. He'd, yeah, he was a steam knight. I remember that guy. Right, he'd power up and then charge and hit the guys. Get a big I love these mustache. Yes, and these games are uh, Gort, the, the dwarf. Uh, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed them, and I wish they'd make a return. I thought they were going to. Back in the late 90s, I believe, they, they brought Shining Force 1 and 2 to the Game Boy Advance. And this is something that I like to see kept in its, you know, pixel. I know pixel art is more expensive to do than, mm. you know, throwing some polygon screen. Maybe I'd settle for that. But again, I'd like to see this on, uh, uh, you know, the downloadable fun at home. You mentioned that you don't play anything for your PSP. Isn't like Shining in the Holy Ark or Shining in the Darkness and all these other iterations of that uh, available on, the, like, the PSP? Yeah, I don't I don't want remakes. I, I want a new mm. game in that franchise. Is that what those are, you remakes? Yeah. Yeah, I believe they're just remakes of the those classic games. Shining in the Darkness, I think, became uh, came out before Shining Force. Oh, right, right. And that right. was just a dungeon explorer game, the same genre. Gotcha. Yeah, that actually wasn't that good. I don't think. No, that was another game I started doing the graph paper <laughs> maps of, and then I abandoned that quickly because I just was not having a good time. Oh, they, <laughs> they did do a sequel to the to the Shining Force games on the PS2. Just going back to how Sega hates us all. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they, made, they made it into a, a Diablo clone. Oh, oh, great! I'm glad I missed that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, really I was I was just reading an article about this game. Apparently, when the when they advertised for it, right, the gist of the ads was that if you like the old Shining Force games, you're a wimp. Yeah. <laughs> so they just immediately got rid of any potential audience they had, and and all this time I thought it was George Lucas who killed my childhood, but instead <laughs> it's I Sega. Today it's Sega. It was Sega all along. Wow! Every time I come on, we talk games. I feel like I had a poor childhood because I never know any of the games that anybody's talking about. <laughs> that's why we have you on. Yeah, <laughs> like to make me feel bad. Like. <laughs> Look how great our childhood were. <laughs> you play? What did you play? Altered Beast and Moonwalker. Yeah. Hey, those are great games. <laughs> I liked Moonwalker. Altered, yeah, oh, but that's all I had for like six years until I started cutting lawns. Yeah, but when Bubbles comes, she jumps in your arm and turns into a giant robot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have one more. Um, do you remember the game Bayou Billy for the sure. NES? Yes, yeah. I do. Well, maybe just me coming from the country, but I love that game. I love that whole like rednecky feel, you know, you know, and uh, jumping over alligators and stuff like that. that. What's funny about that game is that game is straight up Japanese. Is it? Yeah, like it has such a redneck feel about it, and yet it, it came from Japan and it was in Japan first, and they converted <laughs> it to Bayou Billy for the U.S. Really? Because yeah. that's probably how they thought of us back then. Like these are all Americans. When you go like with Paul Hogan, throw somebody on there that looks like it. <laughs> yeah, they're like when I go to New York, that's all I do is you know jump over alligators. <laughs> you, other than Ralph and I, did anyone else play this game? No. I thought you it, know, I, thought, I thought that he used a light gun in some parts. It did. And yeah. here's what's great about Bayou Billy is, is that in concept it was really clever. It had action platforming. It had bits where you were shooting your light gun at the screen and it also had driving bits. It did. Those three things and what system does it belong on? 
the Wii. Yeah. It belongs on the Wii. You mm-hmm. can do your light gun elements, then you can take your controller, snap it into that stupid plastic <laughs> steering wheel, yeah. and you can pop it back out and do your action platforming. Mm-hmm. I think this game needs a remake on the Wii Wii. <laughs> They'll just throw Mario in there. Like, it's a me, oh. Mario! <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> all right. All right. Council, council. Well, before I it was a Konami game, too. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. 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 See, they, they got too many other big franchises to worry about. Bayou Billy, I believe, is not even on the back burner. It's back in the yard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming to Melee Brawl. Well, before before we start talking about remakes of Gumshoe. And uh, and video movie Gold Gold thirteen, <laughs> and, oh yeah, and video movie remakes of uh, Dwarf on Golf. I think I'm going to call <laughs> the end of our first ever meeting of the Mini Mega Council in 3D. By the way, hey, you know how they can make oh. that 3DS even better? Make it just all red. Mm, yes, I would love that. All right, everybody, thanks for joining in, and we'll talk to you next time. I hope. Bye, everyone. Later. Bye. Holograms are delicious. I want all those games, and I want them now. All right, Keith, let's start wrapping this up. Let's get 2PyR on the line to redeem himself. Sherman Oaks! 2PyR. Uh, this is some type of Buddhist retreat. Uh, no, that was the uh, DJ Hero controller that just beamed into my hand for $30 from my local Target. Yeah, I see this. And not only that, uh, now might be a good time to pick up the, the Tony Hawk ride thing. What's it called? Well, Tony Hawk to, to, ride? To the extent that picking up Tony Hawk's ride is a good idea at all, now would be the time to do it. Yeah, because it's it's dropping and dropping and dropping. I think it'll hit the $30 mark pretty soon. And, and it comes with the game, so. Yeah. If you actually think that playing that game looks like fun, then hey, now's a great time to get it. Um, unfortunately, the almost universal consensus is that the controller isn't quite there, but at least the game sucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, granted, I'm speaking ill of the dead because it's a game I haven't actually played myself. But okay. Part of the reason for that is that everybody that I know that has played the game has advised me against it. So well, I'm willing to take their word for it. They've played the game, so I don't have to. Well, sometimes, though. $30 takes a big expectation away from a $100 item. This is certainly you the know? case with DJ Hero. It's a game that at huh. $120, I think I probably would have felt ripped off for. But for $30, it's a lot of fun. It's one of those games that really, I think, evokes the memory of uh, frequency or amplitude back in the old PS1, PS2 days. Mm. I don't think it probably has anything to do with what being a DJ is actually like. But the music in it is a lot of fun, and it's a really good kind of beat-matching, beat-sensing game. I've only been playing around with it for about 20, 30 minutes. We literally just uh, picked it up this afternoon. But, uh, yeah, for 30 bucks, it's a lot of fun. I love the music mixes in there. I think it's great because, you know, it has Gary Newman and it has a lot of people that I like. So, uh, and then remakes of, of hits that I really couldn't care about in the past. But now, uh, in this version, I actually like them. So that's a good thing. But we normally get you on here to talk about the PS3. I have a DJ Hero for the PS3 as well, which I guess makes absolutely no difference except that you don't have a big green button. You have the uh, more blackish PS3 <laughs> controllers uh, <laughs> hidden under the flap, which is another neat invention that I really cared. thought was a plus on that controller as well. 
Well, first of all, being wireless, that's a big giant plus. Uh, being wireless, wireless is huge. Yeah. You got to have the wireless because especially if you're uh, if you've got one of those giant TVs, you know, 42 inches doesn't sound huge until you suddenly find yourself having to sit only three feet away from it. <laughs> sure, sure. And and the fact that it was right or left handed. So that's always good as well. Yeah. Let's talk about Sony, though. Let's talk about, number one, uh, you know, Kyle and I, he was in the studio holographically until that blew up, of course, as it always does. Who didn't expect that? Who didn't see that coming? Um, you know, you're playing with tomorrow's technology today. you got to expect a few bugs. It's Anything to do with RIT team. They're on the cutting edge of killing me. That's what they're on the cutting edge of. Um, but that notwithstanding, we, of course, tried out the move. We got our move on. We forgave you for being in a controlled environment and and seeing what the move could do uh, with the sony reps hovering about ready to snatch the wiimotes from your hands should anything go awry well partly that and partly making sure that everything that i uh, said about the move was approved by the mothership uh, back in tokyo so exactly very good very good so we got our hands on and you know uh our hands weren't so happy, uh, let's say. But I brought you on on the tail end here to wrap it up. More talk about the big PS3 releases. I, I have questions for you. I'm sure you have questions for me. Need to bring you on for your opinion on the PS3 happenings, the way that they're moving. You get, see what I did there, move? I saw uh, what you did there. We are we are officially getting our move on and shaking our move thing, I would say. We are. but let, So let's start there. Let's start with the commercials now. Uh, I know a lot of people are fans of this guy. What's his he, name? His, his popularity defies any sort of logic or reason, I think. He's the man. Uh, he, he's, he, there's a, this whole cult of personality that surrounds him. Uh, I, which I think is is kind of a little sad, frankly. In the PS1 days, it was a, a hot dominatrix with a whip that could kick your butt, and now it's a little nebbishy nerd that is the vice president of whatever Sony happens to need at the time. And what what is this guy's name? I can't even recall it right now. I can't honestly uh, either, which kind of tells you something about <laughs> the fact that Sony's putting all their eggs in this guy's basket, frankly. Yeah. Well, anyway, this fella comes on here, and he's sort of, I'm paraphrasing here, but this is what I get out of it. So, you all wanted your Wii for your family experiences. Well, here you go. Here's our Wii Moat. Shut your <laughs> mouths. More or less. Uh, Sony is definitely trying to position the move as a Wii for grown-ups. And... But, That's but, certainly what it looked like to me, but I was looking at it in the controlled environment of playing with it in one game for five minutes in a store with a line of people behind me who wanted to get their hands on it just as badly as I did with three Sony reps hovering over me, ready to take the controller away if anything went wrong and paying very close attention to what I said to make sure that nothing offended the ears of the Sony mothership back in Tokyo. <laughs> But I mean, it, it looks. I, 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 if you have this iPad, it is so geared. Oh, geared towards babies. That's okay. But I look online. I look at these different things. It, it's it's supposed to be a family experience. But I just see these things with twelve year old girls playing and 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 six year old boys, and they're they're licking the move like an ice cream cone, and it's just all this sickening sweet push towards the young kids. 
kids. And that's not what resonates. When you're young, you want to be a teenager. So don't market towards the young kids. Oh, don't worry. The uh, move-enabled version of Heavy Rain is going to be out in a couple of weeks, and right. then you'll be able to use your move wand to undress Madison. I see. I see. I don't, can't imagine anything that's more grown up than that. Right, right. Well, in in my opinion, the, the new launches as we went over, I just think fell way, way short. Uh, the the pro- biggest problem being that many of the games incorporate the camera, which is the same camera that was broken with the launch of this system. When this came out, you needed the lighting rig to make things right. And even when I would shine a light like right on me, for some reason, it would be interpreted as like all grainy and crazy and colors that didn't even exist in real life were somehow on my PlayStation 3. And plus, playing a game with a light blasting in your eyes, it's really not fun. And, of course, I got sucked in because I was like, well, I need to justify buying this camera, so I'm going to buy all the little mini games I could download. Look, I'm in an aquarium. Oh, boy. Look, I'm I'm making pin art to move a ball around, where if I was just using a regular controller, I would have beat this game in five minutes. And it's not working very well. Well, there's parts of the iPad where you're just supposed to pet him without using that ice cream cone at all. You're just supposed to pet him with your hand. And it runs into the same pitfalls that I had from start. And this is the stupidest thing that Sony could possibly be doing. The whole reason that the move is, in my opinion, a superior product to Microsoft's Kinect is that where it excels is using the combination of the motion control, you know, the motion sensor inside the move one and the motion tracking capability in the camera Mm -hmm. to look at the lollipop head at the end of the wand i mean definitely astute people will notice that the the color of the ball changes in pretty much every room that the wand is in it has a a a full 32-bit color range Mm -hmm. and the reason that that ball changes colors is it actually works interactively with the camera to determine the color that will best stand out against the background that the camera detects so that the camera can best see and track the ball on the end of the move why sony is just abandoning it completely in deference to oh well we're going to watch where your hand is so you can pet the ipad interactively i just don't understand yeah and it's not only for ipad it's also in other titles in more subtle ways and like you're in the movies or whatever they're calling theirs you're gonna have to you know still be lit up fairly well and then you're going to be doing different things with the move but it's still the same thing that didn't work at the launch of this system so many years ago when you use multiple move wands then you have the different colors there as well and it's able to track it and that's good here's the other big problem now you have to move your camera some things want it at the top of the screen other things want it at the bottom of the screen point it at knee height down at the floor at the lowest angle it could go you have to buy this bracket that that helps you move these things around so some games they want you to sit on the couch so then you have to move your camera to the to the bottom of the television other things you have to stand eight feet away that's not a joke <laughs> if you want to do this this sport event they recommend that you're eight feet away and that one they want the camera I think on the top of the television and then you have to aim it so that you stand inside of this thing here and at the beginning of every game you have to recalibrate the the wand 
Like you have to set it down or make it horizontal or point it at the camera. And it's just uh, overly complex and inconvenient, I think. Uh, and of course, all of these weaknesses were very cleverly masked at the demo that I attended back around E3. Sure. Because they only played the one archery game off of the sports offering. And at the time, I assumed it was because that was the only one that was ready for primetime, which mm. given that it was still months away from release was a reasonable assumption. I'm starting to think now that it was more a clever ploy on their part to hide the fact that you need to recalibrate in between each event. Well, let me let me ask you this. Did you do it with two other move wands? Yeah, because you need one to hold the bow and yeah. one to hold the arrow. So. Right, and then you you got the you got you picked the arrow out of your quiver, and that was kind of neat when you're when you're up against time and you were doing that. It made for some neat gameplay, inter- interesting gameplay. That was that was kind of neat. That worked, but it, when I, I still I don't know how anyone can play that ping pong. I mean, it was it was. <laughs> It was very comical because our our players, they were incredibly limp-wristed. And the the ping-pong paddle was just in a position where you would never even put your wrist or your hand. Mm -hmm. So it was was very, very funny, very comical, but, of course, just unplayable. And maybe I'll uh, stick some of those move games back in there and give them a, a second look under different conditions or something and try to rearrange the lamps in my room or something and maybe I'll have a different opinion but so far I don't know uh, well, if there's one thing that we've learned about Sony, it's that you cannot judge any of its hardware by the launch library. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about even 15 years ago, the launch library for the PS1 basically consisted of Battle Arena Toshiden and a bunch of games that nobody cared about. The PS1 arguably has been one of the most successful consoles in the history of the industry. Yeah. Uh, from that very inglorious start. So clearly, Sony pays attention, keeps its finger on the pulse, and although it occasionally makes missteps when it starts, it, it gets it right in the end. There are a lot of things about the move that are in the works that I think are worth pursuing. And, you know, even even back when I was looking at this thing around E3 time, what I said was it looks basically like it's the Wii done right, mm. and what I think will distinguish this from the Wii is what software developers do with the software because this has a capability that the Wii simply doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sitting in a very different market than what the Wii occupies. So to me, yeah. the question is, what are the software developers going to do with it, given that it has this different capability and sitting in this different market segment? As near as I can figure, what comes out in the next year is really going to determine whether or not this thing has any legs. I think that's what disappointed me the most, especially about the advertising, is that they are in a position to have motion control, motion type controls, different type of interface to your games. They are in a position to bring that to the player and make it more immersive. But instead, they're turning around and trying to say, hey, look, we, we have carnival games. Two, that type of thing. And well, consider this about the advertising. They have that capability going forward. Mm-hmm. They don't have that capability at launch. Yeah. So if you were the marketing department, what would you market? Mm-hmm. Would you market, hey, spend anywhere between 30 and $120 now because you can do all this cool stuff in six months? Mm-hmm. Or would you market, spend $120 now so that you can play this with your kids now? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I, I hope so. I know what you're saying, though, because look at the PS2 launch. They had a skydiving game and a, and a wrestling game where you just 
that used your thumbs on the analog sticks. You didn't do any button presses at all. So exactly. that had weak launch titles as well. But uh, yeah. And the PS2 went on to have definitively the best library of its generation. True, true. But the thing that I think was their biggest mistake was not releasing a new camera that had like a wide angle lens that could do the whole room or something so I don't have to move this around and, and because to me that camera maybe they just had a whole stockpile of these cameras laying around because no one but I have judgment of the beholder or whatever now, I think the biggest mistake they made was trying to out connect the connect mm-hmm. the connect is taking the absolutely wrong approach to motion control <laughs> the implementations that I've seen rumored for SOCOM the implementations that I've seen rumored for heavy rain, relying on the the combination of motion tracking on the lollipop and motion sensing in the wand itself, these are the right implementation. These are taking what's currently possible to the next level mm-hmm. and implementing it in a way that is sensitive to the context of the game rather than force-feeding a novelty interface into your game design. And I think that if more of that is going to happen, then this is what will distinguish the move, and this is what will be the future of the interface. Like I said, what happens in the next 12 months is what determines whether this has legs. Right on, man. Uh, Now, let's talk about some good news, and it'll lead right back into some more blunderific uh, things from Sony. Number one, great news for PlayStation Plus members, Zen Pinball is now free. Um, and if you haven't already been playing this game for months like me and Wiggly have, you really have no excuse if you have the PlayStation Plus, because this is one of the most fun titles that you will not pay any money for. Exactly. But here's the thing. To me, this is like giving away a little big planet to PlayStation Plus members. Everyone already owns it. If you're a PlayStation Plus member, you already own it. And I don't know who wouldn't have paid you know, $5 or whatever it is for Zen Pinball and, and $2 a table. If you are a sucker enough to do the $50 plan, I don't know why you wouldn't have bought Zen Pinball. The only real pinball, especially downloadable pinball and, and a, a very good pinball game uh, for, and I don't know who, what what Plus member wouldn't have already owned this, but that notwithstanding, uh, that's, that's pretty neat. I know it's right on the cusp. might be anticlimactic now that we're right on the cusp of, of the second iteration of the Zen Pinball on the Xbox, but if you're a PS3 owner uh, and, and you don't own this for some reason, now you, now you can get it for free with the Plus membership. And i got to tell you, you know, they give away pretty much every month for this these PlayStation Plus members. You know, some of them are, are PS1 titles, um, they're B titles, they're C titles, tons of IAP ones, what do they call We were talking the about minis. it earlier. Yeah, the, the minis. So they're giving away a lot of these minis and things like this. And, and a couple themes, like you can get the fall theme, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, but they, they are at least trying to give away some things. So absolutely, I, you know. I, to answer your, to answer your question about who at this point would not have uh, Zen Pinball already, the answer is anybody who bought one of the Slims when the uh, introduction of the Slim brought the price of the console down. Gotcha. If you look at the buying patterns of people that buy downloadable software, most of them do not bother with any downloadable content that was pre-existing before they acquired their consoles. Mm-hmm. Most of them do not go into the archives of the store. Most of them only look at things that are either new the week that they get their consoles or come out after they've already purchased them. 
Right. And I think that that's a lot of the reason that a lot of the stuff that has been given away for free in the store are sort of, you know, greatest hits of the last couple of years. They're things that people that are new console owners would not necessarily already have purchased because they were things that were popular from the back catalog. And to that extent, Sony's actually got a fair amount of data based on what has been popular in the past. Anybody that's been paying attention to the business figures knows that the uh, introduction of that low-cost Slim really spiked Mm -hmm. the number of people that were buying PS3s. Definitely. Yeah, I can see that. And as a matter of fact, I think I'm going to be reviewing about five games that you might not have ever heard of uh, within that archive uh, on on the next episode of We Talk Games. So look forward to that. But let's move into something else from Zen Studio. Now you will notice in the PlayStation Store and the giant mess that that thing is still, even though it has a bit of a redesign, there is a Move demo section. So you could demo a lot of games for the Move, and one of them is from Zen Studios, and it's called Mini Golf World or some something uh, of that nature. So I downloaded that because I want to try this out for my Move. It's I think it's only like $10 or something like this, or 10 or 15 bucks, And it looks like a really neat mini golf game. It's not that Planet Mini Golf thing that came out a couple of months ago. Is That's it? it, Planet Mini Golf. And of course, it works with your move. And I downloaded it, went to demo it. I'm there with my move remote, remote or whatever, <laughs> the move controller. And, and I'm like pressing the buttons and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And I cannot get to a next level. I'm like, come on, come on, come on. And then I reread it. What it's telling me, and it's telling me the demo is not compatible with the Move controller. You can only use the regular PlayStation controller to demo Planet Mini Golf. I hope that the Move makes it a lot more fun, because with the regular controller, it's no great shakes. It's not bad. Yeah. It's it's pretty much exactly what you'd expect, but I'm not paying no 10 bucks for it. But th- I downloaded this from the Move demo section. Mm-hmm. What do you mean it doesn't work with the Move controller? Sony, you lose again. I try I try to I try to hold this company up on it like Sony needs me. I but I I I you know, I really try to I mean, I spend most of my time as far as consoles goes, I think that the PlayStation of the three takes up the biggest chunk of my time. Second, probably Wii. And then I, I feel sad for all the money I spent on my 360 with the, the, the great uh, arcade library that they, that they offer. But I, I just don't go on there as much. I think probably because too many people I know are on there. And then I have to, you know, do social things. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get away and then I, I, I log in there, and it's like, beep, 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 you have 20 messages. Whereas on the PS3, I have like one message every year. So Plus, if you don't want to play, you know, Halo Part 27, there's really not a whole lot on the Xbox for you. So. Oh, oh, I think there's a lot of great titles uh, on the Xbox. And oh, There's a lot of great titles on the Xbox. There's just, you know, you can get most of them just about anywhere else as well. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'll tell you what, you won't be able to get Super Meat Boy! Uh, only to the Wii and the 360 so far, and Mac and PC. Well, that's, that's, I think that's all I got as far as my uh, PS3 experiences this month. And Anything else that you could think of for the PS3? One title that I want to talk about because it's what I have been spending the most of my time with this summer. Okay. And that is one that actually was originally broken on an interview 
on We Talk Games okay. uh, a couple of months ago when we had our exclusive interview with Taito. Yes. They mentioned that uh, Space Invaders Infinity Gene was coming out. Right. Although it was originally designed for the uh, for the iPod Touch and iPad, uh, it has recently been ported to the PlayStation Network. I picked it up for ten bucks, and I literally did not put it down the entire weekend that I bought it. It's so neat. I uh, downloaded that as well. Had to. And I actually uh, spent about an hour importing music into my PlayStation just so I could use to generate music levels. Gotcha. Um, although it is insanely difficult to unlock the few trophies that this game supports, I've already unlocked three of them. <laughs> I've already gotten well more than $10 worth of entertainment out of the $10 that this game cost. I cannot say enough good things about it. Well, uh, what's your favorite it, parts about it? Um, yes. Basically, uh, I like the fact that the uh, the graphics managed to uh, evoke the retro feel of the original of the game while still managing to be modern and up to date. Uh, I, of course, am an old school geek. So the fact that the graphics are sort of evocative of the look of Tron, uh, not mm. in terms of the way things are designed, but in the, the way that the, the colors are very stark, uh, vibrant uh, bright vector graphics against flat black backgrounds, the way that the uh, music is, you know, sort of bleeps and bloops and evocative of the old 8-bit soundtracks, but still very much made with modern production values and sensibilities. Uh, I love the way that you can import music and get an abs- a nearly infinite amount of replayability out of it. I love the fact that the difficulty scales very, very well so that people who are not really hardcore shump players can still get very far into the game, but that the difficulty does ramp so that you have to really concentrate if you want to get to that final stage. I love the fact that both your abilities as well as the invaders' abilities evolve. I love the fact that there's an RPG-esque element to it as you have to get points to sort of unlock the next stages of evolution for yourself. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you can unlock these evolutionary stages from music stages as well as from the game's own stages so that if you're stuck on a level you can just play music stages for a while until you unlock the next weapon and then maybe that'll uh, be the key of getting through that level that you're stuck on right this game just really has a lot of care put into it has a lot of thought put into it has a lot of production value put into it and you know at risk of sending like a big emotional sap looks like it's got a lot of love put into it mm. And it's just, especially at $10, it's mm. an experience that anybody who has any love for classic gaming should really, really strongly consider, I think. Right on. Yeah, when we had title on, we sort of just spent the entire episode just gushing about the company. And that it takes a lot to, to make something part of their brand fall under their umbrella. I mean, they've maintained their identity, even though they've, they were gobbled up by Square Enix. How can you maintain, you know, being sort of an independent company when you're under such a a, a bigger ego umbrella type of company that, I mean, not necessarily ego in a bad sense, but the ability to push out titles under their own name, they keep this brand alive because I think it does signify uh, quality and care and to create a gaming experience. 
And I yes, think Square it, Enix definitely has a a very distinct identity of their own in mm-hmm. the marketplace. And for Taito to have kept the Space Invaders Infinity Gene as true to its own roots as they have, despite being under Square Enix's umbrella, I think says a lot of really good things about both companies. Right on, man. Thanks for joining us on We Talk Games. Look forward to talking to you in the future. Right on. In the future, tomorrow's technology today. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Take it easy. Hey, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for this 20th episode of We Talk Games. Special thanks to Nick Monfort, Frank Lance, Kyle Von Kubik, John E. Capcom, 2PyR, Eric Alex, Ralph, Stinky, and the brief phone voice of T.T. Schmutkins. I hope that she's back on the show next month. And my friends, until then, good gaming to you. WeTalkGames.com. Bye now. <laughs>